Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Hey everyone, this is Garrison Davis from It Could Happen Here. For this week of episodes, the team has put together a, a special group of episodes, all focused on the broad topic of the escalating war on trans people. We'll cover historical backgrounds, the international turf movement, and all the new anti-trans legislation trying to be made into law here in the United States. We won't have time to cover everything. It's only five episodes, but we we tried to cram more stuff in, and you know, it's it's we don't want to make the episodes all like two or three hours. So, I'm sure we'll we'll cover all these topics more in the future. But we tried to create five episodes here that kind of cover a lot of a, a lot of our bases. Also, we've we've tried not to make the episodes super depressing because yeah, it's five episodes based on a kind of uh, upsetting topic. So we tried to keep them more information based and throwing in some jokes here and there, you know, but. It is still not a fun, fun topic, so just keep keep that in mind, but we've tried to tried to space things out and not make them too long and not too depressing. So without further ado, 
Here is episode one of the War on Trans People. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things falling apart, and in in the case of this week, getting very angry at people doing really shitty things um, to a specific subset of the population. All right, Garrison. Wait, isn't that every week? <laughs> well, no, sometimes we talk about other stuff, like 3D printed guns, but that ties in. Garrison, take it from here. I'm done for the week. Yes. So welcome to it Could Happen Here. We're talking about, well, one of the big It Could Happens Here is It Could relation, Happen Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in, in relation to the ongoing uh, war on queer people in general um, and how, yeah, that sure seems to be like it's happening. So here, here right now. But, but before we get to the actual right now points, I still I do want to do want to do a little bit of background on how this kind of gotten to this point in the past few decades and the, the, the various like precursors to the current moment that has seemed to be really focused on trans people specifically. But for a long time, a lot of the focus was on uh, uh, protecting, quote unquote, the sanctity of marriage, which was one of the one of the big one of the big talking points. And to help us uh, talk about this fun and engaging topic, um, I I asked on uh, uh, Kieran and Eve from the Kitchen Table Cult podcast uh, uh, to assist us in this uh, horrible endeavor. Greetings. Hi, and I'm sorry. Hi. Yeah. Yes, we are. We are gays who grew up in that universe. So hello. Yes, as 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 was I, as hey. was probably a few other people on this on this call. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we all we all have varying experiences uh, growing up in the evangelical movement, um, while also realizing, huh, maybe we are not uh, straight and or cis children. So, yeah, but <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the kind of the escalating war in gay marriage and how that kind of moves over to trans people at a certain point, um, and specifically talking about kind of the combination of religion and politics. Because this is this is something I've discussed before on my two-part Focus on the Family episode. And this really is going to tie into a lot of that stuff. It's a lot of the same people. But I, I, I would love for everyone else to kind of fill in the gaps where I have stuff missing. Because I definitely have a, a, good, a good point on like the Family Re- Research Council kind of side of things. And I would love for people to fill in the gaps on the other, other kind of stuff. But yeah, we're going to start off by talking about Family Research Council um, and uh, that whole kind of side of things. Because, I mean, they, oh, they hey, really... Josh are- Jugger. How's oh, oh yes, <laughs> Josh Tucker is coming up. Don't don't you I worry. Oh, oh yeah, both oh, research yeah. and families. So this seems unproblematic. I'm gonna just mute things from now on, and yeah, you guys continue. In, in terms of all of the uh, save the children rhetoric, yes, Josh Josh Tucker will be coming up. So yeah, but I, I do want to actually open up with a quote from Mike Rosebush, who was the vice president of Focus on the Family from uh, 1995 to 2004. Um, and then a few years ago, he came out as uh, as gay and as a surprise, a, a so-called affirming like Christian who like loves Jesus and endorses rights for gay people. He, he left. He left slash got fired from focus on the family. Is he, um, is he side A or side B? Does he is he in favor of the celibacy model or is he like um, chill with marriage? He, he seems to be excited about uh, fucking. Oh, OK, oh, so he's oh, side B. We like yeah. we like side B. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it is. It is definitely mm-hmm. the better side. Uh, but I want to start off with a Lots quote fun, by, eh? by by him, uh, just to kind of set, set, set the stage for how this type of thing kind of really got got started for combining, you know, 
the evangelical kind of biblical world worldview with political organizing. So anyway, going to read a quote here. Uh, quote, Dobson, even more so than focus on the family, and that's a, that's James Dobson, by the way. Um, Dobson, even more so than focus on the family as an organization, strongly uh, encouraged all evangelicals to support and express their values in the public arena. As background, before about 1970, evangelicals often confined themselves within their own like cloistered communities. Political involvement was viewed as a secular enterprise and suspect at best, and this changed during the Dobson era. He and others encouraged evangelicals to learn and apply the biblical worldview. The evangelical person was coached in applying the apologetics debate method in publicly sharing the biblical worldview. Voting in every local and national election became seen as a Christian's duty. So, at Focus, I learned that the evangelical leaders, like Dr. Dobson, considered the Republican Party to be the political machine best equipped to endorse a biblical worldview. In Delighted Harmony, Republican Party strategists salivated to win elections by securing the evangelical vote. Thus, a mutual agreement was formed. The plan became that <laughs> evangelical leaders would introduce a hot-button issue onto ballots at every local and state election. Evangelical ministers would provide voting guides on how to influence evangelicals to vote for the only correct Christian choice. In turn, the elected Republican <laughs> candidate... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In turn, the elected Republican candidate would champion the corresponding biblical worldview, and this strategy worked. And what was the most reliable hot button to place on the local and state voting ballots? Something that would ensure evangelicals in mass to show up to vote? Yep, anti-gay rights bills. Gay rights were viewed by evangelicals as a threat to the biblical family and society in general. So yeah, that's kind of how I want to open up in terms of kind of the shift in like the 70s and 80s and especially in the 90s from kind of evangelicals being pretty divorced from like political mainstream action to them becoming a crucial part of the Republican machine and this kind of circle that completes itself at this at this like at this point afterwards because yeah this yeah, combined that... with a whole bunch of save the children rhetoric and like saving the family like like the unit of the mm -hmm. family as a sacred thing to protect it's really like that that idea really carries over now into into, into the trans stuff uh, because obviously they kind of lost a lot of the stuff they wanted to do on gay marriage after a long, a long fight, you know, decades and decades. But it's still the same core idea at the heart of it. Yeah, I just want to put an evergreen footnote on all of that and say thanks and fuck you to Phyllis Schlafly for getting us down that road. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was like <laughs> blame can definitely be passed around. <laughs> yeah, well, like like originates there. Like I mean, like. Before all of that, like the evangelical church was yep. not even united on the idea of abortion being bad. Yep. Like, like we have come so far to merging these these universes in a, this really fucked up little marriage that they got going on. No, and and you can't you cannot divorce the ideas of like the the escalating war against abortion and then also like with the save the children like protect the family idea right the, these mm -hmm. these are the these are the same issues like the, these these do go together in terms of uh, people you know making this like fake version of the family that they are swearing to protect uh, whether that be from gay people or that be from you know women's bodily autonomy or you know women's rights or like like feminism all of it's in like the same is is in the same package it's like that meme of the like two pictures and Pam's like, these are the same picture. They it's could the same image. Yeah. It's yeah. the same exact 
rhetoric and it's just like reskinned slightly to for whatever topic of the day. The the other other big thing I want to mention before I get into Family Research Council um, is the 2004 book uh, Marriage Under Fire uh, by 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 Dr. James Dobson, which was definitely uh, one of the one of the other kind of key points in escalating the idea of the culture war um and you know that that type of that type of like more like almost like tactical rhetoric it's all yeah it's it's it was definitely it was definitely a turning point i remember was this around the same time when when fireproof came out oh Oh, i think so yeah it had to have been close yeah fireproof and all that came out between like 2004 and 2006 2007 so that was all around the same time period because they were losing like you said earlier, they were losing the battle against gay rights. Yeah, because like, like, that well, was that, that was around the time Queer Eye was coming out. That was when they were starting to get nervous that maybe they could not stop this particular like like forward slide. But yeah, like on on the back oh, cover gosh. of their uh, Robert, do you have something to say? No, I was just thinking back to that period of time when it it seemed positive progress in that regard seemed inevitable <laughs> and unstoppable. Yeah, that was that, yeah. Was, that was nice. I think- <laughs> I think the the <laughs> note on martial language as used for this is really important here. Like this is a a battle; it is under fire. Like that's yeah, that is something that was definitely employed I, to on, the fullest. On on that point, I'm just going to read a little bit of the back cover of a uh, marriage under fire. Here we go. In this succinct analysis of the issue, Dr. James Dobson presents a compelling case against the legalization of marriage between homosexuals and the dire ramifications our nation could face. Same-sex marriage will destroy the fundamental principles of marriage, parenthood, and gender. Families will be increasingly unstable as their definition expands to incorporate multiple moms or dads, in, in, in quotation marks. Legalization of gay marriages will lead to polygamy and other alternatives to one-man, one-woman unions. The divorce rate will be higher, making our children less safe. (laughs) Marriage Under Fire provides the foundations of a battle plan for the preservation of traditional values in our nation. Our response could not be clearer. The well-being of the family and thus our nation hangs in the balance. Now's the time to speak out in defense of marriage and the American family. So yeah, it is particularly like the battle plan, right? You know, one thing I really loved during this time was the like libertarian Christian response to this kind of conversation where they're just like, or we could just, you know, not have marriage be tied to the state at all. You know? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That was, that was great. I do remember that. Uh, this is the like, this is the backup plan for like, okay, yeah. if, we, if like, if marriage you know, gay marriage goes forward, then we can just like do that if we want to, you know, just like completely eliminate it. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I absolutely re- remember that that type of rhetoric, even even yeah, even around like 2013, when like the Supreme Court cases were, were going forward, they were like really set on like this is like, you know, last resort. We have to make sure that make sure that it like 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 church marriage is just completely separate, which even that, that still is the case. And like in, in like a lot of places, like churches is still in a lot of states like reserve the right to uh, not marry people. Um, and I, you can only you can do it through I the courts, but not through the church. There's also the subtext in that that I think should be unpacked, which is that the multiple moms and dads kind of image that's given is not a signal of like the non-traditional family being bad but more of a um there was this myth that was pushed really hard in the conversion therapy circuit that like 
if you didn't have a good father figure, you were going to be gay. Yeah. You were, mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't have a good relationship with your mom, you were going to be gay. So like having this as like this, these coded statements in there are giving the clue of like, we're trying to stop the cycle. We're trying to not create more gay kids. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why this is important. Yeah, I was reading a lot um, earlier today from the Heritage Foundation because I remember yeah. them being a key so part sorry. of. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they definitely was, are the other big part of this. <laughs> it was so bad. And their whole thing was like, you have to have a mother and a father. Otherwise, everything is terrible. And yeah. then you get gay kids. And that also lies, like goes into the whole other theory that was like, well, which I think Robertson either made up or repeated um was like well people who are gay were abused as children yeah that is that is definitely when i mean then of course all these all these evangelicals are also all like beating their kids yeah it's like well well. which came first were you abusing your child because they were gay or because did you make them i mean i was and I am, but I don't think Full they're actually moments. related. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. They're, they're, they're related in the sense that you being gay is is the is is, is the the well, I mean, one of the triggers for the parents, but it's not the the, the causal relationship runs the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, oh. um, we are gonna take a, a break and hear from all of our lovely sponsors who don't support uh, child abuse, probably. Well, I mean, unless it's unless it's. Which which does, you know, does run that island off the coast of Indonesia where you can hunt children for sport. But we prefer I, not to see that as abuse I don't think you're allowed and more to, say to see that, it as... Robert, I think you have to bleep that. No, not... no. Garrison, we're not going to bleep an ad. That's what sponsors this show is child hunting island, which... Yeah, you cannot lo- say that. Is, is uh, we, it designed we, uh, to I just do every make week. more gay kids? Um, well, it's designed to make happier billionaires. Eve. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing Elon Musk loves more than hunting children on his on a private island reserve off the coast of Indonesia. And and like Elon Musk, you too can hunt children if you buy. Anyway, here's here's the ads. Yes, we are, we are back, and now we're gonna we're gonna move on to probably the most unfun portion of the show today. Um, FRC, the Family Research Council. I'm gonna actually talk about like what they are and what they did, and how they're kind of important in the evolution of rhetoric and various other stuff. So yeah, Family Research Council emerged from a 1980 uh, White House conference on families that James Dobson kind of co-led with the uh, president of the United States. So that's fun. Um, yeah, so he he met and prayed with a group of like eight Christian leaders at a Washington, D.C. hotel, ultimately leading to the creation of the Family Research Council um, under the direction of a uh, Gerald Regener, I'm, that's how that's that's how I'm going to say it. That's how I'm going to say his name because he doesn't reserve respect. So I'm not going to Google it. Um, and it uh, it 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 became a division of focus on the family in like the late '80s under uh, G- Gary Boyer. Um, and the reason there's a whole bunch of like complicated like tax stuff because focus on the family can't get too political because then it'll like sacrifice their tax tax exempt status. So there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of like really shady stuff happening in between mm-hmm. Family Research Council and Focus on the Family proper. In terms They're not of doing who... any lobbying. Right. Yeah. In terms of like who runs what and like what crossover there is with like the leadership. They're basically the same organization, but they are like legally separate and kind of have different like operating strategies. Um, but they, they really Which, are like. To be fair, lots of orgs do this. This is not yes. that unusual. No, it's it's not unusual, but like it's important to know, like they basically are like like they are they are very linked, like they are like like sibling organizations. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is uh this is uh the uh, uh Gary Boyer, the guy who took over in the late eighties, uh, who was also the un- was the Under Secretary of Education and a domestic policy advisor to President Reagan. Um, so again, already like fully fully tied into like the Republican machine. So um, Boyer brought in several anti-LGBT researchers who pumped out like defamatory material about queer people. Um, Robert Knight was a longtime conservative writer and journalist and the kind of major propagandist against LGBTQ rights. He served as the F- uh, FRC's director of cultural affairs in the 90s up into the early 2000s. Um, while working there, he wrote, uh, along with some Focus on the Family editors, a 1999 uh, uh, booklet called the... Uh, the homosexual behavior and pedophilia. This is a very, very, very common sh- uh, thread in all their stuff. Is that gay people were abused as kids, and gay people therefore are like wired to also abuse kids. Like it's part of this mm-hmm. like cycle that they like co-opted a whole bunch of research on it that they misrepresented. That all of the researchers who did the actual stuff was like, no, you're totally wrong. Um, it's a fallacy yeah. bingo right here. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's there's there's I, I talk I talk about this a little little bit in uh, more in depth in the focus on the family episodes for for bastards in terms of like the, the actual like research they used, um, but yeah, it is uh and uh, one 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 of the uh, remarkable claims inside the 1999 booklet was uh was the uh, assertion that quote one of the primary goals of the homosexual rights movement is to abolish all age of consent laws and to eventually recognize pedophiles as the prophets of a new sexual order. So that's uh. That's great. I, I heard that 90s. as profits yeah. with the F-I-T-S. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, profits. <laughs> Not profits, P-H-E-T. Oh, P-H, yes, P-H. Okay. Well, th- yeah. this, is, this is just libertarianism. Basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yes. Um, yes, the, uh, uh, for, uh, for some reason, you cannot find this pamphlet on the F, uh, FRC website today. Um, hmm. I wonder why. Shocked. Hmm. Yeah. So, Boyer left the group in 1999. Um, and then uh, FRC had two presidents, um, and and uh, emerge, and one of the most one of them kind of resulted in becoming the most uh, powerful religious right lobbying group in the country, with tons of tons of policy researchers and writers, um, and a lot of a lot of like email like email lists and like physical mailing lists was a big part of their political organizing. I know Eve and Karen, we have talked before about uh, the effective power of the rights uh, mailing lists in terms of getting political change. Yeah. Um, uh, Kenneth Connors was a Florida attorney and a leader in the pro-life movement. He served as president in the early 2000s uh, during his kind of tenure. Um, uh, F- FRC's agenda focused mostly on abortion and then also uh, traditional marriage. Uh, other stuff was like religious liberty, which means Christian supremacy, not actual religious liberty. Um, right. And then like, uh, like uh, protecting parents' rights, right? Protecting like parental choice. Um, which we'll like, we'll talk we, we'll talk we more about like in the clarify, future. Like, how do they define traditional marriage? Is this involving like dowries and land transfers and treaties? <laughs> I, I I believe they just I believe they want one man and then one woman, and uh, the woman doesn't really need to actually want it, but as long as the man wants it, then it's fine. Um, I think that's and the are general... they like the Catholics where they believe it has to be for the purposes of procreation? Um. I mean, they're they're part of the mainstream evangelicals. So like, there's definitely there's like the courtship idea. So yeah, like they are they are they are for that. But it's I don't know it's it is it's a very like patriarchal thing. Um, 
And it, it, I'm just it play, depends. I'm playing dumb here, but like the, because yeah. these are these are like important distinctions that need it, to be. It depends on congregation to congregation, right? Like yeah. like the kind of the stuff that I grew up with wasn't super focused on tons of t on having tons of kids. Actually, um, in fact, they kind of preferred just keeping it capped off at two kids because you know the more kids you had, the less loyal you were to the church because you had to focus more on your kids. Actually, oh. so it it, oh. it does. It does. It does really depend on congregation to, to congregation. I think Family Research Council tried to keep themselves open to lots of interpretations, so lots of people could like glom onto their stuff. So they didn't get like super specific around like the role of child rearing and that I think kind of thing. It's important to note around that this time or a little before it was when Pope John Paul's theology of the body was coming out, which is this tome um, that's basically getting into like why you know, the death penalty would be bad and why abortion is bad and it's all this like sanctity of the body and the body existing and then like the sanctity of sex as for the purposes of procreation, yes, that, not that, for that, pleasure. That so was these definitely are things a that key are like point. in the yes. in the atmosphere at this time. That was definitely a key point is that sex is just for making kids. Like that is definitely like a, a big a big part of it. Which like they don't actually really believe, but they say, right? Because like if if you yeah. look at all of like the all of the extra like the people like all like these leaders like are not like faithful to their wives by any kids sense. are not like, an accidental like, side effect kids are yeah. the point no yeah um but i think it is like it is interesting like the amount of stuff that's around like parental choice and like parent rights which will come up over the course of the le next few episodes of the series I'm, I'm i'm right now writing episodes about the current like uh book bannings going across the country mm -hmm. and a lot of it is tied to like this idea like parents rights over their children um, yep. Like they decide what their children gets to read, so it's, it's, it's we all. We don't know it's, anything it's about that. <laughs> I've never heard of that before in my life. No, that's definitely my... not also tied up with a bunch of the stuff happening in Florida right now. That's definitely not the. It's the same thing. Definitely yeah. not it's related to Mike Ferris at all. Yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, really, like, yeah, I mean, this is sort of what we're getting at is that the the the, the modern anti-trend stuff is they're just playing all of the sort of greatest hits of the anti-gay yep. stuff, like. Yep. The bathroom stuff and the, we'll, and the we'll CRT stuff. More. Yeah, it's yeah, all, it's all yeah. the same. It's all the same all this, shit. I don't worry. I'm I'm planning to tie this up in a nice in a nice little bow. <laughs> Sorry for jumping Sorry ahead. Sorry for getting ahead of you. <laughs> Just give me like 15 minutes and I'll do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. After, uh, up next, we're talking. Starting in 2003, they changed leaders again, and this is where they really kind of evolved into their current form with uh, Tony Perkins, who became president. Oh yeah, of, that guy uh, of the uh, family family research council in 2003. I've been reading. Prior, prior to that, he served two terms as a Louisiana state representative um, in the mm -hmm. 90s. And even 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 when he was president of uh, Family Re Research Council, he served uh, two two years as state representative. He's uh, also a former police officer um, and a television news reporter. So overall, just sounds like a quite quite the dude. Um, yeah, he 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 authored a whole bunch of, you know, like all these guys write tons of like Christian books that get published by like weird Christian publishers um he, he also served as the senior pastor oh, yeah. of a of a church in maryland um called the hope christian church he uh and he was he was a leader of an effort by white and black religious right preachers to work together against uh, lgbt equality specifically like in like the east coast in the south that's where there's a, there's a, there's a lot of like cross organizing between like historically black churches uh, of course not all of them but like the uh, perkins really tried to like reach out on that front to get like that coalition going which was kind of unique at the time. So yeah, a, a, a big part of, uh, of FRC's strategy is to pound home the false claim that uh, queer people are more likely to sexually abuse children uh, than heterosexual people. Um, 
this is uh yeah this is if not not scientifically true you can look up like stats and you can look up you can look up like a the american psychology association has a lot of research on this topic because it was such a big point in the early 2000s that people had it's to like talk also, about it yeah so like it's all yeah. it's like one of these things that like was a myth you know ambiently as a scare tactic and a slippery so slope fallacy but i think there's also it has its roots in a particular misunderstanding of Romans too, which is the passage yeah. that most people point to as their anti-gay rhetoric. And yeah. the the context of that is like most like centrist and liberal like biblical scholars will agree that that passage was more about the pedophilia that was happening in the Roman Empire and speaking out against that, yeah, um, and not specifically against like consulting adults <laughs> even 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 like the old even even in the old testament a lot of new people going into like the actual translations of stuff and like even like leviticus um it is definitely pointing towards it being about specifically like fathers not abusing their like like you know like prepubescent like sons who are like right. more like androgynous like it is specifically targeting so like this type of idea it's not it's not against like gay men um who are like adults yeah there's there's this theological conversation on the right that was happening that kind of was like trying to account for that historical context and was like it's both clearly it's both because they go together right and obviously like we have to find a way to justify demonizing gay people in order to protect the sanctity of marriage. So we have and, to and like save the children in multiple and ways. save the children. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. But, but Perkins has continued to defend the kind of gay men as pedophiles idea. Um, he had a he had a televised debate on MSNBC in, two, in 2010 about this. Um, so like, yeah, that's I mean, that is like 12 years ago at this point. But still, 2010 feels much more recent than stuff, you know, talking about like the late 90s. Um, yeah, de debating with the Southern Poverty Law Center like on the, the oh, issue of gay rights. I remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, some other anti-LGBT kind of propagandists at, uh, at FRC includes uh, Peter Sprigg, who joined in 2001. Um, he authored the brochure called uh, Top 10 Myths About Homosexuality, which was uh, pretty popular around the time. Um, such claims inside the book include that like ex-gay therapy or conversion therapy works, sexual orientation can be changed, um, uh, uh, LGBT, LGBTQ people are mentally ill because being LGBTQ makes you ill, and that the sexual abuse of boys by adult men is more common than consensual sex between adult men, which is not obviously not true. Um, that is quite. I have questions. That is quite <laughs> so the, many questions. That is quite quite the stat. Um, and like Spriggs' uh, sources are a mixture of like junk science issued by groups that support conversion therapy. Um, and also legitimate science quoted out of context or cherry picked, which is a, a long used tactic by anti-gay kind of groups mm -hmm. to bolster their to bolster like their claims and their general like rhetoric. Right. If, if, if you mix in like a hint of truth, it can make all of your outrageous stuff seem more like legible. Um, we knew that from the screw tape letters. Yeah. No, like one of. <laughs> yeah. One, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. One of, one of his better one of one of his better books. I actually enjoy the screw tape letters. I think it's clever. It's pretty fucking funny. It's good. But also like just a, like an Easter egg for those who know what we're talking about. Like he was extremely kinky. Carry on. Anyway, um, <laughs> one of the main researchers they kind of misused research for was uh, Judith Stacy. 
um, who has like since issued lots of public statements condemning the uh, condemning what you know Family Research Council advocates for, and has endlessly requested that anti-gay groups stop misrepresenting her work. Um, yeah, so we're gonna jump forward to two thousand eight because uh, this is this is uh, of course the election of Obama has really kind of frightened a lot of people. This is when uh, Dobson sent out that letter. Uh, detailing like what a post-Obama future could be, in, w in which he included gay marriage as a part of like the the dystopian nightmare he was imagining. <laughs> this is the future that gay people want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and interesting. Uh, it's a, uh, just an interesting thing on Sprig here. He was a uh, he was um he was on MSNBC again, which I mean maybe we should stop. Maybe we should stop inviting these people onto news channels. But anyway, um, Sprig responded. works. Sprig responded to a question about allowing non-American same-sex partners um, of American citizens to immigrate into the States by saying, I would prefer that we export homosexuals from the United States rather than import them. Um, and saying, I think there would be a place for criminal sanctions on homosexual behavior. Um, and then when asked, so should we outlaw gay behavior? Sprig said, yes. So yeah, it's it's like, it's a very much a clear kind of mask off thing. It's they, they just don't, they just don't want it around at all. And an idea I'm going to tie this kind of more towards towards the end of the series with the trans stuff is like the idea of queerness as like a contagion um, of these people having to like the, the brutality is justified in their own heads because they it's like this idea that queerness can spread and it can infect children. So you have to you have to contain it and any action taken against it is justified because it's like you're containing a virus. And it's like this is really what kind of makes them feel so justified and righteous in every action they do. So yeah, including you know, including outlawing gay gay people, including, you know, exporting them from the United States, you know, of a blatantly fascist idea. So yeah. Um uh, uh, FRC also worked un unsuccessfully to continue the don't ask, don't tell uh, policy. Um this was up until like 2010. So that was that was a bit definitely a, another thing they they tried to focus on. But the, the slide, you know, the, the progressive slide actually was happening around that time. Uh, it is, um, you know, since, since discovered kind of stalled. something interesting about that. Yeah. Earlier today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was, again, looking at Heritage Foundation because that was the Heritage Foundation was like my big kind of go to when I was growing up in the 90s and 2000s yeah. and doing speech and debate and apologetics camp and all that shit. And um, I was like, well, what was their take on Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And they, in the early 90s, were very, very against it. Yeah. In 93, they had like this paper published and they were very against it because they were like, well, then you won't, then you'll still have gay people in the military. Yeah, gay yeah no, absolutely. In the military. Yes. <laughs> They're like, they will... There will be like, it'll be bad for the unit cohesion. There yeah. will be sexual abuse as if that wasn't already happening. There yeah. will be yeah. like all of these terrible things happening in the military that couldn't possibly happen. Couldn't possibly be happening otherwise. It will like weaken combat effectiveness is the line that, uh, that Family Research Council used. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. So there was definitely a shift in like the 90s where a lot of these evangelical groups were against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, because, yeah, it still allowed gay people in just if they didn't say anything. But then as they saw progress happening, they're like, okay, this is better than nothing. Like, this yeah. this is better than them being openly gay. So they kind of switched gears towards, like, 2010, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, they're just, like, grasping at anything they can. Um, 
I think it's time for another break, and then we will kind of finish this up with some uh, other not fun information. But yeah, let's 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 do let's let's do let's let's do an ad. Let's let's see let's see what our our lovely sponsors at has to say. Well, his big thing is trying to get volunteers together to raid child hunting island off the coast of Indonesia. Um, it's like a counter so, raid. Yeah, yeah. You can you can volunteer to go fight in Ukraine, or you can volunteer to help take down child hunting island so that can run it. You know, it would be no fun options. to have all of like the food delivery services have their own like private militias that take That's each other. That's the world out. we're moving towards, Garrison. I mean, the post office already does, so why exactly. not? Why not the yeah. companies? Yeah, yeah. Arm everybody. Everything should be a military. That's the whatever podcast this is. Definitely <laughs> the solution here. And we're back, and we are still talking about my favorite topic, which is the Family Research Council. During the 2012 election cycle, uh, they donated about uh, $208,000 to 80 federal Republican candidates, um, saying that they're uh, using the money to uh, to strategically be used to support pro-family candidates and pro-family issues and elections and ballot incentives across the country. Yeah, so this is just, you know, in terms of you know, keep keep the keep keep the pro pro family angle in mind. You know, this is the, they 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 continuously were always donating money. Two thousand twelve was the highest one on on record, um, and I think I, I don't think they've even matched that since then. It was it was pretty high because that was that was Obama's second term, so they were definitely like trying to really really organize, right? Because this 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 was like right right before twenty thirteen when the Supreme Court was going to be ruling on gay marriage as well. So, of course, which didn't get finalized until 2015, but they were starting to hear cases. We're, we're gonna let's. We're not gonna kind of briefly go back to to uh to James Dobson here. Just uh, reference <laughs> if people are if people did not listen to the behind the bastards once. Uh, he's an evangelical Christian author and uh, self proclaimed psychologist. Uh, who who if, found... if you if you don't know who James Dobson is, please preserve your innocence and just quit. Like just go mm -hmm. enjoy it. Don't know. Just log don't, off don't, now forever. Log off now. Just don't know. God, I do, I do love the idea of a self-proclaimed psychologist. That's 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 the energy <laughs> oh, I want to bring oh, to twenty twenty two. Child psychologist. Yeah, Let's just like I know what kids need. They need to be on <laughs> hunting island. You know, and and this guy doesn't even <laughs> believe in like uh, child develop. Like no, he uh, doesn't. He doesn't believe child development. But also, oh, Robert, no. you do know that I'm getting a PhD in parapsychology, right? I know, Garrison. We're paying for it. Yes. This podcast is going to have the highest rate of doctors uh, of any podcast on the internet, other than the one that our friend Kava does. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I will be happy to be, to be invited back onto Kava's podcast as a doctor in parapsychology. I think I'll be able mm -hmm. to offer some really unique insights. Okay. <laughs> Any, anyway, um, Dobson founded Focus the Family in 1977, um, which is unfortunate because he could have just watched Star Wars, but instead he did right. this. He doesn't, um, he hates fun. We knew he uh, hates fun. That, that, is, that is a key part of his ideology. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, he was, he's, he's, a founding, he's a founding member of several um, anti-LGBT hate groups, um, Family Research Council being one of them. Also, uh, a lot, he is a, a founder of Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, so Fuck ADF. yeah, he, he got, he got, he got two under his belt. Um, the, the organization, which is now based in Arizona became a very powerful kind of fundraising behemoth, um, uh, dedicated to fighting so-called marriage, uh, like marriage equality for, for queer people and trans inclusive non-discrimination protections. 
Um, and the, a big part of the, the thing that they were fighting for was uh, enshrining a, quote, right to discriminate against LGBTQ people in state laws, which is, you know, all the stuff around, like, you know, what if a baker is forced to bake a cake for, you know, all of this nonsense is what That's is what Dobson. That's an ADF case. Yep. That's an ADF is, yep. case. Yes. <laughs> so, that, that, so that is, so like, that, that, that is, that, that is Dobson. He, he started that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to now have a little fun, though, because... We're, we're going to ju jump ahead a little bit just to kind of get the rhetoric kind of nailed down on what on what kind of how stuff we're, 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 we're going to start shifting towards the trans stuff at this point. Um, but 2015, um, uh, after after the Supreme Court ruling for nationwide kind of marriage equality, um, Dobson has had this had this beautiful, beautiful quote. I had this black cloud over me on June 26th. When that decision was handed down, and I was contemplating this foreboding, this black cloud, it hit me like a ton of bricks. The decision was not really about gay marriage. It's not. It's about everything else. It's about the entire culture war. It's about a. It's about control of the public schools, and it's about what's happening in universities. It's about the economy, and it's about what businesses, and it's about the military, and it's about medicine. It's about everything. We lost the entire culture war with that one decision. The gay marriage <laughs> thing was just a part of it, but it's going to touch every dimension. So. This I is wish, what we like to call foreshadowing. I wish, I wish that was true. Um, but in terms of, yes, in terms of kind of how this gets expanded to like businesses, schools, universities, medicine. I just love the histrionics. It's that beautiful. they start kind of focusing on in terms of like, well, we lost this culture war. I guess we got to move on to the next one, which is, you know, the even more freakish thing, which is, oh, kids wanting to kids realizing that maybe they have a different views on gender. So that's the next kind of like rotating target that 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 they that they uh, move move towards. So yep, yeah. Um, earlier that year, uh, Dobson laid laid bare his uh, his uh, fun fundamental confusion on what it means to be LGBT. Um, he claimed on his radio show that being bisexual meant that you have orgies, which I mean, not. <laughs> Like, I mean, how well, is he? okay, so <laughs> we wish. Yeah, um, yes. This I makes live everything so world. much more complicated. <laughs> yes, um, he also blamed uh, in 2012. Uh, he also blamed the 2012 uh, Sandy Hook massacre on uh, queer people because oh, I uh, forgot because about yeah, that. Yeah. Our yeah. nation, the nation, turned turned their back on God. Um, right. he, it allowed it allowed judgment to fall on us, which is why I said yeah, that's, happened. That, that's one of the interesting splits in the right between the people who think it's fake and the people who thought it was queer people's fault. Yes, yeah, it's because of the, right. decadent, the queer decadence. And yeah, they, they've all come back together now, but it was a, it was a real it was a real split. And one of one of the other great things about Dobson is so after my behind the bastards episodes on Dobson, like literally like the day after it dropped, I found this extra little disturbing nugget of info about him. Um, in a, in an old blog post titled "Is My Child Becoming Homosexual." Uh, Dobson recommends a, uh, Dobson recommends things that a father can do to help his child fix homosexual symptoms. <laughs> fix. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, including Ooh. taking your child into the shower with you to compare penises. Um, uh, wait, what? Is, what? Yeah, yeah, it is. Not good. Your, your child, um, your child. I will, I will quote from, I will quote from the blog. Um. The, the boy's father has to do his part. He needs to mirror and affirm his son's maleness. He can play rough and tumble games with his son in ways that are decidedly different from the games he would play with a little girl. He can help his son learn how to throw and catch a ball. He can teach him to pound a square wooden peg into a square hole in the peg. Wait, 
<laughs> what? <laughs> he can even take his son into the shower with him, where a boy cannot help notice that dad has a penis, just like his. Only, what? only bigger. <laughs> oh my god! You know what this reminds me of? So that is a quote by Dr. James Dobson, psychologist. Wow. Oh my God. Anyway, I'm sure there's nothing, nothing at all to, uh, to, to, Hey, hey, Jimmy Dobbs, how's your son? How's he doing? Yeah. Are you you talking? Nothing at all to kind of, uh, interrogate there. Um, yeah. No. Mm -mm. The other thing that I really love, and by love, I mean, don't love. Yeah. Um, is that like, the only gay people who exist are gay boys. Yeah, like, they really lesbians don't. and bi people don't exist at all. Like, well, it's- yeah, this is a really interesting thing. It's because it's about why would uh, it's about if it happens to a woman, it's like, oh, well, they're a woman anyway. They're already not as good as men. I guess it kind of makes sense that they would do that. Um, if it happens to a guy, you're like, well, Eve Sin, obviously, like, why would you do that? You're part of the patriarchy. Why would you, like, you're supposed to exert power over women. What is wrong with you for not wanting that? (laughs) Like, there's a whole bunch of other, like, patriarchal stuff going on and, like, why they focus on that. Also, because they undeniably find lesbians attractive. Like, they can't, like, they can't help but find it hot. So they definitely focus it more on gay men because they find that more gross because it is, like, a defiance of patriarchy in, like, a different way. You but stuff. Yeah, and of course but stuff. Yeah. Um yeah. well and, and I think also this is the same reason why trans misogyny becomes such a huge sort of driver of the anti-trans movement. Because, you know, I mean you see this a lot also with we see this with, with, with non-Christian like uh, uh transphobes too, but like the 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 the, the ultimate sin you can commit if 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 you are if you are a person is or if if like yeah, the, the ultimate sin you can commit against sort of the family is having someone who like being born and being seen as a man and then you know becoming a woman a woman and that's like that's you know that that's that's what transmisogyny is right it's it's about it's it's the specific kind of, of transsexism that you get when you do that when you specifically like you know in in these people's eyes it's like you give up being a man and become a woman and these they go ballistic over this because it's you know like it's 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 rejection of patriarchal power and they and, you know and they they ha- they have to do all of this sort of like incredible pathologizing to explain why this would happen and ignored just like this person was always a woman that's you know the reality and of also happening, you're, yeah. it's like it's it's a condemnation of your misogyny and your misogynistic behavior to like go join you know the, mm. the victims of our hate so like it has all of these these layers here yeah and it's gonna we're gonna get like right 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 into trans stuff now because yeah and in, in 2015 Supreme Court ruling making same-sex marriage illegal throughout the United States, which uh, sent LGBT, well, anti-LGBT you know, hate groups into a uh, furious uh, uh, reaction. Um, uh, Family, Research, Family Research Council was uh, no exception, and it started working in tandem with other groups to support so-called kind of religious liberty. You know, laws which allowed people who object to same-sex, to same-sex like couples, and just you know queerness in general, to to deny goods and services to same-sex uh, couples and just you know queer people in general it is it is very like non-specific um so yeah also in 2015 uh family research council uh faced its own set of uh scandals uh referring to a friend of the pod uh josh duggar 
um, who, <laughs> who was executive who was executive director of the Family Research Council Action, um, a political arm of the organization. Uh, it was obviously uh, revealed that uh, he had molested several. Save uh, the uh, babies to your hard drive. Several children, and yeah, had a lot of uh, had a lot of uh, children on his hard drives. Um, Sorry. So much that, like, but like, even like the FBI was kind of surprised at how much he had. Like, when 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 the FBI is surprised on how much child porn you have, you're like, quite, quite the FBI quite sees the some bad shit. Guy. Yeah, you yeah. are. You are when quite you, the bad when you guy. surprise them. Have you have you read uh, his uh, his uh, appeal case? I have like, not. I have not read his appeal. It's basically making it out to be like there was this other guy who had access to that computer. It was his name Josh Duggar. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, it was his evil like, twin. No, it's just like you're just like he's just like somebody else probably did it. It wasn't me. Yeah, so he uh, resigned from Family Research Council after posting a, a brief message on his website saying that he uh, resigned after a Wait, concerning, hang on. concerning he, he events resigned, were made public. I think he resigned from Family Research Council because of the Ashley Madison account. Yes. Well, well no, yeah. Because of the, yeah, yeah that, he he resigned listing uh, listed listing concerning events as the reason he just yeah, not so uh, Ashley Madison accounts got hacked and leaked, and it was revealed he, that he had his, one. His email was also on there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that's what like kicked it off, but that was around the time that was he didn't the, get yeah his sister's case got re- released to the press. It is it is frustrating how yeah definitely. The Ashley Madison thing was seen as more of a moral failing than uh, molesting children um, and having tons of child porn. That was definitely like within like the church and within within like mm-hmm. kind of the whole like like church like mm-hmm. network. It, the the Ashley Madison thing was seen as much more of a kind of like a, a, a egregious sin. Well, because that's infidelity, and that's just like that destroys the entire you know nuclear family. Whereas molesting your siblings is just boys doing boy stuff see i i grew up a boy and i never i never did that i kind of yeah, i'm not sure what boys they never is. did that either so anyway uh back could, to, could any real boys write in and let us know <laughs> yeah, please we all need to know this <laughs> back to back to perkins um so perkins was elected uh head chair of the u.s commission on international religious freedom um in 2019 to 2020 which was a an independent bipartisan federal government entity established by U.S. Congress to monitor, analyze, and report on threats to religious freedom. So, who sponsored that fucking bill? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, over the course of this time, he he continued to work at the Family Research Council as well, um, including the annual Family Research Council sponsored uh, Values Voter Summit in 2019. I've been to those, which featured President Trump as a speaker. Um, as well as Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. So yeah, this was uh, the the first time a sitting Health and Human Services Secretary was addressed, uh, like uh, gave an address at at the gathering. Um, at, the, at so also at the 2019 VVS, the Values Voter Summit, uh, they featured an anti-trans panel that illustrated the anti-LGBTQ rights shift to kind of a uh, storytelling as a way to further marginalize trans peoples and like Watch, the battle uh, against J.K. Rowling care. get invited to CPAC next year. Oh God! The uh, the panel hosted like a multiple kind of anti-trans activists. Um, uh, Lynn Mager was there. Um, uh, two of Mager's children identify as trans, and they no longer speak to her. Um, 
Andre Van Mol, the uh, the co-chair of an anti-LGBT hate group, uh, the American College of Pediatricians uh, Committee on Adolescent Sexuality, used used like pseudoscientific claims telling the audience that the uh, that uh, that that dissidence from gender dysphoria is the norm. Calling they, they used this weird problematic study that lumped like that lumped trans kids together with non-trans kids to study this idea of gender identity. It's a whole bunch of like the same like you know how like. They like in the early two thousands. They were they were misusing like research to say like, oh, look how all of these gay people are all also all pedophiles. Also, they have sex with kids more often than adults. Like what? No, it's it's mm. the same. It's this, it's the same type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. They also made the false claim that uh, the majority of trans kids are also like diagnosed with autism, um, which makes it easier for them to be recruited into being transgender because they can be tricked because they're autistic. So this is, so you like, can collect them all. This is like the, the, the Venn diagram of autism caused by vaccines is causing trans yeah. kids. Oh, God. Yeah. Also, also the idea that like trans affirming care causes more dysphoria, which causes more suicide, as opposed to the scientific reasoning that affirming care causes less dysphoria, which causes less suicide. Um, you know, a whole, whole bunch of whole bunch of nonsense stuff. Um, the panel well, I mean, also featured. You can't expect a group that will not acknowledge the fact that having access to birth control as a way to prevent abortions would acknowledge any of this as real either. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. the, the, the panel also f- featured uh, Kathy Grace Duncan from uh, from the Portland, Oregon-based Portland Fellowship, which states that it offers uh, freedom to people from homosexuality. Um, uh, Duncan claims that she detransitioned and is proof that transitioning is always wrong because that she detransitioned, that means it's proof for everybody. That you, everyone right. should. Yes, because trans people are a monolith. Yeah, we're, we're going <laughs> to be talking more about we're going to be talking more about um, the sort of how how people who detransition get weaponized against trans people. And and again, I also I also need to point out like just just immediately that like most people who detransition detransition because they are under immense social pressure too because society mm-hmm. is enormously transphobic. And then there are a small number of people who do who do detransition because it's not for them and good for them. But yeah, they get a very, very small minority of those people basically get used as but you know, weapons by people who don't care about them. Other people get gender affirming surgeries and change their minds about it later. You, there's this whole movement of, you know, women who are getting their breast implants removed. What's the difference? It's the Transphobia. same picture. Oh, yep. Yeah, same picture. Same picture. <laughs> Another really fun, another fun thing I do at least once a year is I go onto the Focus on the Family and Family Research Council websites and Why look do up. Why do that? Look at look at their entire like queer section, and it's really interesting because like po- like pre twenty fifteen, all of them are around like gay people and like is is my kid gay? What to do? What to do if my kid's gay? Is my is my kid showing gay symptoms? Like all this stuff, and then post twenty fifteen, it's all like. The gender issue, you know, oh. the cult of people trying to get your kid to become trans. Is my kid trans? Why is my kid dressing up in girls' clothes? It's like it's it's such a, it's, it's such an immediate yep. shift. How to know if your kid is taxing trans shit? All of this homosexual like fear stuff to immediately being scared about like the a gender identity kind of movement and like the cult of transgenderism. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It is such a stark. Stark change. Heritage Foundation website is the same. I looked up when they added their gender page, and it was in 2017. Yeah, exactly. Like that was yeah. when they started going after trans things. Before that, the only thing was like, oh, well, it's actually okay that there's a pay gap between men and women. And yes. in 2017, they were like trans. No, yeah. From 2015 to 2018, you see a massive explosion in all of these, in all of these like stuff about t- trans and like trans science. 
whether it be like the whether it be like the answers in Genesis, whether it be focus on the family, whether it be kind of the Her- Heritage Foundation, all of this stuff, you can watch watch an immediate shift in the type of stuff that they they start talking about. I, I will just say I am a little glad they're doing that, not for reasons you think, but because this means that there there are kids growing up like we grew up who know that this is an option now. Whereas like that is true, we didn't know that it was an option until we got out. Yeah, it is it's yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, yeah, but you you can see the kind of the switch in stuff. There's a uh, in the uh, in a uh, family research council uh, pamphlet written by Peter Sprague called "How to Respond to the LGBTQ Movement," published in 2018. It says people with gender dysphoria or transgender identities are more likely than the general population to engage in high risk behaviors, which may contribute to psychological disorders or both. High rates of suicide exist among those who have already received gender reassignment surgery, which exists suicidal tendencies result in an underlying pathology. Wait, did um, the same people write the script of Euphoria? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a whole bunch of stuff around like Tom Perkins, Peter Sprigg. If you just look at all of this stuff, it's um, this is su- such a such an explosion. Uh, t- t- Tony Perkins wrote uh, a pamphlet called "I Have a Girl Brain but a Boy Body." Um, for uh for uh for a uh, Virginia kindergartner's uh like a transgender story thing that he was doing around 2019, thing for years LGBTQ activists wanted to keep the goal of luring children into sexual confusion under wraps, but now that they've hoodwinked a lot of the country on their agenda, these extremists no longer have to hide. In fact, they're increasingly bold and even boastful about their real intentions of recruiting kids. So in terms of like. Yeah, it's it's it is an it is an infection. It's a contagion that they're trying to like infect or recruit children. Um, and again, all of that kind of rhetoric is in a post, uh, like in, in a in like a in a pamphlet a call, you know, about about trans being about being trans, saying I have a girl brain but in a boy body. It's like the fact that this rhetoric is happening is is gonna con- is gonna convince kids that they fall prey to it. Like it's this whole it's this whole thing that is such a such a marked kind of change. Um, mm-hmm. you can read, you know, the other titles include stuff like the regressive cult of transgenderism, um, all this kind of stuff talking about our, our country understands that Scientology is a cult, but we don't seem to understand is how the much, how much the trans, how much the transgender movement mirrors cults like Scientology. It's, it's all of, it's all of the same. It's all of the same stuff. And if the transgender cult is a cult is the best cult I've been in yet. Right. Like, I, I feel like we need to add I that can to leave the any time. Nobody will. Nobody will give me shit. I can I can yeah. stop doing my uh, weekly injections whenever I want to. Yeah. And, it's, and you, uh, won't, pretty... you won't lose your friends. No, Amazing. no, I will not. Nope. So anyway, that was putting testosterone on at any point. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of the bulk of the stuff I had gathered around specifically talking about kind of family, family research council and how, you know, the change happened around 2018, 20, 2017, 2016 from all of the stuff around, you know, protecting marriage equality, protecting, you know, the sanctity of marriage to changing. It's like it's the same save the children rhetoric, but now shifted over to gender issues. I mean, they're uh, just moving the ocean window because they can't win on the gay issue anymore. So they've just got to yeah. like keep pushing in that direction. But it's the same organizing forces. It's the same organizations. It's the same mailing lists. It's the same pamphlets. It's the same writers, right? It's all the people who wrote the, all the same stuff. Just moving it over to trans things. So yep. I just wanted to kind of lay this groundwork for us to, when we when we talk about kind of the ongoing legislative fight against trans people in these next few episodes. I just wanted to kind of lay this out for an example of talking about. Yeah, it is really just you know there was 
all these fears around, you know, gay people in the change rooms, gay people in the bathrooms just gets shifted over to trans people in change rooms, trans people in the bathrooms. It's just this, it's the, just moving. It's just the, this, like this turning of the clock that just shifts it over to the transgender o'clock time. I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't mean, know where I was going with that easier. metaphor, but it's yeah. It's easier to like, to pull it, parental rights stuff is on the rise in the, in this community as a talking point. And so it's easier to pull that in with trans issues than it is with gay issues. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think that we are running out of time. Uh, but uh, even Kieran, uh, where can people find you online? Um, our podcast is The Kitchen Table Cult. You can find it at kitchentablecult.com. Um, our handle on Twitter is Kitchen Cult Pod. I'm at Blue Pup Boy on Twitter. And I'm at Eve underscore Ettinger. Um, I would also recommend, like, if you want to have a, like, you know, trans authors take on detransition the novel detransition baby is out there it exists it is again one person's take it's not a monolithic thing but it's a it's a good novel um and then if you want to learn more about the effects of the deconversion therapy universe um gary conley's book boy erased is fucking great yep agreed um i just just want to thank you uh both for coming on to talk about Again, one of one of the most fun topics. Um, our favorite people, n- near and dear to near and dear to all of our hearts, with mm-hmm. yeah, featuring friend, f- friends of the pod, James Dobson, and his urge to take his kids in the shower with them to compare penises, and our good friend uh, Josh Duggar. Um, save so, the babies yeah. to your hard drive. Save, save the children. <laughs> Not like that. Not like that. All right, that's the that's the episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about the war against trans people. I'm your host, Christopher Wong. In February, a camp of indigenous and ecological protesters attempting to stop the Thacker Pass lithium mine in Nevada was thrown into chaos over an unexpected issue transphobia. Two of the camp activists, including a man who had volunteered to act as an attorney for the group, were revealed to be members of another organization called Deep Green Resistance, or DGR. Nominally, Deep Green Resistance is an ecological organization dedicated to destroying industrial society to preserve the environment through promoting the destruction of dams and other infrastructure. Deep Green Resistance has found little success on this front, but they have been much more successful in spreading the other core of their ideology militant, ruthless, and fanatical transphobia. When the indigenous protesters at Thacker Pass discovered the two's membership in DGR and their resultant transphobia, they were furious. Falk, the DGR lawyer who had offered to represent the protesters, was kicked off the case, and the presence of the two DGR members was used by Lithium America as a weapon against the protesters. This is a familiar cycle for Deep Green Resistance. Soon after its founding in 2011, the group fully embraced radical feminism, staking out a position in an old debate inside the feminist movement raging since the 1970s over whether trans women are in fact women. These feminists, I use the term loosely here, became known as trans-exclusionary radical feminists, or TERFs. Their heroes were people like Janice Raymond, author of the vehemently transphobic screed The Transsexual Empire. Raymond, whose Bayeful influence we will return to next episode, was largely ran out of the mainstream American feminist movement with the rest of her turf companions. A similar fate would befall Deep Green Resistance. Ecological activists in groups like Earth First, Greenpeace, the IWW, and the broader green anarchist movement, cis and trans alike, ran DGR out of the ecological left for their transphobia and waged an incredibly successful no-platforming campaign against DGR's founders, Derek Jensen and Leary Keith. Driven from the left so thoroughly they were reduced to slinking into protest camps in secret only to be expelled upon discovery, members of Deep Green Resistance moved right, and increasingly to other countries, to seek an audience for the transphobic bile. Leary Keith founded a turf organization called the Women's Liberation Front, or WOLF. More on them later. This brings us to turf extraordinaire Jennifer Billick. Billick had been a member of Deep Green Resistance in charge of booking appearances for Derek Jensen. The success of the no-platforming campaign waged by the left convinced her that trans people were secretly backed by a conspiracy of billionaires. This idea spread like wildfire across the UK and, as we'll discuss next episode, Mexico. 
To understand what happened in the UK, we spoke with Krista Peterson, a graduate student at USC who, at significant personal cost, confronted the rise and spread of transphobia in the English-speaking world. Krista, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you. I guess I wanted to start with Jennifer Billick and talking a bit about how 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 she sort of moved into increasingly increasingly transphobic territory and I guess how she started moving into the sort of follow the money conspiracy theories that she's been peddling for the past several years now. Yeah, so I give you her narrative of this, um, which is that in 2013, I think she was supposed to be on a panel um, about, I think, trans people um, that was uh, canceled because of pushback. Um, and then because of that, she thought, what is the big force behind this? And then got into it from there. Um, but she has really, I think you know that Deep Green Resistance was kind of into um, focusing on trans people yep. for a while. Um, but she really has gone from an environmental activist to someone who is just solely focused on trans people. It's basically all she is ever talking about. Um, and she's kind of, she started as opposing this kind of existential threat um, that was real, which was ecological destruction and climate yep. change. <laughs> um, and she has kind of maintained that tenor in the shift where now she's um, portraying this as an existential threat, but instead of climate change, it's trans people. Yeah. So the way she got into the money, um, she's just a very prolific kind of at-home researcher, um, and she kind of had this anti-corporate mindset going in from her background, and she she produces a lot of research. Um, there's not that many people in the gender critical movement who are really producing a lot of original content. And so when someone is, there's really, they can get a lot of uptake from that. Um, her, main, her first thing was actually a Federalist article um, about who are the rich white men institutionalizing transgender ideology. Um, and just by being a pretty big platform, I think that got some big initial distribution. I think that was how people initially started seeing her kind of beyond the deep green resistance type audience. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's one of the things that, that's been very interesting to me studying this, is that you, you see this a lot. You, you see a lot of people who were sort of run out of the left by their transphobia, like pivoting really hard right and then using right-wing media platforms and using sort of also right-wing political backing to start pushing this stuff. And I think, yeah, Bill, Bill looks an interesting example to me because, yeah, she... I guess you talk a bit about this more. I mean, she, she has this weird. Okay, so she, she she has two weird angles. She has the weird transhumanism angle, <laughs> and then she has this like incredibly like what becomes like an increasingly anti-Semitic angle. Yeah. So where she so she's following the money is the original thing. Where she follows the money too is um, trans rights are a conspiracy to usher in transhumanism. Um, so her thing is, she often says, transgender is an ad campaign for transhumanism. Um, this is a quote. To get people comfortable with actual merging with machines slash AI, there must be a complete dissociation from biological reality. Uh, so it's just, you see this a lot with conspiracy theories, I think. 
where you have this kind of like metaphorical goal, right? Where it's all about getting people to dissociate from their bodies. It's like not very clear what that looks like on an actual causal level. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's the big goal, right? Um, and they, they need a big goal. It's, there's kind of this mysterious part of this like, supposed conspiracy um, that is trans rights, which is like, what is this for? Right? They, lots of people now are accepting that there's like this big dark money push behind it, um, which raises the question, why? why? What, what is this doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the answers are kind of kooky, right? And so <laughs> this one has caught on more than I would have expected. Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> it's so <Like>. weird. <laughs> they kind of walk into it slowly, right? They start off and it's, they think there's something weird with trans rights. Um, and they have, it's very common for them to think that their opponents don't really believe their beliefs. Um, that something is up. And <laughs> for some reason, all these people are supporting trans rights when they know it's bad. <laughs> then you need a, you need something to go in there to explain why, and this is a narrative that fits with Billick's worldview. You know, you can see how someone with her background would get here. It's kind of unusual for all these ladies from the UK now to believe that trans people are a transhuman conspiracy, but <laughs> they needed something to go there as the goal, so they picked it up. Yeah, I guess I guess we should get into mumsnet a little bit because mumsnet's a really weird like specifically uk thing that i don't know if there's like there's not really an american equivalent to it like i guess it's like it's like it's like what if you took the worst parts of facebook and next door i guess yeah can you talk a little bit about like what mumsnet is and how this stuff started started seeping into it yeah, so this is part of this bigger question, which is like, why in the UK has this yeah. taken off so much in the way it has? Uh, a, a big part of that story is Mumsnet, um, which is a website for moms um, to ask kind of parenting questions. Um, and it's really widely used, I think, especially among this kind of like white, upper middle class, educated population. Uh, a lot of people are on Mumsnet. And it's kind of a trusted website for a lot of familial type things, like advice about what to do when your kid has lice, things like that. Um, and Mumsnet has become just like the main infection point, I think, in the gender critical movement in the UK. With why it happens more generally, I think you have to look at it as kind of part of this global resurgence in fascism around the same time period. It's like the mid 2010s on. Um, you know, like the most obvious instances of that have the kind of traditional fascist targets and ideals. Um, I think what's essential is this kind of logic that you really see in the gender critical movement also, um, which is you have this kind of background climate of anxiety and fear. Then you get this narrative that minorities are rising up against you. You've lost something. Your identity used to give you a special status, and now they're taking it from you, and you have to fight back. Um, and it's just, they've kind of switched out like what the big identity is, who the minorities are, what the special status is um, with this more feminist thing. Um, but it really does have that kind of internal logic in the same way. Um, and I think you just had this kind of moment globally where 
you had the kind of background emotional state that was ripe for fascism in a lot of ways. And then this ideology was just infectious in that way. And then in Bum's Night, it was able to catch, um, and it really provided, provided it with this place where it could really grow um, into this kind of unusual demographic group for a kind of fascist movement. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's, there's, there's an interesting, I think there's another, the other interesting thing to me about it is like, I don't know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of, yeah, wh- why specifically the UK and why the US doesn't have this. And I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I, I guess one, one explanation for it partly is like the US is so much more religious than the UK is. And a lot of these people sort of would have been evangelicals in like in the US. But, but yeah, I think, the, the, the Mumsnet angle's interesting to me in that it really seems like because there's so few people publishing anything that's even remotely tangible, like a, a very, very small number of actors were able to very quickly radicalize people. And I, and I think, I don't know, and, and, and I think it's interesting that like, like people like Jesse Singal, like I think wind up being much more influential in the UK than they are in the US, even though they're getting sort of published in, in, in these US publications, because there's sort of, I don't know, I guess there's, there's this like hunger for it on mom's night, like for, for anything that sort of supports this worldview in a way that there's kind of wasn't in the US. I think part of why, like the why UK question, there's some part of it that's just kind of by chance mom's night existed and was, a place where it could really take off. Um, but I think also to some extent, like you were alluded to, I think kind of part of the relevant group in the U.S. is I think a little more inoculated against this stuff. I mean, that it doesn't really have the same initial appeal among women who would like to construe, construe themselves as feminists um, mm. because many, many Americans see anti-trans stuff and immediately um, connect it to like the religious right. Um, yeah. So it doesn't, it, you don't really get the initial way into it where, you know, you come across this thing presenting trans people as you know, encroaching on your space and taking something from you. And for us, we see that and it's like, oh yeah, bathroom bill laws. They really just had this a few years ago and it was this right-wing religious thing. Like, we know what this is. The UK has kind of had a more prominent turf activism for a little while in that Julie Bindle has kind of yeah. long been a thing there. Um, but it wasn't really catching in the same way it has now really caught. Yeah, I guess, I mean, one of the other things that I was talking, I had an interesting conversation that sadly didn't wind up getting recorded, but I was talking with <laughs> some Mexican feminists, uh, like trans feminists about this. And one of the things they were saying was the way like talking about the way like intersectionality is a framework and the, the fact that there is, there is an incredibly strong black feminist current in the U S insulated like the, the main line of, of American feminism from this stuff in a way that didn't really happen in the UK because the, like the, the black feminist movement there is just not as strong and not as sort of mainstream. And that has this knock on effect, I guess, where like you get, you know, without an intersectionality framework, it's, it's easier to have this sort of like totalizing like identity of like the woman as like a, a, a thing that's just one object that you can like pin down to biological markers instead of having to sort of like look at all of the different actual 
like relations that are going on. Yeah, so my read on them is that most of them are not really, were not pre-existing feminists. Um, they were not people who were very interested in women's rights and then kind of took this turn. Um, my impression is that they're largely people who really started identifying as feminists once they, that could be a guise to kind of take hmm. things out on trans people. Um, and I think probably why it was able to get so big on Mumsnet. So eventually the women's rights forum on Mumsnet, which is just one of the subboards in addition to all the childcare stuff, um, just became almost all anti-trans stuff. Right. And so that is partially that this stuff was popular. Um, but I also, I think that, you know, normal mainstream feminist stuff wasn't as popular and they weren't getting a lot of engagement on normal, important feminist issues. Um, and instead this was what, their user base was really going for. It's really striking, I think, how there's exceptions, um, but in general, the big gender critical people talk very, very little about yeah. normal feminist issues. It's like, yeah. this is the thing <laughs> they care about just all the time. Yeah, that, and I, yeah, that, that's definitely a pattern with turfs. Where it's like, yeah, once 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 you're a turf, like this is the only thing you care about. Like you don't you don't do. Yeah, I mean, I guess like one of one of the we'll talk more about this in the next episode. But one of the sort of big like flagship things in in like with the UK and Ireland was like a bunch of the turfs getting extremely mad at. <laughs> the at at these and at the at the pro like at the 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 pro-abortion uh activists in uh uh in ireland because they weren't being turfs and so (laughs) yeah the the turfs were like no 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 we're gonna like try to sabotage this act the actual feminist movement trying to get access to abortions because we're turfs and they're not yeah they could be really vindictive against women who they say are like selling out women's rights by focusing on anything other than the tiny percent of the population that is trans is like the one issue you're allowed to focus on. And if you say like, no, please, please leave us alone. We're focusing on something else. (laughs) Really do not take that well. I guess the other thing I wanted to ask about was because i think the other thing that happened in the uk that only really started happening in the u.s like pretty recently and even then was kind of like it it, it was an event in like a way that i don't know how much it was in the uk is the the extent to which like people like jk rowling and like the the sort the sort of mainstream of British famous people and and like British British journalists and stuff like that like like start started rallying around this stuff yeah, this is, it's been wild <laughs> for me seeing, I like don't think super highly of the American media, but seeing how much worse the British media is, has yeah. been really wild. I, they just have been publishing stuff, things like the Times of London have been are the worst, right? More conservative outlets are especially bad. Um, but even, you know, like The Guardian has in some, BBC has in some, uh, but these things are just kind of, like demonstrably false coverage of trans rights stuff that just gives a lot of credence to this transphobic movement. Um, <laughs> kind of this like near blackout of you know, serious consideration of what trans people are experiencing um, and what their actual position on this stuff is. It's just really grim, I think. 
I think yeah. part of it is maybe that Mom's Net did have this reach to a lot of people who are like professionals. Their audience is pretty professional, and it was this kind of trusted website where this got normalized a lot. The last thing I wanted to talk about before um, we go to break is, do you want to talk about Kathleen Stock and that whole thing a little bit? Yes. Okay. Also, we should talk about, uh, we should connect Billick to Mumsnet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, um, yeah, we should do that first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that is, there was, you know, Mumsnet started, um, I think the initial narrative was kind of trans people are being really unreasonable. They're really demanding. They're infringing on our status. Um, this is the thing that was more localized about this group that it was easy to cast as unreasonable. Um, and they were able to take kind of a victim stance relative to them. And then the, 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 it just kind of kept escalating, right? It just kind of like shifted to more and more of this kind of content. And then eventually there, you know, there really was a great appetite for this kind of anti-trans content. And it just got increasingly conspiratorial, I think. Um, so people at this point, I think almost everyone in the gender critical movement thinks that there's dark money behind trans rights. They think it's like some kind of astroturf movement for who knows what. Lots of them will say the goal is like selling, you know, hormones and surgery to people. Um, yeah. which not, what? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's just, like, uh, yeah. It's uh, for funding, you know, a global conspiracy is like pretty expensive. And it's like, the most plausible way to yeah. get an audience for this kind of thing. Um, but Jennifer Billick is one of relatively few people again, doing this kind of deep research. Um, and so it's just kind of the kind of thing they were looking for. And they have pretty minimal bullshit filters about what they're willing to see. Um, it, it's just pretty rare that they will see a source that seems to be on their side and be like, no, there's something wrong with this. Um, and so she increasingly got fans. And now a lot of people hear her stuff secondhand, I think. They're not directly yeah. reading her, but people are repeating her. And so much of her stuff now is part of the just the background of this movement. Like There's this woman, Martine Rothblatt, um, who was a just kind of like random rich woman um, who was, she was involved in kind of early trans rights activism um, and kind of moved on and got interested in transhumanism stuff instead. She's like kind of a strange lady. Um, and she is interested in transhumanism stuff and rich um, and is not the architect of the trans rights movement. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, they just all think that this person has this central role. Um, and when you see them talking about her, it is Jennifer Billick's influence. Um, and they just don't have, they just don't have any defenses against kind of increasingly radicalized stuff. And when I started kind of looking into Jennifer and I started seeing her get, you know, when you see people talking about a conspiracy of people like George Soros, Jennifer Pritzker, both yep. Jewish. Um, Rothblatt is also Jewish. <laughs> yeah, <they're, laughs> 
there's a red flag. And in conspiracy spaces, it just kind of tends towards anti-Semitism if you're yeah. not on the lookout yeah. for it and if you're not defending against it. And Billick's not. And she has gotten increasingly into anti-Semitic side of things um, up to the point where she was boosting Heath Woods, who is just a Nazi, um, his content that was largely inspired by her work um, about the Jews behind the transgender movement um, and just taking, kind of going from this kind of non-explicit anti-Semitic conspiracy theory where you have this group of people who happen to be largely filled with Jewish people kind of orchestrating this global conspiracy to explicitly naming the Jew and saying, no, this is a Jewish movement. Um, and yeah, and she just like followed it all the way. Um, and there was some, when I started making a big deal about this, you know, there was some pushback from the gender critical movement. Um, but largely, I, they think I'm like a bad faith actor, right? I'm the enemy. And so <laughs> they're not going to take anything I say really seriously. Um, but also, I was really struck by how some of them were arguing with me about this Keith Woods video that was, you know, about how this was just a Jewish plot and why the Jewish religion would inspire you to do something like this. Um, they're saying, no, this isn't anti-Semitic. There's nothing, you, you know, it's just, it's very interesting. It's about Judaism uh, because they already believed all the background stuff, right? They thought that there was, in fact, this conspiracy that's populated by people who happen to be Jewish. And so then when you take the explicit step, it's, they're like, well, yeah, there's a interesting question, right? Why are all these people Jewish? Yep. And they just go in all yep. the way. Right? It's Nazi kind of, real fast. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, I just in general, the movement is like, just really not have good defenses against this kind of stuff at all. And yeah, this kind of conspiratorial stuff will take you there if you yep. don't have defenses against it. It's just a, a very old road that goes in exactly that direction and is ready for you if you start getting into this stuff and aren't watching out for it. Yeah, all right. So let, let's, 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 let's talk about Kathleen Stock, philosophy's horror child. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, not just Kathleen, but you have... One of the things that is noteworthy about the movement, I think, is you have these, uh, this unusual prominence of academics, mm-hmm. one of them being Kathleen Stock, maybe the most prominent now being Kathleen Stock, um, but also like Rosa Freeman and Selena Todd. Yeah. Um, and you have this kind of academic face of it. And it's very interesting, I think, how that works. Um, and that these people are in generally not doing kind of substantive research on anything related to this. Um, Instead, what I see is, you know, stuff starts out in the community. Um, It's like on Mumsnet, it's on Twitter. And then Kathleen Stock picks it up, right? She is getting her stuff kind of from Mumsnet and stuff. And then she's legitimizing it, right? It's like, oh, this is what these fancy professors think. And then... Centrally, their role is claiming that there are all these serious issues, you know, on the basis of their academic status um, and saying that trans people aren't willing to discuss it. You know, trans people are shutting down debate. They're being silenced. Um, It gives it this legitimacy that the 
movement, I think, really capitalizes on. Yeah, which I think with stock in particular, so, you know, the, 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 by part, part of what's happening is like the, the, the anti-trans movement kind of like moves between different conservative panics. And so like, like the modern one, they're on the Save the Children panic. But when stock was sort of like getting big and you can see this with the, the, sort of the, the end of her career arc, uh, which we'll get to in a second, but she was big on the whole sort of like, like conservative uh, college cancel, like college free speech crisis, like can, I guess to, sort of cancel culture also, but yeah, the, she, she was really big on the, on the whole, like, yeah, the conservatives are being silenced or like, not even conservatives. Like I, I think she was kind of doing the like liberal centrist thing, but, but she was, yeah, she's, she was, doing all these censorship claims and then turning around and just actually censoring people. And it was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gave a talk, um, at Sussex, um, Kelly Sussex university, uh, that I, I believe she tried to have canceled. <laughs> yeah. um, <which> is, <laughs> come on. <laughs> it was just kind of interesting. Right. Cause I, initially this talk was um, kind of scheduled as a protest at the same time as one of her, as a talk she was going to give on a related topic. Um, and then she canceled her talk. So I thought she might come to mine, right? <laughs> like, free debate, like, ask me questions. And I was like, okay. Uh, but of course she didn't, right? Because instead, seemingly tried to just get it shut down. <laughs> and, yeah. But the, I think this is, yeah, it's one kind of, the cancel culture thing is kind of one element. Uh, but I think it's really central in a lot of their stuff. Um, in that the, the kind of in the background of other stuff is like, you know, somehow the consensus has been controlled and like, it's the result of like the truth not being heard and people not considering all these important things that they need to consider kind of from care for trans youth to, you know, trans women being able to use the bathroom. It's kind of across all this, they're running this narrative that the truth has been silenced and, you know, trans people have, are being unreasonable and have shut it down I think that is a pretty foundational the the, yeah. the overall narrative they've built. Yeah, and and it and you see this as like this is one of the ways they try to I guess wrest the mantle of authority back from literally every actual medical <laughs> group who all agree that you should actually let kids transition and you should let adults transition and that this is in fact good and like a, a thing that medically is, is like, I mean, I'm not going to say. Yeah. I mean, this uh, is, yeah, this is a huge deal, right? So like Kathleen Sock is a philosopher, right? And so she started off, her first thing was like, something is afoot in academic philosophy you know, academic philosophers aren't debating whether trans women are women in the way that they should. Um, and this idea that the debate's being silenced in philosophy, you know, it like doesn't have really important consequences, I think. The idea that like all mainstream research on trans healthcare and like what is in the good, the best interests of trans kids, being able to delegitimize that is really serious. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is just has these tremendous consequences. And I think they've been able to be pretty effective on that too. Yeah. And, and that's been really scary in a lot of ways because you, you see like the, the arguments that these people pioneered and the sort of 
the techniques and the, 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 the groups that they're a part of, like, wind up being core parts of, of the anti-trans push in both the UK and the US. And, yeah, that's extremely scary. It's really scary. I mean, it's just... It's just awful, right? These are these are children, and for them to become the focus of this kind of hate movement is just horrifying. It's just awful. And the you know the history of healthcare for gender nonconforming kids is really grim. Yeah, and it's and like they are just pushing to kind of go back there, and it's just ghastly. It's really horrifying to see yeah I, I guess I think that's a that's a good point we can I, I, this is this would probably be the second ad break but yeah uh, do you know what else is horrifying ads and we're back um what, one, one of the scariest parts, I think, of, of what was happening in the UK was the extent to which, I mean, not just mainstream uh, British media gets involved in this, but I mean, literally the BBC, which is, which is the, you know, this, this, is, this is the state media organization, right, starts to just push unbelievably transphobic articles out as just regular content. Um... I think I think the, probably the most famous one is, yeah, in in, in October of twenty twenty one, the BBC publishes this article that's called "We're Being Pressured into Sex by Some Trans Women." That is just an just just an absolutely appalling uh, uh, display of of transphobia. Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? And yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so the boy. this article was framed around the question: Is a lesbian transphobic if she does not want to have sex with trans women? Some lesbians say they are increasingly being pressured and coerced into accepting trans women as partners. Um, and so the the overarching perspective in the piece that you get is that this is a significant problem among lesbians. They are experiencing sexual pressure from trans women. Um, the kind of reporting strategy that the reporter used was, you know, just soliciting this one kind of particular narrative from lesbians who said that they had had these kind of experiences with trans women. Um, the people who are quoted in the article who aren't anonymous are gender critical people. Right there, like Rose of Dawn, Debbie Hayden, and then there's these anonymous women who we don't know who they are. Um, but it's not, they didn't go and approach, you know, normal like mainstream lesbian activists or lesbian organizations to see like what they were experiencing in the community, right? There's kind of no perspective just from any kind of mainstream lesbian organizations yeah, like, at that, all. That was, that, that was one of the things that like sort of was, was haunting about this. Like this journalist is working on this for ages. Like, I think it was like years she spent time, trying to find yeah. this. And like, like she was specifically trying to find this people, these people, like people who like had experienced a specific thing and like no normal, like she couldn't find normal people because it's not a thing. 
and so she she it after like many many years she was able to find like a couple of examples like a few examples and mostly from yeah just open transphobes and the article is just like so conceptually sloppy that it doesn't distinguish you know theoretical discourse about whether you know it's transphobic to just say out of hand you would never date a trans woman it doesn't distinguish this from like, sexual abuse. Yeah. Right? It just kind of takes for granted that they're just saying in kind of an abstract theoretical context um, that some of these, like, just saying that you won't ever sleep with a trans woman, saying that that is transphobic is ex- itself treated as akin to pressuring someone into sex, right? <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> journalism that doesn't distinguish between just a conversation about sexual issues and sexual abuse is just disastrous. There's just nothing serious about this piece. And it's just kind of throughout it. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Like, like, one of the other things uh, about this is... That, so, they, they, they found, like, a survey, right? Because the, 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 the journalist went looking for a survey about, like, how, like, what percentage of lesbians have, like, encountered this, encountered this pressure. And the only thing they could find was... Well, okay. The only thing they could find that would, like, support their actual claim was this, this poll from this group called uh, get out the L, which is just like a group that whose entire purpose is just being anti-trans people and trying to get rid of them. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just like, it was like, it was like a Twitter poll. Right. So it was like they're, they're, they're publishing as, as statistical evidence for their claim, a Twitter poll from a, from a turf group and trying to like claim this is serious journalism. And it's just, yeah, I mean, so literally on the page of the statistic they cite in this report, um, the report approvingly cites Janice Raymond saying, quote, all transsexuals rape women's bodies by reducing the real female form to an artifact. And so, like, are we talking about metaphors here or are we talking about sexual abuse? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just sick, right? And so one of the people who was interviewed in this um was Lily Cade, yeah. um, who was an adult performer. Uh, and again, throughout this, just a trans woman saying that the way someone is treating her in a sexual context is transphobic is itself treated as sexually abusive. Um, and so Lily Cade, you know, she refused to, I think initially she refused to um, be in a scene um, with a trans woman. But then later on also refused to um, shoot a trans woman at all um, when she was working as a producer. Um, so they kind of get a quote from Lily, you know, saying something about women being pressured into sex by trans women. And it turns out that Lily Cade was pushed out of the adult industry because she's like a serial rapist. Right. So this is their source on whether there's this problem for a cis woman is herself a cis woman who is a serial rapist right and they're using this person to portray trans women as the victimizers and it's just so grim yeah there's so much of it is just sort of like haunting like one of the other things that came out was like part of the story is that they said that like no prominent trans women would speak with them for the story and then a prominent trans woman was like no you guys interviewed me and then didn't include it in the article yeah so this was um yeah one of the people who lily kate had had a conflict with was chelsea poe um 
another woman in porn who had asked if Lily, um, if she could work for Lily's company. And Lily said no, because she was trans. So they talked. Chelsea was, like, is a reasonably prominent person. Um, and they interviewed her, didn't include her in the article. She says that she told them that Lily had this predatory past. They also didn't say anything about that. And so we have a situation where we have this person who is a cis woman who the author has been told is a serial sexual predator being presented as kind of an authority on women's sexual victimization, supposedly by trans women, when she is the victimizer. Yeah. <laughs> and not only is she a serial sexual predator, uh, but she's like specifically attacked people in bathrooms. Yeah. Right? Which is like the yeah, famous the fear-mongering transphobic thing, right? Is that trans people are going to attack you in the bathroom. You know, because your source has attacked people in bathrooms. And there's just very little interest in like how women are actually victimized and by who. Yeah. And, and I think like that, that to me is the disturbing part of it. It's like, this isn't just like a negligence of reporting thing here. This is just malice. Like if, if, if you are told, and the thing is like, it, it's not, it's not like it was hard to like find out that, that, you know, if okay. So someone, someone tells you that someone else is, is, is a, an abuser, right? It's like, okay. Like maybe you're a journalist. Maybe you're going to be like, Oh, I should check this out. Like Lily Cage assaulted so many people and like raped so many people that like just scrolling through Twitter, I found multiple people who had been abused by her. Like yes. this was this was not something that was like like she she admitted it publicly. This is not something that was like hard to find, right? Yeah, and, so, and yes. The BBC, to be clear, she yeah. I just want to underline that, which is that Lily Kay did after these accusations really got going, she did like publicly admit she did not deny yeah. the accusations, and then she retired from porn. Yeah, and 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 you know, and this is something like the, the BBC does this. They they do this weird backtracking after this article comes out, and everyone gets extremely mad at them. But they 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 refused to release the like the tape of the interview they had did with Chelsea Poe, which you know would have proved that Chelsea Poe did in fact tell them that Lily Cade was a rapist, and they published the story anyways. And there's there's so much of this stuff where it's like yeah, like the, the they the, the the way they backtrack about it, the way that also like so the two places where this thing where the story ran was uh, the BBC in Britain, and they syndicated it out to Brazil and oh, a few other places that were like that are incredibly transphobic and it ran that like just really yeah and this stuff, this stuff like right in brazil like ran as a bunch of mainstream news headlines like where like news stories in the major newspapers like ran this and, and, and it was i don't know like there, there's 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 this extent to which yeah like you're watching british state media decide that they actively just want to go to war on trans people and they literally just do not care <laughs> that like they are you know, publishing little rapists. And then... Yeah, I just... just The BBC's policy, you know, is when we interview those responsible for antisocial behavior or crime, it may just cause distress to victims, and we should contact victims and advise them of our plans. You know, when a viewing criminals, care must be taken to minimize potential distress this may cause to victims of the crime. And... You know, this, they, they didn't see Lily as this applying to her, Right. This is a cis woman who they have been told is a sexual predator. You can find this information. I found it pretty quickly 
all of these victims talking about it, her acknowledging it, and they didn't identify this uh, cis woman as a predator with victims who would be like very plausibly upset by seeing their rapist treated as an authority on yeah. sexual abuse, right? And this yeah. is kind of pervasive, I think, in the gender critical movement, right? Where it, if any of you are out there, I'm sure you're thinking women can't be rapists. Rape requires a penis, which is in the UK. It's kind of a, you know, most feminists consider this a pretty reactionary way to define rape, uh, where it has to be um, penetration with a penis. And I think this isn't reflective of, you know, how women experience sexual assault, that it's just kind of totally other category. Um, and most countries, <laughs> feminists, I think, consider it quite important that you don't kind of treat this as this like categorically different offense. Um, but the gender critical movement really pushes this perspective where it is literally impossible for women to, to commit rape. You know, and this is, they think that when they, there's a brief period where they thought that they had um, identified like that every rape that was recorded as committed by a woman was a trans woman um, because they thought that it required a penis and they thought that that was like the only way that this was possible. And it took, you can actually be convicted of it if you were like aiding and abetting. I think they thought that they had all of these statistics and they just have this overall perspective where it is literally impossible for, you know, they say a woman, meaning for them a cis woman to commit a sexual offense. And in doing this, they create cover for cis woman predators like Lily yeah. Kay. It, it creates this context where their victimization just disappears. People can't even acknowledge it. Yep. It's awful. And yeah. And like, I think like the, the extent to which this whole movement is, is, is built on violence and is built. I mean, there are so many people that the, that the gender critical people work with who are abusers. There are, you know, and I want to like, I want to come back to like the last piece of the Lily Cade thing, which is that after this article came out, the BBC initially basically didn't do anything, right? Even after the, the rape out. The, 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 yes. Yeah. And then Lily Cade published one of, like, one of the most transphobic things I've ever encountered in my life. Like, a, a, a just this... I, I, it, it, it gets called a manifesto. Like I don't. It think was that's a, like a manifesto. It was terrifying. Yeah, like <laughs> she, she's, she, she's explicitly like, like, like names specific trans women that she wants lynched. Like there's a bunch of stuff about there's people she wants raped. Uh, she wants like she wants all trans people to die. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of there's like weirdly racist stuff. There's like. It, I mean, it's, it's it's just it's 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 it it is a document that calls for genocide, and the part where it's calling for genocide probably isn't like line for line the most disturbing part of it because the individual threats are like so graphic. And no, I, <laughs> I was terrified when I read this. I I was the person who, you know, initially dug up the sexual abuse allegations, and when I did it, I knew it would kind of. It would throw a wrench into her life, I thought. And that they hadn't, you know, they were there, they were visible, you could find them. But when it had happened, she had not really been a in the mainstream eye. And so I knew if this got uptake, it would make it bigger. And 
went ahead and they said, and then you know, this woman is posting this terrifying manifesto. It read like, yeah, it was like, is she like, shooting someone now? It was just so, it was just terrifying. It was like something to be written, you know, immediately before someone goes and shoots someone. It was just all, and then she's tweeting it and tagging the BBC in it. Yeah, and like that, that finally, like, one of the most disturbing things I've ever read in my life, like that was finally the thing where the BBC was like, uh, maybe we should do something about this. It was just so, so little, right? This is, they took her out of the article. <laughs> um, they added an update that says, we have updated this article published last week to remove a contribution from one individual in light of comments she has published on a blog post in recent days, which we have been able to verify. We acknowledge that an admission of inappropriate behavior by the same contributor should have been included in the original article. And so this is, you know, they just kind of erased her, right? So they didn't acknowledge that they had included this person in the article who just published this genocidal rant, yeah. right? So one of their sources is the person who is advocating for killing trans people. That is important, right? That is pertinent to this yeah. narrative they're pushing. And they also are not saying, you know, they should have, we acknowledge that an admission of inappropriate behavior should have been included in the original article. It really changes the overall narrative of the article, right? If you acknowledge this cis woman is a serial predator, yeah. right? The, the overall picture is like cis women are at risk from trans women. And it's a reality check, right? To hear, no, in fact... <laughs> this woman who we're presenting as like victimized is one of the women who is preying on people and she's not a trans woman. <laughs> and it's just, they just, you know, even after this responded in a way that protected the narrative of the piece, yeah. right? They, were, they weren't going to let in anything that acknowledged this, the people they're finding with this position are transphobic. <laughs> This person was very, and the thing, it just says, they've removed the contribution in light of comments she has published. What kind yeah. of comments? What are they about? And it's serious, right? It's serious to not acknowledge that one of their sources is a violent transphobe. <laughs> yeah. It, this is how I found out that she was alive. Also, the, them saying that they had been able to verify it. Before that, I'd been like, she's not very online in a lot of cases. Um, so I was really worried. I didn't know how long it was going to be before, you know, there was confirmation that, like, in fact, Lily Kate had not just shot someone and herself. Yeah. And it, it, was, it was just really, this manifesto was terrifying. I don't know. It's just awful. Yeah, and I think, you know, one one of the things that that's happening here is you you get to see that there's a couple of like there's a couple there's like layers at which this stuff operates. So you have you know you have your BBC running delegitimization right, but then you have the stuff beneath it which is just apparently genocidal. And I think, you know, in some sense, like with like Lily Cade, like if if you're gonna be a turf, Lily Cade kind of blew it right because like you can't like 
okay, like the, you, the, you can be really, really transphobic in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but like, you know, actively calling people to get lynched is a thing that like, even like transphobes are, are normally like, wait, what, why are you? Yeah. And, they didn't and, like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I, but I, I don't think like the, the, the mainstream turf movement is not in a place where you can do stuff like that. But in some ways I think, you know, the, the, the stuff that's more moderate is more dangerous. The last thing I want to talk about is a, a document called the Declaration of, on Women's Sex-Based Rights, which was was put together by a, a bunch of turf activists, uh, fairly prominently featuring uh, uh, arch-Australian turf, Sheila Jeffries. But yeah, can you, can you talk a bit about like what this is and... <laughs> Yeah, so this is a document that basically all of the gender-critical organizations and mainstream people have signed, um, and it is extreme. Right? It calls for trans women to be banned from all women's spaces, um, including toilets, which, you know, if, if women can't go to the bathroom, they can't participate in society, right? It's just like a basic need people to have to exist in public, um, and that it bans all, it asks to ban all internationally recommended healthcare for trans children. Yeah. Um, it has to legally protect deliberate misgendering, um, which would, you know, allow you to be just treated with like, such hostility, like at work, just in public. This is a, just kind of a direct assault on trans people's ability to exist with dignity in society and just live normal lives. And, you know, a lot of gender-critical people will say, will portray themselves, you know, as only opposing advances for trans rights, you know, as not wanting trans rights to be rolled back. Um, but what this document calls for is, like, basically every right trans people have to exist in their genders, in particular trans women, and especially trans, trans women, um, to just take it all back right, and leave them with basically nothing yeah yeah like this is like they, they have this whole thing about like basically like they want to erase the concept of gender identity from yes law which is like the thing that does is it eliminates all trans people from I, I, like it eliminates trans people as a thing that the law recognizes exists and thinks should have protections it's like it's it's it it, 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 it is you know <laughs> Like it, it, it is, it is the legal genocide of trans people. Like that, that's, yeah, it, that's, that's what it is. It's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so they've basically all signed this. Yeah. You know, it is a, yeah, it, it's, this is not at all a fringe document. It pos- positions itself as like, you know, the demands kind of, of this movement and it's extreme. Um, the organization's spokeswoman is Kara Dansky. Um, who uses almost all of her public appearances. She has a number of times been on Tucker Carlson. Um, and she boosts Jennifer Billick all the time. She, I think, is her biggest supporter um, and was formerly the chair of Wolf, um, which is Lear Keith's organization. Um, yeah, so she the, is... The Women's Liberation <laughs> Front is what yes. WOLF stands for. It is a cool name for an org that sucks and they should give it back <laughs> to someone better. Yeah, so this is... I mean, in general, you see the American turfs kind of in this more radical 
direction. Um, also, especially explicitly collaborating with the right. Um, and here they've made this document that just purports to, and everyone has signed it, kind of like direct the overall agenda to one that just leaves trans people with just no protections at all. Yeah, and I think I think it's you know the 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 reason I think this is in a lot of ways like more dangerous than a Lily Cade thing is again it's it's in this like it's not actually in legalese because none of these people are lawyers. Karadansky so, is. Oh, lawyer. Oh, so wait, they, how how did an actual lawyer? I mean, okay, I shouldn't be asking how did an actual lawyer produce this because I've met lawyers and they're they're not they are not as smart and above board as as they portray themselves to be. But yeah, like it, it, this stuff isn't making legal arguments. Like one one of the things that they they've like I guess the whole sort of gender critical like turf movement has invented is like this this concept of sex based rights, which is just not a thing. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like they, they, they all think that there's like rights that you have because of your sex. And like, no, this doesn't exist. They completely made this up. They keep on like referring to it as if it's like a concept that exists in the law. And like, it, it, none of this stuff, like in, in terms of legalese, it's like, it, it's nothing. It's, 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 it's a jumble of words. Yeah, no, you really but, see as the movements go, they really have really robust movement discipline and kind of taking up these new terms and then saying them all the time as though it's a thing everyone's familiar with. One of them is always like women's sex-based rights, women's sex-based rights. Like what? People's rights aren't based on their sex. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it <doesn't what>? exist. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of like a whole thing we were doing with feminism, you know, it was like, you don't have special rights based on being a man. And now it turns out that like, supposedly all along we've thought that you have special rights for like, if you're a woman to exclude whoever you want to exclude, I guess. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just goofy. Yeah, but but I think like it, it, it's weird, but, but it's like it's also it, it, it has this function, which is that it the the, the sort of like and like I, okay, so like I, I don't my, my guess is that most of the people who have signed this document have not read it because you know but but you know like I, I think the the thing that it does is it it gives them this this legitimization. It, it it gives their goal of exterminating trans people this sort of legal jargon apparatus they can hide behind of like oh it's actually from the UN and we're basing it on, on international law and that yeah and the organization used to have this fancy name which was the Women's Human Rights Campaign um, and they have now dropped that. Possibly for legal reasons, uh, but it sounds good, right? Yeah, and, like, yeah. The website's polished, and it seems like a real thing. And the you know they really try to take this phrase to and using it just kind of sneak everything in, right? So they'll ask people questions like, "Well, what about women's sex-based rights? <laughs> These are a thing I've never heard about before in my life." And but people just get on more. I don't really know. Yeah what's happening and they've and another thing they do is they always portray like bathrooms as sex segregated spaces and every bathroom I've ever been in says women on the door it doesn't seem like female bathroom <laughs> but yeah. they're like this is like sex this is based on sex not gender just making these assertions and they have a lot of assertions yeah 
yeah, I think I think that's a good place to wrap up, I guess. <laughs> they have a lot of assertions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we've just underwriting again what a serious kind of attack on trans people's rights this is. Right? I mean, this is calling for things that would make it very hard for trans people to exist. And it's really scary to watch this. I think I'd watch it kind of progress across this movement and be boosted. It's awful. Yeah. And next episode, we are going to take a much deeper dive into some of the people who signed this document. And we are going to see what happens when this kind of bloodless but genocidal legalistic rhetoric makes it into the hands of people who are not afraid to do physical violence. And it is worse. It, it, it is it is going to go worse than you're probably imagining. Just to underline this, we said earlier that Jennifer Billick's stuff is, you know, just widely now accepted in the, within this movement. And her stuff is portraying trans people and trans rights as this existential immediate threat. Yeah. Right. She portrays, she often says that doctors are like butchering children, right? It's, they're making children into slaves. It's stuff that if it was true would call for kind of an extreme level of resistance. And that's kind of what this stuff functions to do, right? If you are accusing people of these really extreme offenses and of hurting and <laughs> threatening all of these people, what that motivates is extreme responses and violent responses. And Billick herself is sometimes engaged in violent rhetoric. Um, but I think many of us who have been following this movement are just kind of waiting, like, afraid, because that's just where it looks like it's going in the U.S. and the U.K. too. Yeah. It's kind of like hard to, it's just so scary. Right? And like, you know, they're mapping out where the gender clinics are. Yep. And it's it's scary because where rhetoric like this goes is to a violent place. And it's hard to see it letting up right now. Yeah. And yeah, that is the, that is the subject of tomorrow's episode, which, yeah, in which a bunch of people will start attacking gender clinics and a bunch of trans people are going to get violently assaulted by TERFs who are directly affiliated with Sheila Jeffries and our followers of Jennifer Billick. So. Grim. Yeah. Oh, Krista, thank you, thank you for coming on and doing this. Thank you. Yeah, th this has been It Could Happen Here. Uh, you can find us at Happen Here Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we are also, there is other stuff that we do at The Cool Zone. And... Yeah, go go fight for the rights of trans people before they cease to exist. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast that this week is about the war on trans people. I'm your host, Christopher Wong. If you've been around the left long enough, you've probably heard people call trans-exclusionary radical feminism, or TERFism, a colonial ideology. Broadly, the accusation of colonialism is about the erasure of non-Western genders that fall outside the Christian gender binary. But TERFs are colonial in another sense as well, exported by white academics through a network of fall feminist and anti-trafficking groups. The ideology has imposed itself on the global South with devastating and violent consequences. As a product of this colonial imposition, Mexico has become one of the front lines in the war against trans people. I spoke to Emmy Flores and Juliana Newhauser two members of the Sexual and Gender Dissidents Resistance Network, a group of activists aligned with the Zapatistas who've been documenting and resisting the spread of TERFs in Mexico. When the new TERF wave started in Mexico several years back, um, at the time, I thought, thought of it as something that, of like a radicalization that went too far. You know, like kind of like thinking back to like the new left and there was a point during the new left when like suddenly everybody joined a Maoist cult and they were angry for the right reasons, but it just went off at some point. I thought that's what was going on in Mexico. But then 
slowly it started to come out more that more and more turf groups were had ties to political parties. And, and one of the agents. and foreign agents. And one of the one of the most dramatic cases um is from Toluca, a city near Mexico City. Um just recently at the International Women's Day protests, like there were turf groups that um had made a a pinata out of the trans flag, had been burning the trans flag. Also in this same city, one of the main turf groups turns out that their leader is on government payroll. And if you've seen Roma, for example, the incident, the political incident that happens in that movie is based on a real incident from the 70s. And the tactics of that political party, which is the party that controls the state government of the state Toluca is in, basically it hasn't changed. And they seem to have been using these turfs basically as shock troops. At one point, there were um, two sit-ins outside the state congress, one to push for a gender identity law and another to push for the legalization of abortion, which are obviously both important things. The latter, however, was controlled by these turf groups, who later mysteriously never seems to appear at other protests asking for the legalization of abortion. But they were there, and they ran off the trans encampment, one of the big incidents was defending the sanctity of the women's bathroom with barbed wire wrapped baseball bats. Jesus. These groups have deep ties to right-wing Mexican political parties, the police, and the growing turf international. And they seem to be very chummy with the local police. Yes. Funny that, huh? Their leader um, gives classes, like gives like trainings to the, the state government. Like, this, it's, it's see, not subtle. Yeah, no, you can see live streams of their quote-unquote protests, and it was mostly them, like, drinking coffee with the cops. Like, they were on first-name basis with the cops, while the the other camp had, like, trans women that were, were too scared to go to the bathroom because they were going to be attacked. And Jesus. so, that's the starkest group, I think, right? The, the, the Toluca Turfs, which are... yeah. It's funny because almost every party has their own, their own group. But yeah, also it's no surprise that PRI is the scariest. Yeah, we should also say that these groups are affiliates with Sheila Jeffries Women's Declaration International. Um, and so this is also a case of an ideology developed in the first world. In this case, England, which is largely a safe country, where even as fascist an ideology as turfism doesn't or only very rarely leads to real violence and but it gets exported to countries that are not safe where it does turn into real violence so another affiliate um of sheila jeffrey's women's declaration in mexico would be las brujas del mar who it is another case of at first they seemed to be a group that was just, they just radicalized a bit too far. Then photos came out of their leader, who was on the Time 100 a couple years back, with Felipe Calderon, an ex-president of Mexico, and like by far one of the worst in the country's yeah. history. And not like a, at a, like just, oh, I, I saw you walking in the street. She was at a book signing. It was not a casual encounter. It was 
a clear sign of admiration. And uh, it's been more than confirmed since then that, that her political ambitions lie with the, the PAN, the, the, the farthest right mainstream po uh, political party in Mexico. This political alliance between the TERFs and the right has benefits for both sides. The TERFs gained funding and institutional backing for their war against trans people. The right gained a way to attack the vaguely center-left Mexican president Andres Manuel López Obrador by blaming him and trans people for Mexico's horrific wave of femicides while distracting from its actual sources, NAFTA and the war on drugs. Mexico's trans population, however, gained a new Western-educated threat. When I say the, the radical feminism was a complete import, it's from its very beginning. In the, for a long while, there was like one turf in Mexico. And she was, she's called uh, Jan Maria Yoyotl. Don't even try to pronounce her name. I don't think she can even pronounce her name because she's white as hell. And <laughs> she always dresses like... She's a fucking Rachel Dolezal from Mexico. Yeah, right? <laughs> like the, 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 the amazing irony that the first originary turf in Mexico is also the Mexican Rachel Dolezal. Like, right, because she went uh, abroad and was like the only Mexican everyone knew. So even though she's white as hell and has blue eyes, she started wearing some Coachella motherfucking ass uh, feathers and shit. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen I've seen these pictures. It's it is it is like. <laughs> It, it it is it it is the Mexican version of and not even just the Mexican version it it, it, is, it is the Mexican version of those people at Coachella who like wear indigenous headdresses who are oh, just yeah. like dis, like look look like they're descended from like Heydrich Himmler or something. It's oh, incredible. Sure. And like she's she has like uh she has like half French half Spanish name and she changed it to a half Maya half Nahuatl name. It's gross. Jesus. So this this person has been active since the seventies, right? She went to she was present in the first Pride in Mexico, and uh, she who that was that was also the the two year anniversary of the sixty eight uh, massacre. So Pride was from the start really leftist here in Mexico, but it also had these kind of people the. Uh, who who went to the UK, France, and the United States. And I think she, she was there when uh, Janice Raymond was, uh, like, sending her, her friends with guns to, to uh, threaten trans women, right? So, <laughs> that's... She, she, she was there when the turf wars were at the, at the highest point uh, during the 70s. And then came back, and uh, part, she participated in a lot of history of Mexican feminism. But the that she came back in 2016 with that letter, with that backing, because she is also close to Janice Raymond with the Coalition Against, against Trafficking in Women, uh, who the Coalition Against Trafficking in, the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women uh, (CAW) has a lot of the, after the turf wars they they went underground in the in academia and the universities right because they were no longer accepted but they were in the process of building ngos that could globally uh affect policy on uh specifically sex work and trans rights and you can tell the that, that Jean Maria saw that that was her only opportunity to resurface 
uh, and to make her 70s as... Uh, she saw that 70s rat femme discourse was retro now. And so she became like this uh, found, founding matriarch for the new generation of transphobes. One of them, which is uh, Laura Lecuona, who is part of uh, Femba. And the, Jean-Maria and Lecuona were not faced at all by the accusations of, of aligning with the uh, uh, reactionaries because they know their history. They know wh where they come from. And they know that this is how Dorkin survived. This is how... Uh, uh, how Sheila Jeffries and Janice Raymond survived. This is where you get the fucking money. And Laura Lecona, Jan Maria, and Brujas del Mar turned the whole environment around them into these, uh, well, these turf questions. The, the only two issues that we talk about nowadays in Mexican feminism are, <laughs> are president and trans people. It's kind of gross. Jesus, and that and like, remember, like, there's only a handful of states that have legalized abortion. There's femicides happening all the time, and but we're we continue to debate these two issues over and over and over again, like a feedback loop. And like, as trans people, we don't have any choice because we're the targets of this, right? Yep. And it's not. It's not an academic debate. Last fall, um, there was some TERFs who had taken over a public park to set up their separatist space. And there was a disabled cis woman and a, her trans girlfriend who were denied entry to the park and threatened with tasers. And so when they're taking over these public spaces and using violence to defend them because the next week there was a protest over this and they there they um they tased a trans man jesus and it's like this is like a public park like of course we have to defend ourselves the coalition against trafficking in women or catw an international anti-sex worker group which provided a refuge for white turfs driven from mainstream feminism in their home countries has been a major source of turf influence in Latin America. The reason there is so much importing of the, this ideology towards uh, radical feminists in Mexico, uh, it's that they needed something to say and something to do and and something to fill the void uh, in organizing and in NGOs. And the people who stepped up were Janice Raymond's uh, KW, right, the the Coalition Against Trafficking in Women, who. Since the 90s, uh, spent uh, a decade and a half building uh, contacts in the in the UN, in the OAS, in several uh, international organisms to extend their influence across the whole continent, specifically in Latin America, and uh, uh, for it, you can see this affecting stuff like stuff like Venezuela, where they uh, broke up sex worker unions to. Uh, uh, to with the the OAS right, and in Mexico, the founding leader of me, the Mexican branch of of KW, uh, Teresa Ulloa, used to be a UN employee. Specifically, it's drug and crime uh, segment. And before she was like a radical feminist, she used to conduct drug raids in Chiapas. And <laughs> yeah, and 
After that, she became uh, the founding member of KW Latin America and the Caribbean. And with Janice Raymond, they they you can see them go together to uh, the 1995 uh, Beijing Conference on Women. And they influenced, like, the, the, they, they were a big part of why gender is not recognized as a social construct by the UN. They allied with the Holy See, with the, the representative from the Vatican in the UN, got together with a couple of radical feminists and pushed back against gender being recognized as a social construct in 1995. So that's the, the level of influence these groups had. In Mexico, uh, these groups, which f morphed into the, the uh, KW, uh, supported the war on drugs from the get-go. They were uh, very... In some of the biggest events... Uh, inaugurating the war on drugs, they were present right there. Because if you're fighting drug trafficking, it's very easy to just sleep the word human right there, right? No politician is going to say no. They all fucking love to say, yeah, I'm hard on, on human trafficking. And the way that uh, showed itself was just targeting trans sex workers and migrant sex workers. And with that, and that feeding the agenda of Janice Raymond perfectly, Sheila Jeffries got a basically survived the whole 2000s on writing garbage for reports for the UN. Most of her published works during the, the 2000s and early 2010s is stuff paid for uh, KW. And they, uh, they, they, they. In 2016, they started pushing for more and more anti-trans uh, legislation worldwide because they could see the writing on the wall, right? They were behind uh, the, the, the women's declaration uh, that Sheila Jeffries is not... Okay, she is part of KW. She's, uh, I think, KW Australia. She has her own other collective called Space International, which is behind FOSTA SESTA, by the way, in the US, where she allied with a couple of conservative sheriffs uh, to write that legislation. So, <laughs> we could go on and on on how, like, people <laughs> that read about trans issues think are gone and forgotten by history, right? The, the authors of these horrible books that haunt us to this day are still active, and not just in the US. They're active in Mexico, in the UK, in France, in South Africa, in Korea. Uh, Korea is huge... In, I think I would say Korea is as, has a, as big a problem as Mexico and the UK. We just don't <laughs> talk to them as much and we can't realize that. But if you check them, the, the languages that have signed the Sheila Jeffries Declaration against trans people, which is a specifically genocidal declara declaration, it doesn't stop at like legislation. It, it wants to exterminate us outright. Yeah. And most of them, you are going to see a lot of Brazilian flags, a lot of Mexican flags, a lot of Korean flags, even more than United States flags. And if you tr track the, the USA flags, it's mostly like weird randos that have yoga classes and shit. It's not relevant politicians. But if you track the other countries, you're going to find some of the biggest collectives in, the, in their own countries. You're going to find... Or just spooks, right? You're going to find a lot of people who have really weird careers that spend a lot of time in, in Italy and Uganda. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. it's, it's, it's a never-ending uh, rabbit hole of, of 
of spooks, of conservatives, of uh, has-been feminists that have rebranded as NGOs to get money from those groups and direct it towards breaking up trans rights, towards affecting sex workers, towards breaking unions, breaking student movements. It's a global movement that is birthed by uh, conservative thought, but getting more and more reactionary and more and more organized as time goes by. That international transphobic movement has increasingly found purchase in the U.S. I spoke to Lee Leaville and Kai Shevers, two members of Health Liberation Now with intimate experience with the TERF movement, who spent years meticulously documenting its rise. So, my first question is, can y'all explain what Wolf actually is, and I guess subsequent to that, uh, what the relationship to Hands Across the Aisle is? Um... Yeah, so Wolf is, um, they're a transphobic feminist group um, with, at this point, extensive ties to right-wing organizations. Um, they've worked with Family Policy Alliance, Heritage Foundation, Alliance Defending Freedom, Concerned Women for America, Family Research Council, among others. Um, but they um, they got their start um, and they started back in 2013, um, around when um, they were founded by Leah Keith, who also was one of the leaders of Deep Green Resistance. And she basically got like um, kind of run out of anarchist and environmentalist groups and then kind of like went over to uh, established like turf communities to try and recruit there. So they sort of like started out trying to like recruit from these like older turf and transphobic lesbian communities. And then after Trump got elected and, um, you know, the conservative Christians on the far right became more mobilized and more empowered, they kind of like rebranded themselves and were like, oh, let's form alliances with these right wing groups. And they kind of like traded their sort of like, like uh, crunchy lesbian feminist, like, like image for like Kara Dansky, who like, you know, is, uh, a straight, fairly feminine looking woman who used to work for the ACLU and then like a Democrat. And like, you know, she's way more presentable to like a conservative audience, you know, by working with the right, then they have access to like money and power and they can, it's easier for them to get, get on the media. Like, like Kira Dansky is no longer with Wolf, but like she was with them for years and still has relations, like, like good relations with them. And she's been on the Tucker Carlson show like many times. So I, I think one of the important pieces when it comes to understanding like how this relationship with the right started. So in, in late 2016, Wolf put forward their filing against the U.S. Department of Justice and U.S. Department of Education, right? And they were going up against aspects of like trying to reform Title IX to include gender identity, you know, to, to protect folks um, who need to be able to use the like women's restroom or locker room or whatever, right? And this is the case that they ended up getting some of that ADF funding for. So it's like one of the first official seeds, I guess, of the, the direct collaboration that ended up happening. Those, yeah. A lot of that stuff did have, 
eventually end up getting leaked. And then they started doing some more official collaborations just a few months later um, when they were working with like Family Policy Alliance um, mm-hmm. to file amicus briefs against uh, Gavin Grimm. Again, yeah. on a bathroom case. Yeah, they took something like, I think it was like $15,000 yeah. from the Alliance Defending Freedom, mm-hmm. which is one of the main like right-wing yeah. uh, groups like Pass, like trying to pass all these like anti-trans bills, like going after pediatric transition and, and trans girls and in women's sports. Mm-hmm. So they took that money. And then, yeah, and then later, like, I think like um, the whole working with family policy Alliance, I believe was the first time they like publicly allied with, with the white ring group. I think so. That happened yeah. in January of 2017. Yeah. And then they've just sort of like, yeah, like they also um, were involved with like the amicus brief against, was it Amy Stephens? Um Another Supreme Court case. I can't remember. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. And like members of Wolf have appeared on like Heritage Foundation panels. They yeah. helped like release a parent resource guide, an anti-transparent resource guide that was also sponsored by like Heritage mm-hmm. uh, Foundation, Family Policy Alliance. This, this, this is very similar to almost exactly what you see in Mexico with, with just sort of slightly less physical violence, which, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, you know, and, and the, the, other, the other thing is that these are, to a large extent, exactly the same organizations. And that was one of the other things I yeah. wanted to talk about was the influence of Sheila Jeffries and the Women's Declaration, which has been all over <laughs> like this whole movement. Yeah. yeah, the one thing to point out, so like, you know, the uh, Women's Declaration International is in this, in the U.S., is led by Kara Dansky, who, you know, she like basically like left, she worked at Wolf for a long time and still has, you know, lots of connections with them, is on good terms with them, but she like left and now is like working with Women Declaration International yeah. of the US branch. So and I feel also, like that's noteworthy. Like, she winds up having kind of like a foot in both worlds at the same mm-hmm. time too. So like she'll like the the US chapter of Women's Declaration International previously, like women's human rights campaign before they had to rebrand. Um they would Possibly like, for legal reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very cagey. But it lo- if if you if you read the stuff, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so what what ends up happening is that Kara Dansky will either like have the the chapter sponsor particular events, or she herself will become actively involved in the formation of the events, right? Which we saw happen with um, Women Picket DC last year where they were parking themselves outside of... That was like, it was a... Well, that was was a whole big thing. (laughs) Oh, God. It was a protest that happened on International Women's Day to protest the, uh, the Equality Act. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's not like it's people's first time dealing with the Equality Act either. I mean, like, so prior prior to that point, which and this starts to, to go into the, um, like, Hands Across the Aisle Coalition because they were um, actively involved in opposing the Equality Act as well. So to, to kind of roll back a little bit, um, the, the Hands Across the Aisle Coalition, this was something that started developing in early 2017, you know, not that long after Wolf started building the more direct relationships with the, um, the right. And so the, the people of this coalition would have like, you would have members of the right itself. And in the process of that, um, towards the beginning of 2019 in May, 
they filed this joint letter to the um, House of Representatives Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, to oppose things like the Equality Act. Um, and they did so alongside with Natasha Chart, representing Wolf, Concerned Women for America, American College of Pediatricians, Family Research Council, you know, a whole bunch of really just awful names in there. Oh, yeah, the ADF was involved ADF, in that one, yeah. too. Yeah, this is the, it's, 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 it's really the rose gallery of all of the people who were anti-gay marriage until, mm-hmm. well, still are, but have downplayed it. And yeah, all, mm-hmm. all people who led the anti-gay marriage campaigns, all of the sort of weird right-wing pseudo-medical bodies... The next thing I wanted to ask about is what's been happening in the last couple of years with the fusion. Because I mean, so yeah, you already have your your alliance between the turfs and the evangelicals, but in the last couple of years, we've seen a I don't know if, if full scale is the right term to use for it, but we've seen a merger of this with Save the Children and QAnon stuff. And I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah. That's okay. So that's an interesting one because like I've, I've been digging into the timeline of this stuff extensively. (laughs) It's like, I've got hundreds, hundreds of listings trying to figure out where different pieces are coming from and trying to understand like the, the phases, right? So you've, you've got like the, the formation, the solidification, and then the escalation and we're kind of in the escalation stage right now. But so one of the things that I, I started to, to notice is that elements of this crossover, like the cross-pollination that was happening, actually predated certain key events that we now know are affiliated with QAnon, right? So if, if we think about the actual like development of QAnon itself. So you've got the Pizzagate thing that was happening in like October, 2016, I believe that was, um, you know, right before Trump was getting elected and, you know, kicking up some stuff about like, you know, Hillary Clinton's emails and stuff like that to, to go up against her election campaign in opposition to Trump and then, you know, folding in the, the harassment towards um, Comet Ping Pong to the point where, like, Edgar Madison Welsh shows up at Comet Ping Pong in uh, December of 2016 with an AR-15 style yeah, rifle yeah. and starts, you know, firing off his shots and stuff like that, right? And so, eventually... Um, most people know the the timeline of the, the QAnon drops happening around like October 2017. Like if you look up the original, like the first known Q drops, I believe that was like October 28th, 2017 on 4chan. But the thing is that if you look at references to save the children or save our children on like Twitter, the hashtags, and you're also looking for transphobia related stuff, you can actually start to see that crossover happening before the original huh. Q drops happened. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I found, I found tweets that were connecting trans inclusion education in schools to pedophilia and using the save the children hashtag in August of 2017, the Q drops hadn't started yet. Mm. So, and this is something, this pattern continues to happen, right? There were also multiple um, 
you know, tweets or Facebook posts or whatever that would start to use things like save the children, save our children, wake up America and stuff like that before you would have the big scale takeover by QAnon when things were starting to get really popular because the save the children thing really went viral in the summer of 2020. But you could still see elements of it before that point repeatedly. So another early instance of using both Save the Children and Wake Up America hashtags started happening on um, April, I believe that is, of 2019. And bear in mind, Wake Up America um, is a hashtag that's not only used by QAnon proponents um, Mm -hmm. in relation to the whole like accelerationism trying to you know, deep state stuff. Um, but also like Aaron Brewer, was, one of the people that was involved in some of the clinic protest well, harassments was using that hashtag was, later. No, it wasn't just it was wasn't just Brewer. It was like both Brewer, it was that was the the clinic protest that involved both um partners for ethical care, PEC, which Brewer was a member like one of the founders of at the time and one of the leaders of. And uh, Joey Bright's, like, can I get a witness? Like, mm. they teamed up to stage a bunch of uh, clinic protests, mm-hmm. and they used Wake Up, like, Wake Up America was one of the slogans that they used and one of the hashtags. Mm-hmm. These are, um, to, to, make this, to, to, make, to make sure we're getting this, uh, th- these are protests against clinics that offer gender-affirming care. Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, yeah, that happened. Uh, that one, so yeah, the Wake Up America one was in um, Salt Lake City, New York City, and LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they also, I mean, speaking of, of um, hashtags, they also have used the the slogan "Pull Back the Curtain," um, which has also been used by uh, like anti choice activists. Mm. Yeah, like that was I remember like like finding like they use pull back the curtain a lot to be like they what they mean is like they're like oh expose the evil gender industry, but like this other this like um, anti-abortion group I'm blanking on which one uh, off the top of my head, but they also use that um, pull back the curtain to go after Planned Parenthood. Yeah, oh boy, um, which I think is like problem like that doesn't I'm find a direct connection, but it seems like that's. Yeah. Too much of a coincidence in a lot of ways. One of the one of the things that I really want to stress about this whole like what I call TNON thing is that like the seeds for this, the cross-pollination that we are seeing happening between the gender critical movement, Pizzagate and QAnon, like these were already in place before QAnon formally developed as its own phenomenon. This keeps happening. It's you can't really like figure out where one particular type of rhetoric is necessarily coming from in terms of its source, because it just keeps going back and forth repeatedly. People are acting like they're coming up with a lot of the same ideas together because in the end, in the end, they are of the same roots. They are in fundamental agreement with each other, whether they're calling themselves different names. I think that's, that's worrying to me in a lot of ways, partly because, you know, I mean, this has always been something where if you look at the rhetoric that these people are spreading, it's like, it's explicitly exterminationist. Like it's, it's, you know, like they, they, they're, 
they're stoichiatric terrorists, like in search of a like a quote unquote lone wolf. And in a lot of you know, in 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 the seventies, I think they were there's there's a lot more explicit violence that these people are doing directly. And now they're kind of like they're 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 trying to find people who will do their dirty work for them. And there mm-hmm. are places where they found them already. We've seen this in Mexico and in the U.S. The people who they seem to be recruiting are. People who are extremely dangerous. I mean, we've we've seen QAnon people have killed enormous numbers of people. Um, you know, we've there, there's a long history of of abortion clinic bombings and people getting assassinated for that. I mean, I think you know one one of the connections that I've been sort of like looking at is the extent to which this stuff is connected to the Atlanta shooting. Because if you if you look at the stuff the Atlanta shooter believes, it's you know like he's in this like in the same sort of Christian patriarchal project and his thing is specifically about sex workers but hey look if you look at uh yeah not particularly asian sex workers and, and you know if, if if you if you look at the anti-trafficking groups and you look at the christian anti-trafficking groups and you look at the venn diagram with them and the turfs it's like oh oh yeah Some and people are involved in yeah. both I mean, yeah and, is big in yeah. that particular world yeah mm-hmm. and and yeah there's there's this kind of vice closing in on trans people where on the one hand you have these people attempting to employ the violence of the state. And on the other hand, you have this sort of psychiatric terrorism where they're attempting to incite violence by sort of individuals. And then also, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's you know, there's sort of, there's sort of two forms of this, right? There's the explicit the people who are explicitly like quote unquote political, right? You have, you have your sort of like ideological street fascist. You have like, you know, you, 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 you have your people with baseball bats covered in barbed wire, but then you also have the stuff that's been fueling anti-Asian violence where it's not necessarily like, you know, there is a, this is an organization that like hates Asian people. It's, we will just sort of passively increase the rhetoric until the level of violence increases. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, kind of got like, you've got yeah. the street fashion and then you've got the intellectual fashion. Yeah. Well, and and, but, and I think, but I think also there, there's, there's another, like if, if it was just those people, I think it'd be less bad, but, but there's also just the way in which just random people who are encountering this, become very quickly radicalized and it, it becomes part of sort of, I mean, and, and transphobic violence has always been part of the sort of background violence in the same way that anti-black mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, okay, the, the level of anti-black violence is much higher, but like the, the level of violence against black trans people in particular and the, the level of anti-Asian violence we've been seeing that has just sort of, bec- it, it's just a part of the background violence of American society. And that the levels of those things, the, the more this rhetoric gets circulated and the more this activism happens, that background level of violence increases. And that to me is also terrifying because mm-hmm. it, it, it means like, it's not just sort of like fascist who you can track. It's just someone on the street. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, they're just sort of like trying to like, like, yeah, associate like, well, I mean, a lot of the extreme, like, yeah, the, like people like, like, Felix and Aaron, um, Alex Aaron, the gender mapper and Joey Bright and stuff like that. Like they're, they're hardcore, like eliminationists. Like they're like, they're yeah. say over and over, there can be no compromise. And I would also especially like anti-fascist networks to pay more attention to it because, you mm-hmm. know, the solidarity with trans people is just as important as solidarity with like racial and ethnic minorities when it comes to combating fash, right? Especially since like there are a number of us that are in multiple categories. So like, let's all work together and try to like, you know, be proactive about combating the threat, right? So 
my my TNON um, collections, I guess, like I only have two reports on it so far because getting into the full detail is just, it is a lengthy project and I keep getting distracted by yes. by the conversion therapy stuff well, there's too. Just like, but, there's so much stuff to research and there's and, the, and we're like two people and and yeah. Anyway, so ever also so, have a life to try to live. <laughs> in terms of finding the like the original kind of like broader views of TNN, both like what it is in terms of like the 101 kind of stuff and also like the the timeline of where it came from. You can find it on healthliberationnow.com. We have a little tab there that has like analysis. And then if you go down to key issues, you can find a TNN tag there, right? And it'll have that stuff in there. This has been a thing that throughout this entire series, which is that most of the information on this stuff has been compiled by a very small number of trans people and that yep. cannot stay the state of this because there are just not enough trans people and they are extremely overworked. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And if if that's a project that you can take up, please do that. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. And, all hands on deck. All hands yeah. on deck. Yeah, because the the seriousness of this is such that if you want there to be trans people living in a way that does not actively destroy them. You have to act now. Yeah, basically. Yeah. This has been It Could Happen Here, a product of Cool Zone Media. Suppress your local turfs before it's too late. Goodbye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You know what I love is decadent Western sexual mores. Well, that actually does tie into what we're talking it, about it today. It ties into what you were reading. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Dear God. Mm-hmm. When yeah. I when I logged into this call an hour late, Garrison was studiously reading re- reading a book by <laughs> with the screen centered on the cover. We gotta bleep this out and have it, have it be the new thing that's bleeped out. I agree with that. Actually, yes. Really good call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that way, well, we can just do a whole series of jokes where we just like pill people on on <laughs> fascist esotericism. <laughs> What a oh. what a fun joke that would be. <laughs> Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the show where we talk about things that could happen. Um about just talking about the onslaught of uh of uh, bills that have been introduced the past few months that attacking kind of trans rights and queer people in general. Yeah, so we've 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 heard about gay marriage, we've heard about turfs a lot the past the past mm. few episodes. And now we're going to be kind of focusing on the, yeah, like I said, the the kind of current legislation that's happened specifically within the past six months um, that have been targeting kind of LGBTQ people in, in schools, particularly. And, and a lot of it's been targeted towards towards minors, teen, teens, adolescents, um, and restricting the visibility and uh, and kind of what's allowed to be said and mentioned in schools. So... We're going to kind of actually talk about um, books first, because a lot of this stuff is kind of tied into the critical race theory um, kind of uh, uh, like organizing that the right was mm-hmm. doing in 2021. So, yeah. The American Library Association says that uh, between September and December of 2021 alone, they received uh, more than 330 reports of uh, book challenges. For, which is the most in over two decades in terms of uh, people trying to restrict what books are allowed to be in schools. So, Boy, I've, I experienced a book challenge lately. Tell you what, trying to read through the new James Patterson book. What a do either of you know who James Patterson is? No, vaguely. This was this was a this was a bad idea on my back. <laughs> Please continue, Garrison. I, I was I was busy reading the before you logged on. I have a different interest in books. <laughs> you know, actually very similar books. Very okay. similar. In the Pelican Brief, basically identical. <laughs> I have no idea how much of that's going to get bleeped, but it's going to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. A Tennessee school's removal of uh, Maz, the, the Holocaust graphic uh, biography, 
became kind of the most famous example of this trend a few months ago. Um, it was, the book was allegedly banned due to due to nudity and because of curse words. Uh, but this is kind of you know, it was they they claimed it had nothing to do with the actual political content. Uh, it was just because of the uh, the inappropriate the images words. for children, which is uh, a little a little dubious since it's all you know starring uh, mice. Um, yeah, yeah. But the majority of challenged books have been kind of those focused on LGBTQ characters or themes. Uh, back in November, nearly two dozen uh, people a day were dying from COVID-19 in South Carolina. Thank God that got better. Thank God we knocked that shit out. <laughs> but rather than try to handle the public health crisis, uh, Governor Henry McMaster seemed more interested in pressuring the state's Department of Education to crack down on queer-themed books. He directed the Department of Education and the State Board of Education to create, quote, statewide standards and directives to prevent pornography and other obscene content from entering our state's public schools and libraries, uh, the governor said in a letter to the superintendent of education. Inside the letter, it was specifically targeted towards uh, uh, Maya Kobe's uh, book, Gender Queer, a Memoir, um, which is a, a genderqueer graphic novel kind of detailing what it's what it's like to be genderqueer. Mm -hmm. It's definitely popular among kind of the adult, like a young adult kind of age range. And it's a, and a, and a good resource for kind of gender bending type stuff. Um, and it has faced a large amount of the, a large amount of the onslaught and like the bashing of, of queer books have been focused on this specific book. Uh, it's an autobiographical book uh, based on the Bay Area non-binary writer and illustrator um, it's been challenged. It, it started being challenged at one of South Carolina's nearly 500 schools and then got banned from all of them just because people were mad about it at one school. Uh, it was being recommended for those in the 10th grade or higher to learn about kind of queer issues. Um, and it is now become the, one of the most banned books of this past year. Uh, it's been removed from schools in Virginia, New Jersey, Florida, North and South Carolina, Texas and a, a large amount of other states in the South. Um, speaking speaking of Texas, the genderqueer graphic novel was just one part of a massive kind of horrifying purge led by Texas Republican State Representative Matt Krause. Uh, he, he, he led an effort to pressure and force schools and libraries to remove books based on a list of undesirable reads that he compiled himself. Um, the list is a 16-page spreadsheet with over 850 books cataloged. On Krause's 850-strong list of titles that he wants banned from Texas libraries, 62% uh, of them concern LGBTQ issues. Um, it's kind of clear that what oh, he did to oh, make wow. this... Yeah, what, 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 what he did to make this list is just like Googling the words like queer and LGBTQ and gay and trans like with book. And just found a list of books that have it like mentioned somewhere. So like a lot of like so many books are just like completely banned that aren't even really like yeah like the the list is nearly one thousand books like long. So like he was just like Google searching to like add as many books to this list as he could. Yeah, as he it's not actually find. about the content beyond the fact that the content acknowledges the existence of of queer people. Like yeah, that, that's to the extent that he knows about the content. That's it. Like you, you can't be reading all these books. No, because he, he like one of the more interesting trends that you can find on this list is that it challenges and tries to ban books that teach students like their legal rights. Um, like n not even counting books about like reproductive rights or rights as like LGBTQ people. 
it also it includes in this list like titles like the legal atlas of the united states um teen legal rights uh, uh oh, identity yeah. you don't rights. Want kids to know about their legal yeah. rights yeah equal rights um we the students uh, supreme court cases for and about students um yeah i mean this is my my support for lgbtq people is is warring here with my belief that children should not know their rights because they're 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 getting too uppity as it is. We gotta we gotta crack. Look, could we crack down on kids in a way that isn't bigoted? That's all I'm asking for. Nope, <laughs> nope, it doesn't seem that impossible. <laughs> we gotta slow them down. No, no, kids, you, you must know your rights. And the, the very important thing here is that if you keep weed in your locker, the school can just search it. So don't put it in your locker. Uh, if you put it in your car, they, it's it's way harder for them to search it. Even, store even if the car is on school weed premises. in the principal's car. Store guns there. Wait, okay, sorry. Let's um. Let's yeah, I'm on. not sure if you can find that in the legal atlas of the United States. But I mean, to be fair, Texas kids can't read that book either now. So who knows? Who knows what it says? <laughs> yeah, so... Two Virginia school board members kind of called for uh, sexual books, quote unquote, sexual books to be burned at a meeting last year. Um, and a lot of Good these, God. like a lot of the rhetoric around like book book burnings <sighs> and book bannings was specifically tied to the kind of uh, the effort to harass and gain support in school boards. So we saw this yeah. last year with like Proud Boys and extremists and just like other like random people who got their brains kind of warped by propaganda kind of leading these like incendiary charges against against school board members some you know school board members got fired like threatened with arrest uh just for allowing books that mention the existence of being queer it was it was a it was quite a quite a problem that is now influencing this current legislative cycle um in almost every case quote unquote like concerned parents have swarmed school board meetings and flooded kind of mailboxes with outrage over what they call pornography um, being distributed to their children. Uh, you know, people will will plaster signs with, you know, scenes from the genderqueer graphic novel that is like what they 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 deem as being like porno like pornographic um, when it just depicts like how how like adults and young adults behave accurately, just like you can find in any like fucking like Batman comic. Like it's not like it's it's like yeah. it's like not it's 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 both in line with other comic books and also like it's obviously dealing with like issues around being queer as like that's the whole point of it. So but yeah, just blasting this blasting like queerness as innately pornographic is, you know, a big a big part of this type of propaganda push. It's it's uh it's pretty upsetting because I mean a, yeah. a, a lot of these adults and like quote unquote parents, you know, who who knows if they're actually parents, you know, it it, it even goes and stuff to being like, you know, they're accusing librarians and teachers of being pedophiles for having this for the, having these type of materials. Uh, in Wyoming, prosecutors considered charging library staff with stalking books about sexuality, um, including like literary classics under like the sex ed banner, like "Sex is a Funny Word" and "This Book Is Gay." Um, but yeah, considered charging library staff like with crimes for for stalking these books, which are like very typical sex ed books. It's it's incredible because when I was in a Texas public school, I read all of the Wheel of Time books from my school library. And those are horny in a much, much more unhealthy way than any of the books that you're talking about could possibly be described as. Well, you, you get that you get this fun thing where it's like they're basically running the clock back on the turf arc. Like if you, if you remember when we were talking about the turf in Mexico, it was 
Okay, so the, the, the arc that they did was they were anti-porn people, but then they lost the anti-porn wars. So they, they, they became anti-trafficking people. And then when sort of turfism came back, they, they went from anti-trafficking back to being turfs. And it's like, this, this is literally, they're, they're doing this whole thing in reverse, right? Their, their starting position is that they're anti-trans and they're just going back to like the anti-porn stuff, but like bringing in, like bringing in an anti-trafficking angle. And it's, it's great. It's extremely fun. Yeah, this is, I would describe this as fun. This is what I consider a fun time. Yeah. Well, I know what you consider a fun time, Harrison. Okay. <laughs> you, you do notice my, my carefully, placed, carefully placed books on, on, my, on, yes, on yes. my bookshelf. I'm, I'm extremely aware of that, Garrison. <laughs> so, Garrison is reading books that will get them canceled by like five specific people. By five people. If we talk about them too much on this show. That is always the fear of that's always the fear of Twitter. It's being canceled by five my, people. My favorite thing about doing a podcast for an audience of millions, Garrison, is telling a joke that is it that is precisely for you and me, <laughs> <laughs> and then making that like several minutes of content. Sorry. Um, an Oklahoma bill was introduced to the state senate that would prohibit school libraries from uh, keeping books that, uh, that focus on sexual activity, sexual identity, or gender identity. Um, we're going to use the word gender identity a lot. That kind of just refers to anything that, that even, one. I mean, like it, it refers to even mentions of being cisgender, right? Because if you bring up the concept of cisgender, that infers that there is an alternative to that. So it's so like even any, if anything even mentions being cis, that means that there must be something other. So that already falls into the gender identity kind of framework. So it's just like anything that suggests that you are, that you, that there is like gender identity is not something you are innately born with and are forever is is going to be is going to be is 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 banned and is seen as pornographic or obscene or is like grooming children or whatever kind of words that they use um and like all of this rhetoric is is much worse for lgbtq authors who are black or people of color there's books like all boys aren't blue by writer uh, george m johnson whose whose book led one white school board member to call the police on uh, her own district's librarian for keeping it in stock. It's uh, the, the the Central York School District in Pennsylvania banned an extensive uh, list of books last year that was almost entirely written by authors of color. This is all the stuff's been happening like concurrently with the anti-critical race theory, like organizing and protests, which again, obviously isn't about actual critical race theory. It's just about the suggestion that maybe racism is something that is not just an individual problem but is maybe kind of built into our entire culture and system of like governance um and education so it's it's not actual critical race theory it's that but i think everyone listening to this kind of already are already knows that texas governor greg abbott which is going to be just who's going to be a recurring character on this episode um kind of it has taken this whole you know calling the police on librarians thing uh, much further, kind of uh, demanding that the state's education agency, quote, investigate any criminal activity in our public schools involving the availability of pornography, uh, a move that kind of librarians in the state fear could make them targets of criminal complaints for, again, stalking books about sex ed or, you know, stalking books that not even not, not, not even not even, not even about like sex ed, just just like books that mention an alternative to the heteronormative like you are the gender that you are signed at birth like idea like anything other than that is now could get them in trouble so anything that doesn't kind of fall under the christian supremacist like worldview of sexuality and gender 
it's it's not great. There's a uh, it's so yeah. All boys aren't blue. The book written by by George uh, M. Johnson has been similar to the gender queer graphic novel. is one of the most banned books of last year, targeted for removal in at least 15 states. Um, it's uh, a lot of the organizing of these efforts kind of start online. There's like Telegram channels, Facebook groups, and then they carry over into like school board protests, and then eventually, like you know, maybe some school board members will 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 catch on to this and start advocating for it. Then you know the state governor does, you know, the city city councilman, like all of this thing is 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 this whole cycle of organizing that's really picked up alongside the anti CRT stuff. Many many parents have seen like Google Docs or spreadsheets, like the sixteen page one made by Matt Krause, of of contentious titles posted on Facebook by local chapters of organizations such as Moms for Liberty. So, so people will make these giant giant spreadsheets talking about books that they don't like. And then it'll get shared around on Facebook groups, Telegram channels. Uh, from there, librarians uh, say that parents will ask their schools if these books are available inside libraries. And then we'll start rallying and, and organizing to get them banned from being available in any kind of public public government setting, whether that be school libraries, whether it be like uh, pu public libraries, whether that be like online access, all this type of stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's, I don't know. It's organizing against these types of things is never the easiest thing, um, uh, because a lot of times they, these people get really get get really dedicated onto this because it is such a. It's 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 the whole save the children kind of idea, which gave QAnon such strength, and QAnon's kind of taking a dip down. This stuff is taking a rise up. It's kind of it's passing over the same type of organizing principles online. As, as mentioned before, the governor of South Carolina asked the state superintendent of education, but also its law enforcement division, to investigate the presence of, quote, obscene and pornographic materials from its public schools, um, you know, citing the gender and queer graphic novel as an example. There you've seen you've seen mayors in different in different cities withhold funding from county libraries, saying that he will not release money to these county library systems um, until books with LGBTQ themes are removed. Uh, it's it's pretty grim. Uh, and so far, efforts to bring criminal charges against librarians and educators have largely faltered, as is as law enforcement officials in like Florida and Wyoming and other states where this type of thing's been attempted have you know found really no basis for criminal investigations. Uh, but still, it's like the same thing for like even even if this process gets started, it's about building like fear that it could happen to you. It's about, you know, this fear that someone's always watching and someone's always wanting to report you. Um, and it's the thing that like happened with Texas and abortion. It's like trying to have like the bounty hunter idea of be like parents are trying to find examples of this to report it. So then so it's like this like proactive kind of surveillance of anything that doesn't fall into the Christian supremacist idea of gender and sexuality. It's. You know, the, 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 now, of course, that's like a specific interpretation of Christianity. I'm not not saying all Christianity is like that, but it is the one of it's the in the South. It's just, it is like the, one of the bigger strains of that type of of that type of kind of religious and politic synthesis. <sighs> let's let's see. So courts have generally taken the position that libraries should not remove these books from circulation, um, but sometimes due to pressure via like loss of funding 
or depending on how like the how much how much like who's in charge of each state's like, kind of education system a lot of a lot of, a lot of these books have been banned and have have been pulled from many school libraries and many public libraries uh even if it doesn't like go all the way to being like you know court mandated all of it, it sometimes it doesn't it doesn't even need to get that far so yeah cuz like even if it doesn't get to the court librarians kind of Librarians have said that just the threat of having to defend against charges and having to defend against like accusations of pedophilia and grooming and all this kind of nonsense is enough to get many educators to censor themselves by just not stocking these books to begin with to avoid that whole kind of debacle. Because even just the public spectacle of an accusation can be enough to like ruin someone's life inside like a small, like in like a small community, right? It's it's it's, it's if you know parents, if you know kids, and this is like part of your social group, it's part of like wherever you're like situated in, in, in your community, if this type of thing starts up, it can really be devastating to someone's personal life. And obviously this is very ironic because all these same people who are trying to get these books banned are also crying and scream about like censorship and cancel culture um, while literally advocating the burning of comic books um, and even like fucking like you know, advocating the burning of know your rights books. So... It's it's like yes they, they they will cry and scream about cancel culture, um but they will do all of this stuff as well. It's not it's not, I there is no ideological consistency. There's they're 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 not they're not trying to. That's not that's that's not part of the point. It's because it's not even hypocrisy in their own eyes because all of this is for the greater good. It's it's about protecting the innocence of children, right? If you'll notice that a lot of these bills and efforts try to not explicitly attack books for being gay or queer. Instead, they will label them as pornographic or obscene. Um, now, obviously, many books that conservatives will defend have just as graphic depictions of intimacy or autonomy, like or or, um, uh, in, or anatomy, um, but usually heterosexual in nature and alongside other kind of values that the right wants to push. Um, you know, even like the fucking Bible is more graphic than the gender queer graphic novel. Um, but when conservatives say pornography, what they just mean is a dis is any display of queerness, right? Anything yeah. outside the mold of the fundamentalist Christian supremacist worldview that they're fighting for. Just like when they say ban critical race theory, they don't they don't actually mean that. What they mean is ban any discussion on racism that kind of disrupts white comfort. It's 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 the they they have their own framework to view this, and they can justify it within their own framework. So. You know, it, it it should not surprise anyone that many of these queer book bannings are being organized alongside bans on books focusing on race and racism. Um, Matt Cross's 16-page spreadsheet uh, was 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 made to accompany House Bill 3979, the so-called anti-CRT bill that bans teaching of any materials. That could mean, quote, an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other psychological distress on account of the individual's race or sex. So just banning teaching of things that could make a theoretical person kind of uncomfortable, uh, which is seems like a great way to view education. Uh, yeah, let's just skip over the parts that are uncomfortable, and that'll make a great society. Wow. Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to I'm I'm going to I'm going to quote from a uh, a a great article by uh, Samantha Rydell in uh, them.com quote Small wonder then that much of the current uh, fervor can be traced back to the conservative group No Left Turn uh, founded in 2020 to ban books about racial inequality from classrooms uh, by Alina Fishbean 
uh, and Alana Fishbean believes that Antifa children, quote, quote, unquote, Antifa children are going to assault her kids for being white. Um, the, or the organization, No Left Turn, rocketed to prominence in the anti-education right wing after Fishbean was interviewed by Tucker Carlson on Fox News, um, a title which similarly lifted like-minded boats such as Moms for Liberty. No Left wow. Turn's website directs parents to a laundry list of books that they claim are used to, quote, indoctrinate kids into a dangerous ideology, uh, including a robust selection on, quote, comprehensive sexual education. Um, here, the pornography lie is laid bare with over 40 books whose only kind of through line is that they deal with LGBTQ themes. Uh, the picture book, I Am Jazz, uh, Kate uh, Bornstein's My Gender Workbook, and the YA novel, Two Boys Kissing. Uh, also included is Margaret Atwood's The, Hand the Handmaid's Tale. Uh, no left turn indiscriminately targets all these titles because they simply feature queer people having lives, or in the case of like Margaret Atwood, having their lives be ended. So after all, ideas ideas like that might influence kids to think that they could be different, right? Any and for conservative parents, there's no greater mm -hmm. horror than the thought of not being able to control their children or the idea that their kids might not be straight. It should come as no surprise that the grassroots campaigns, quote-unquote grassroots campaigns, like a no-left turn, are in reality linked to influential conservative donors and PACs, like the Cato Institute and the former Federalist Cato. Society. Pardon? Cato. Cato. Yes. Cato, yes. Like the Cato it's, Institute. It's named after Cato Kalin, the guy who lived behind OJ's house. Is that true? <laughs> no, it's named after okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> I should have just let that. I should have just. Uh, God that, that should have been Gary's was, one line. It was going like, to slightly, slightly expand my like red string. Mm -hmm. like My red string <laughs> born inside my head. You're like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Cato Institute named after Cato Kalen, the guy who. <laughs> OJ Surfer Bro Buddy. But it should come as no surprise that the grassroots, quote-unquote, grassroots campaigns like No Left Turn are in reality linked to influential conservative donors and PACs like the Cato Institute and former Federalist Society Vice President Leonard Leo. Uh, but then again, lies don't matter to the reactionary base that Republicans are hoping to rally to the front of this culture war. What matters to them is controlling the information that children have access to, to ostensibly keep them safe and innocent. But in truth... Because they think that if kids don't know about LGBTQ identities, they won't form one. It's conversion therapy by ignorance. End quote. But that, that's an idea I'm going to kind of come back through, come back to a few times throughout the course of this episode, is the idea of conversion therapy by ignorance, uh, which really does kind of, I think, have a, introduce a really good like mental framework to understand why these things are happening. Because they think if they can keep kids from learning about these things then they won't become gay or trans. It is, it is like trying to isolate them so that, so that their reality tunnel is so small so that they won't, hopefully will never like break out of it. Um, now, obviously, if kids feel, if, if kids start having feelings that break that tunnel, if they don't know that there's an alternative to that, that really kind of leads to things like depression and suicide, which is why it's so high among, among queer kids in that region, because it's like there's, it's like they're, fundamentally breaking reality so it, it's it, that's hard to cope with um we're just gonna just gonna do what's gonna do kind of one more segment quickly before before we have an ad break it is uh it's it's interesting we have like a lot of the parents that have been rallying for this uh have some interesting track records themselves we can even you know go back to um uh to the family research council with josh duggar having the save the children idea while you know himself being 
a child molester. Or how um, Lily Cade, like, seri- oh serial boy. rapist. Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> so um, uh, in a uh, sickeningly ironic case, uh, a Missouri parent named Ryan Utterback was charged in December with multiple accounts of child molestation and uh, uh, giving and, and distributing pornography to minors, including a child as young as four. Um, on, upon his arrest, Utterback was heavily involved in the book banning advocacy, including protests against the books uh, All Boys Aren't Blue and, uh, and other sex ed books. Um, he, he, he said, he, he, he gave a quote before he got arrested and when he was still doing like the book banning advocacy, quote, only I have the intimate understanding of what is and isn't appropriate for my children. Uh, which is quite, quite the oh, quite the sentence God. to say on someone who oh. is now arrested for child molestation. Jeez. So, yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's uh, that sucks. But yeah, so like, it's it's the idea that erasing, erasing documentation of queer lives and making it so that so that, people their kids only are exposed to a very kind of isolated worldview will make it easier to control. Um, and if they don't hear about something, maybe they'll just, you know, live their life as a regular straight child. And that's, that's their hope. Now, obviously, that doesn't, that doesn't really happen in practice, but that's kind of what they're working towards. That's why the Save the Children thing is so important to them, because they really do think that they can save the kid children. They, like, they, they, they do think that they can keep, keep, keep them from this stuff. So I, 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 th- I think there's one other reason that they're doing that specifically they focus on books, too, and specifically the, the, the pornographic attack, which is that... Th- the, the these kind of like incredible hard right evangelicals are not the entire Republican base, and so the, like the, there are people yeah. who they have to convince, like they have to fully radicalize into like into into the extermination of queer people, and specifically the extermination of trans people. And the like the easiest way to do that is just by constantly associating anything queer with pedophilia and with uh like specific, specifically pedophilia and specifically grooming. And, you know, these kind of campaigns, it's like they have dual effect. They have the, the, the effect on the one hand of, of the actual material harm to children and they're, you know, it, like pre- preventing them from having any access to anything that shows them that they could be queer. And then simultaneously, it has this effect of, of creating this association in, inside of conservatives that allows you to push for even more genocidal stuff that without this, they might not have been able to swallow. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. speaking of genocidal actions, I'm sure that one of our sponsors have contributed to at least one attempt at genocide. Oh, so. I mean, we we are actually entirely sponsored this week by the former <laughs> Indonesian dictator Suharto. So, you know, big, big thank yous to him. Uh, Pancasila forever. Uh, and yeah, here's some ads. Ah, we're back. Uh, don't 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 Google what Sukarno did in uh, uh, in West Papua. Hey 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 hey, Suharto and Sukarno, different oh, guys. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally is, different oh, yes. guys. I, yeah, I'm ve- I am very clear on this, and that's why you should not Google what Sukarno <laughs> mm-hmm. did in in Papua, because dear God. But we will put his Patreon in the description. Yeah, we will so be backing his Patreon look at, heavily. Look, look at the show notes for that. Um, hi, welcome back. <laughs> We're gonna. We're going to segue into other types of le- legislation now, uh, but still kind of focusing on the whole parents' rights to decide what scientific and medical knowledge children can have access to um, in terms of like the conversion therapy by ignorance category. 
So we're going to talk about the Don't Say Gay bill. So Florida's House and Senate just passed the so-called Don't Say Gay bill that Vance mentioned of anything other than the strict heteronormativity and the you are the gender assigned at birth kind of idea. Um, for at least most of elementary school, it's banned and possibly farther reaching than that, um, with teachers also opening themselves up to lawsuits if they fail to comply. It's formally known as the Parental Rights in Education Bill, and the text of the legislation states that, quote, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in any manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. So it it is it is very intentionally vague for how far reaching this can be for how much they will determine what and what isn't appropriate for grades uh, four and up. Who knows? Uh, yeah, so, but it's not just it's not just limited to early grades. Um, classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity could be prohibited or at least taken to court at all grade levels, uh, depending on what the parents find unacceptable. Right. It is it's it's, it's based on what the parents want to want to happen to 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 the kids that are under their care. So. It's it's specifically following kind of the the framework that yeah you can you can report something if you don't like it so it's 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 very much pandering to like a reactionary conservative yeah all base. this stuff that conservatives said was a nightmare about like the Stasi in East Germany and the KGB they're like but what if we just decentralized that you know and and let anyone who's a bigot uh, report and ruin the lives of people around them for a variety of bullshit reasons it's it's good. Yeah, it's uh, and we, just like other states in like in in Texas, the enforcement of it is not initially done by the government, but is open to a concerned fanatical public, saying that parents may bring action against a school district to obtain a declaratory judgment, um, and a court may award damages and attorneys' fees if it finds the school violated the measure. So there's like financial incentives for parents <laughs> for this, um. The bill will come into effect on the 1st of July, with all school districts um, uh, required to update their policies by at least June 2023. There was, uh, there was also a proposed amendment that would have required schools and educators to report if they knew or suspected a child was LGBTQ to their parents within six weeks of learning that. Um, so within six weeks of learning, if they're not cis or straight, they would have to be reported to the parents um, but that that part was withdrawn before the bill reached the House. But in terms of like, this is the type of thing that this that like the legislators are thinking of when it became increasingly apparent that the bill was going to be passed no matter what. Uh, a, a, a Democrat, Chevron Jones, the first openly gay Florida state senator, tried to amend the bill to narrow the language to say that in classroom instruction should not be intended to change a student's sexual orientation or gender identity and specifically not marginalize queer people and instead just limit the bill to age-appropriate sex ed. And that amendment obviously failed, um, with Dennis Backley, the bill's main sponsor, saying that it would significantly gut the bill's intent. So it's 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 specifically to suppress knowledge of being queer. That is that is the whole that's the whole point of the bill. Um you know, mean the the governor claims that the bill addresses quote sexual stuff and quote Telling kids that they may be able to pick genders and all that, uh, saying Which, that <laughs> again, like that—that that has nothing to do. Like this has nothing to do with sex at all. Like literally nothing. It's 
like but, nothing. Yeah, it's but, but you know they still view it on like people. the pornographic obscene kind of category because yeah. like it's right. It's the same thing. Like if you show gay people kissing, that is sexual. If you show straight people kissing, that isn't. Right. It's it's being queer is innately more obscene. It is it is it is it is so much more of an issue. Ron DeSantis, governor, also said, like, how many parents want their kindergartners to have transgenderism or something injected into their school discussion? Um, but that's so that's the type of stuff he says at like press conferences and stuff. So yeah, it is it is very clear that the bill is targeted specifically towards gay people. Um, and being trans or being queer, being non-cis, non-straight, that whole that 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 whole category. Um uh, the governor's press secretary called it the anti-grooming bill. Um you know, reviving the type of like you know yeah. rhetoric that LGBT attacks have had for years, suggesting that you know being gay means that you are a pedophile, or being trans means that you're a pedophile. Yeah, it ties in with this thing you'll see in like the far right, the libertarian right, where people have like "kill your local pedophile" bumper yep. stickers and stuff, because you can't argue with like, yeah, pedophiles are are the worst. That's horrible, but you don't actually mean people who molest children. You mean people who live in a way that you consider obscene, which you are equating with pedophilia, so that you can justify murdering those people eventually. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah and, I mean, and when and when confronted with actual pedophiles, they literally don't do shit. Well, they are off. Like Andy No, for a great example, has regularly hung out around a specific. I think Amos Lee is his name. Yep. Pedophile, yep. the longest-serving Republican Speaker of the House, was a pedophile on a Dennis massive Hastert. scale. Dennis, yep. Dennis Haster, Dehast. Duhast, that's what that, um, that's what that, what's that German band? This, this would have been a decent joke if I remembered their name right Rob, away. Rammstein. Yeah, Rammstein, well, yeah. I fucked it up. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> please, please continue. So, yeah, but like the Don't Say Gay Bill tries even less than some of the like school book bans to hide behind the defense of prohibiting pornography. Like it just says the quiet part out loud, you know, saying that this bill is grounded in the belief. Well, you're not going to say the loud part out loud. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like the, the the bill's just grounded in the belief that LGBTQ people simply by existing are a threat to, to like children and must be completely erased. Like that's that's the whole that's the whole idea. Following several hours of debate ahead of the vote in the Senate, uh, a, a bill sponsor, uh, Alana Garcia, claimed that quote, "gay is not a permanent thing and LGBTQ is not a permanent thing." So yeah, it's the type of like conversion therapy by ignorance thing. A lot of these people have advocated for conversion therapy to be legalized in the past or re-legalized in the past. So yeah, they just they just don't want gay people to be around because they find the Mickey. So it's it's not it's not just Florida though, right? The the fears with like hyper focusing on you know just just the, just the don't say gay bill in Florida kind of you know it it ignores a lot of the other stuff that's happening across the entire country if you do, when you're just focusing on one state. Because there are like 15 similar bills moving through state le le legislators that restrict how textbooks and curriculums are allowed to teach LGBTQ topics, and even like who can be hired as teachers and what are uh, what are like what's allowed to be said when it comes to gender identity and sexual orientation. All like stuffs happening all across the country. Um, a House bill in Tennessee would ban textbook and instructional materials that promote, normalize, support, or address lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender lifestyles. Quote unquote. Um, in 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 K through twelve schools, so also also high school, um, in uh, in uh, in Kansas, uh, there's a bill that seeks to amend the state's obscenity laws to make using classroom materials depicting homosexuality a class B misdemeanor. 
legislators in Indiana are working to bar educators from discussing any content about sexual orientation, quote, transgenderism or gender identity without permission from parents. Uh, in Oklahoma, there's a Senate bill that would uh, ban public schools from employing anyone who, quote, promotes positions in the classroom or any or at any function of the public school that is in opposition to the closely held religious beliefs of students. So that's that's uh, interesting framing there. Yeah. And, and again, we need to be very clear about this when like when these people say deeply held religious beliefs, they mean fundamentalist Christianity. Yes. They, they're, they're, these people are very specifically attempting to turn the state into a Christian ethnostate. And this is the shit that they used to do it. And it's, yeah, yep. it's, it's, it's grim. We can look at like a, a recent report from the Trevor Project, um, which is a, an LGBTQ suicide prevention and crisis intervention group. And they did a recent report uh, finding that LGBTQ youth who learn about LGBTQ people or LGBTQ issues in the school have a 23% uh, lower odds of reporting a suicide attempt in the past year. So just the, like the, the knowledge that there is an alternative is like is life changing for people. Right. The ability to uh, to realize that there are other reality tunnels is can save people's lives like mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, like, I mean, like, I, I, like, I, I watched this happen. Like, my, my public school, like, I, I was in a public school, but I was in public school in a really conservative area. The only time anyone even mentioned being gay was screaming about gay marriage, and like, we fucking saw some shit. Like, a, yeah. a lot of extremely bad things happened to the queer kids there, including me. Like, it. Yep. Like this, this, this stuff kills people. It stuff hurts people. It is. It I think is that's that's something brutal that people in like more blue states don't quite understand is how how absolute this type of thing is like living in these communities how how narrow your version of reality is like how how everything you're exposed to is so hyper focused that even knowledge of an alternative can be so mind-blowing that it really is important to have like, at least this to be knowledgeable because yeah a lot of people who you know a lot of people may not have access to the internet in the same way it's like a, a lot of these groups especially like especially like christian groups specifically have like like you know services that you can buy to like suppress websites on your Wi-Fi routers so that only you're only available to access like certain websites like like oh like it is a whole effort to restrict the reality uh, that kids are exposed to to kind of railroad them into this hyper specific kind of heteronormative idea of existence so yeah any type of thing that breaks these kids out of out of these reality tunnels can be can be life changing which is why they're trying to ban all these books at libraries because yeah even if you even if you block websites, even if you restrict internet access, even if you restrict what can be taught in schools, you know, there's the fear of what if a kid goes to a library and finds a book about being gay, then, oh, wow, that could, that would, you know, undo all of the effort, that undo the thousands of dollars we spend on blocking internet access to, to websites. So, like, that's why they're talking about, like, libraries and stuff is because, yeah, if they find out about this stuff anywhere, then they're going to be in trouble. Like, that's, that's it's the whole point of, like, isolating people and isolating what they view as possible. So, yeah, uh, we're not going to talk about some. Uh, we're not. We're gonna. We're gonna talk money, 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 money. Uh, the other thing that the Don't Say Gay Bill has highlighted is the extent to which big businesses and corporate America is financially funding many of these recent efforts to hack away at queer rights. Yep. Uh, this has kind of been like a back and forth thing, though. Especially if you look back at the past few years under the Trump era. Let's take the 2016 uh, North Carolina bathroom bill, for example. 
um, arguably the opening act for the current onslaught of socially conservative legislation targeting trans people. Uh, remember, this was like right after the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage. So this is when the needle starts to shift towards trans people. This is the bill that said that you have to use the bathroom assigned at uh, matching the gender you were assigned at birth on your birth certificate, all this kind of stuff. Um, putting, again, unspoken bigotry, unspoken stuff. You know, you could be, you know, arrested or harassed for doing this previously, but it's like putting this type of idea into concrete law, right? This yeah. is once once progress starts, there is this like backpedaling. So that they, you know, they put they put the, they put what was once like unspoken bigotry and just like obvious bigotry into actual written law. Um, it's it's like make making it concrete. So during the 2016 bathroom bill kind of whole thing in North Carolina. Um, we saw corporations trying to stay conscious of culture shifts, attempting to stay on like the sympathetic side of the rising generations who would, you know, become their future employees and cust and customers, uh, trying to appeal to them and keeping that in mind. So in the aftermath of the passage of the bathroom bill, multiple companies like PayPal, Adidas, uh, Deutsche Bank, um, all rescinded plans to invest in the state. Deutsche um, Bank's wild too. Like, oh, do, I mean, if there's if there's evil going on, Deutsche Bank is providing money to make it. Yeah, possible. it's 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 it's, <laughs> like, it's stunning. Like how bad you have to be that Deutsche Bank is like no, I like like every every person who's like do, I Deutsche don't think Bank, they've pulled like, out of Russia yet. Like <laughs> no, like, do, like Deutsche Bank. Like I've I, I I've this before. Like I, I I knew someone who worked there who yeah. two of his coworkers like started like doing audits of, of their accounts and both of them wound, wound up dead in their hotel rooms, non extradition countries. Yep. Yeah, that's scans. Yeah, mm -hmm. like even <laughs> so. Okay, yeah. so yeah, Deutsche Bank initially said they weren't going to pull out of Russia, but like two days ago, as we record this, started pulling out. So, okay, but, okay. but they, they pulled out of North Carolina. <laughs> they pulled is, out of North Carolina. Yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> um, big, big, big. Uh, I mean, <laughs> You know, there's a degree to which it's probably just like that Raytheon energy where it's like, Raytheon, we're great with trans people. Exactly. If you're making missiles, then you're fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, big musical artists like Bruce Springsteen, Pearl Jam, and a former uh, former REM member, Ringo Starr, canceled concerts there. Did you call Ringo Starr a member of REM Garrison? <laughs> the, N the NCAA <laughs> announced that it would uh, not host championship tournaments. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Garrison, if you'd lived through the 90s, you would never make fun of Michael Stipe again. <laughs> and the National Basketball Association pulled its all-star game from Charlotte. Um, almost 70 companies joined in a lawsuit against the bill. Um, and, you know, money talks. The pressure worked. The state repealed the law in 2017. Uh, the same year, a broad coalition of business leaders in Texas blocked a similar bill pushed by the staunchly conservative then-Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Um, and we've seen the same type of thing happen in Georgia the past few years um, with, uh, with actions like corporate boycotts, um, many large employers pushing back on the succession of socially conservative bills, including like racist voting restrictions, six-week abortion bans, and, quote, religious freedom bills that would give businesses protection to refuse customers or hire employees that are queer. Um, uh, prominent in that resistance was uh, Disney, which cast a long shadow over Georgia's economy uh, via its uh, filming of Marvel movies inside Atlanta. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, across many states, big corporate brands were quick to condemn obviously bigoted political moves. Um, 
prominent Tennessee employers like uh, Nissan, Dell, Amazon, and Vanderbilt University sent a, sent a letter uh, last year opposing a suite of uh, bills targeting LGBTQ rights. And uh, similarly, uh, a, a group of Texas businesses, business leaders declared opposition to Governor Greg Abbott's recent directive to investigate parents and others who provide transition treatment for, uh, for transgender youth. But after Trump got out of office, and particularly during this recent round of attacks on queer rights, companies have not really been backing up their words with any equivalent actions. Uh, after Tennessee uh, last year passed all the bills that targeted LGBTQ rights, including measures restricting uh, classroom discussion, um, barring trans girls from any high school sports, and its, and its own version of like the bathroom bill, it faced nothing like the North Carolina boycotts. It, there was there was there was just nothing because this is when Biden was president now. Um, so whether it be the anti-CRT stuff, voting restrictions or stripping away LGBTQ rights, the past year under Joe Biden, companies have not really bothered to push back on these socially conservative bills overtaking many states. It's it's they don't it's it's easier to push back. But it's easier to push back on something when, you know, when you have a big bad in office, I guess. Uh well, and I think also it's it's the companies can see which way the wind is blowing, right? Yeah, like it's the same same thing with grifters. When you, when you when you watch people like when you watch streamers just like suddenly starting to flip their political positions. When you when you watch the live the live streamers in particular do this. When you watch them starting to flip, that that's how you can tell which way the wind is blowing. And this is really fucking scary because you know the the the, the way the wind is blowing right now that that these corporations are 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 you know drifting towards is just you know and refusing to oppose is just this exterminationism yeah i mean so, yeah thankfully disney got you know shouted to like we're gonna talk about to an, yeah okay we're getting into yeah. that yeah so uh creators of the hit movie song of the south um was uh notable that in their refusal to criticize the bill as it moved through the legislator under um the kind of recent stuff inside florida specifically so but this was part of an overall pattern. Like the the corporate response was was much more muted to the go to the don't say gay bill, um, in Florida, compared to other stuff across across the country even. Um, and this shouldn't really surprise anybody. Uh, many of the uh Republican backers of the bill in Florida are actually bankrolled by the very same businesses that have done performative virtue signaling boycotts and protests under the Trump era. Uh, uh, Disney and Disney World in Orlando is one of the state's biggest employers and a, an, an enormous economic force inside Florida. And uh, when Disney silence was met with pushback, uh, Bob Chapek, the CEO, tried to kind of do damage control at first, like internally within the company and then for outside press. Um, last Monday, I think, uh, which was the 7th, um, in a in a uh, in a memo to Disney staff, uh, Chapek argued that the company can do more to promote tolerance. "Quote through the inspiring content we produce and the welcoming culture we create, and the diverse community of organizations we support." Um, which is funny if you know anything about the history of Disney. Um, also, yeah. saying that the messages in their movies are more powerful than any lobbying effort, which is uh, oh wow. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's a good line. Which is also, you know, great coming from the company most famous for queer coding almost all of their villains. <laughs> it's great. Uh, so sure, sure, Bob. Um, uh, two days later, um, at a shareholder meeting, Chapek was a little more open 
and told uh, told shareholders that the company had privately opposed the bill. Um, and while trying to explain why the silence and the recent legislative efforts to attack LGBT LGBTQ people, uh, he said that we chose not to take a public position on the bill because we felt like we could be more effective working behind the scenes, engaging directly with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. But it uh, it uh, it later came out that Chapek had only reached out to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis just that morning, after the bill had already had already passed. Yeah, we 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 need that cat from Saga that just yells lies. L- yes, lying cat, my favorite. Um, definitely appreciate lies. lying cat, lying. Uh, yeah. So of course, none of this satisfied anybody. Um, and there's been increasing pushback from both within the Disney company and outside. Um, uh, uh, Pixar sent a letter to Chapek criticizing his wishy-washy stance on the on the on the Don't Say Gay bill, and even goes on even goes on to goes on to criticize the corporation for capitalizing on pride through like a uh, through Rainbow Mickey merchandising and stuff, uh, saying, "quote It feels terrible to be part of a company that makes money from pride merch when it when it chooses to step back in times of our greatest need and when our rights are at risk," uh, says the Pixar letter. So. Yeah, uh, after after a few a few days after the shareholder meeting, Chapek said uh, third time's the charm and tried again to save face, announcing the company would immediately uh, begin supporting efforts to combat similar le- legislation in other states and would pause all political donations in the state pending a review of the company's political uh, giving, um, uh, conceding that the company failed to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights. And all that is well and good if you ignore the fact that in the past two years alone, uh, Disney has given uh, $300,000 to politicians in Florida who voted for the Don't Say Gay bill. Um, Disney entities donated at least $4,000 in the 2022 re-election campaigns for the bill's chief sponsors, uh, State Representative Joe Harding and State Sponsor Dennis Baxley. Um, And Disney entities also donated $50,000 to Political Action Committee tied to the governor, Ron DeSantis, in 2021, so just last year. So, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think it's worth, like, noting for people who, like, are somewhat younger, which is that, like, there, there's a whole thing where corporations pretend that they like queer people now, and this is a thing that has existed for maybe a decade, and the other several hundred years of capitalism are them, like, ruthlessly crushing queer people of all kinds so yeah this is this is their normal state queer capitalism is like not a thing it's a, it's a thing that exists solely to sell you sweatshirts it's not a thing get that rainbow mickey merchandise yeah they they want to they they, they are actively okay with funding people who want to kill you so so yeah, yeah. As, as i as i was writing this um last week tonight the show with uh jonathan oliver uh, came out with a a, a a small piece that was covering similar ground uh, to, to to my writing, that also included some uh, nice 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 background on uh, Disney sponsored politician and lead sponsor of the Don't Say Gay bill, the Dennis Baxley. Um, so yeah, apparently uh, Baxley has said that uh, quote uh, abortion is causing Europeans to be replaced by immigrants. Disney's going back Great. to its Nazi roots. Great, nice little white replacement lie. Um, in 2020, he worked on bills to repeal protections for queer workers and worked to re-legalize gay conversion therapy. Um, and in 2018, at some kind of fundraising event, he said that, quote, I know some districts where there's a big infestation of homosexuals that Ooh, are pushing boy. their agenda under the, mm. 
under the screen and then trying Ooh. to get more people hired like them and set up gay adoptions and all this stuff. It's a continual fight for the values that we hold dear. Oh uh, boy. So brought uh -huh. to you brought to you by Disney. Wow. Uh, and yeah, take ha -ha! take it. <laughs> infestation, huh? Yeah. It's uh yeah, take take uh, take yeah. note of the use of the word infestation there. Um that kind of ties yeah. into my whole my whole like uh viewing, you know, queerness as a contagion kind of yeah. idea. Well, which I mean, all viewing the enemy as a contagion is also older than just viewing queer people as a contagion because it's exactly how Hitler talked about the Jews and you yeah. know it, it goes we can look at like some of the things the Turks would say about Armenians it's this idea of you know you there's no there's no middle ground with a virus and if you turn people into a virus then you don't have to consider a middle ground yep um so before we go on break I'm going to I'm going to do one more I'm, I'm going to do a quote from an article in the Atlantic um uh, titled Want to understand the red state onslaught? Look at Florida. Um, it's a it's a it's a decent article, decent article, kind of going through the financial stuff that Disney has kind of backed. Um, but yeah, quote: Why have so many companies backed away from these fights, um, the fights against the queer le le legislation? Um, some corporate lobbyists I spoke with said that one reason is that they believe the public opposition is counterproductive because more Republican elected officials in the Donald Trump era find it politically valuable to be seen as fighting big companies. Businesses also frequently complain that the uh, widening gulf between the parties leaves them in a lose-lose position of alienating an important uh, block of potential customers wherever they come down on policy debates. Um, activists, though, point out that businesses often try to have it both ways by rhetorically identifying with causes such as inclusion and diversity without taking any tangible steps to defend them. Another factor uh, probably looms larger than any of these considerations. However much they want to publicly align with the values of younger customers and consumers and workers, big companies want to only uh, want, want to go only so far in fighting these proposals because they still mostly prefer Republicans in control of state governments to deliver the low tax, light regulation mm -hmm. policies that they favor. State Republicans have in turn have grown more overt about threatening those beliefs when business leaders raise objections to the culture war components of their agenda. When American Airlines criticized the restrictive voting bill in Texas passed last year, Lieutenant Governor Patrick openly threatened to kill other legislation the company had cared about. So yeah, like obviously companies want Republicans to be in charge because it will make it easier to run their big giant corporate businesses that basically are as powerful as a lot of, as a lot of other like government entities. Uh, so yeah, they're going to spend $50,000 supporting Ron DeSantis. They're going to spend $300,000 in the past, uh, the past two years supporting all these Republican candidates that voted for, for the don't say gay bill because that makes them more profit in, in the long run. And that's, you know, if you're, if you're running a business, that's what they want. So, yep, that is, uh, I'm going to, we're going we're to take another ad break and then we will, we will come back to talk about. Uh, Texas and, and, and bathroom bills and healthcare and all of the other kind of stuff that's happened in recent weeks. Hot. Yeah. Hello, we are back. Sorry, I was I was taking some time to listen to my favorite uh, Ringo Starr R.E.M. album mm -hmm. in the break, in, in in between reading books by <sighs> It's a really good combo you. of, of how, a media. How, how dare you? Not the not properly appreciating Michael Stipe. The, the voice of several generations. Michael Stiper. Stipener. Michael Stipe. 
Yeah. So he was uh I mean yeah, I I I I really like uh, the Black Keys. So anyway, um I'm going to make more bad music jokes or I could continue my script. Yeah. So please continue. We don't have to talk about all of the wonderful contributions your generation has made to music. Like uh like uh, U2 with uh hit Yeah, like hit... U2, famed Zoomer band <laughs> U2 with hit hitman uh George Harrison. Mhm. Yep. Gonna make a lot of people happy, Garrison. A lot of people real happy. At least 31 states have introduced bills that would ban trans athletes from competing in sports that correspond to their gender identities. Um, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee have already signed such bills into law. At the start of this year, uh, new restrictions were put into place for in for in in Texas uh, to also restrict um, uh, uh, what K through twelve school sports people can be on. Sp- now making them specifically match uh, their sex listed on their birth certificate at or near time of birth. Um, and even when there's states who don't just have blanket bans, there's other horrifying things happening. Uh, like in the beginning of last February. It came out that the Utah Republicans uh, are making uh, uh, have proposed a commission to analyze the bodies of trans kids that would uh, determine student athlete eligibility on a case by case basis with having the authority to establish a baseline range for physical characteristics affected by puberty, uh, banning schools, uh, school school athletes who do not fall within these established limits from, from participating in gendered sports. Um, also, a non fun a fun side side bit about the bill is that, in their uh, efforts to analyze the bodies of trans kids, uh, the bill would also render the commission immune from any lawsuit with respect to all acts done and actions taken in good faith in carrying out their purposes. Um, yeah, and this this is something that I think is is really common, specifically with transphobia, which is that like, all of the rhetoric about transphobia is about sort of like like a huge amount of it's about molestation. He's about amount amount of it's about pedophilia and then i mean specifically with the molestation part it's like yeah okay so we're gonna have this council right we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have this fucking commission and these people are gonna they're they're going to just like they're going to molest these kids right but like this this is just something that happens to trans people constantly like the tsa like constantly is just an enormous engine for just like like sexually abusing every single trans person who go who goes yeah. into an airport. Yeah, like, I've definitely had not fun experiences at the airport the past yeah, few times. Like, and this this is the thing is it's like it's it's they they impose as a sanction on trans people the things that they claim trans people are doing. Yes, and it's it is, and it's also interesting. You'll find how many of these kind of bill sponsors or politicians. Um, eventually have it come out that like they watch a lot of like trans pornography and stuff it's like it's it's all it's all fake like all like everything like everything they say they don't actually mean it's all about the culture war it's all about all the fucking like save the children stuff it's all an op so that they can get elected into politics right well we'll talk about this with like that with like the with the uh, texas thing how all of the big new texas stuff happened like days before the primary election because they were being challenged by uh, by by other politicians that were farther to the right of them so it's all like a political ploy, but the problem is, is that at certain points, because of how long the culture war kind of idea has been going, there's people who, you know, sincerely bought into the idea of the, of the culture war now themselves running for office. Um, so like, it is like, they do actually genuinely believe the things now. Like it is, it is like, a, it is like a full circle thing of things that were just, you know, just to get votes initially, like things that weren't really believed sincerely just, ju- just to hold votes. But now people who 
were brought up in that whole political idea are, are starting to run for office who do actually believe those in those things sincerely. So now it's, it's leading, leading to a whole new kind of onslaught of rights because these people have just escalated and accelerated the whole culture war idea. Yeah, well, and, and the other thing is like they've linked up with people who like people whose politics is the church or people whose politics have specifically been about eliminating trans people for like half a century, right? Like there, there's, there's the, the, the linkages that are being formed between people who have sort of like, you know, between these like militantly anti-trans organizations and between sort of the, these people who buy into this, like uh, either who are very, who, either who are cynically deploying the sort of the, the sort of Christian supremacist rhetoric or the people who are just actual like christian fascists right like the, the these people like the, the, these people are joining together to the point where it doesn't it doesn't really matter why they're doing it like at, at a certain point that like the, the reason why specifically they're doing it becomes immaterial and you're just sort of left with the things that they are doing yeah it's i mean and it's, there's just been so much of it the past the past year specifically like yeah over like overall more than 100 bills uh, designed to restrict the rights of transgender of transgender people have been introduced in at least th 33 states it just in just in 2021 which is like it's become a record breaking year for any kind of anti trans legislation it's just it has accelerated to such a extreme degree um and now continuing in the 2022 le legislative cycle um last spring in 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 uh, in um uh, arkansas the state le legislator banned gender affirming care for minors um, including, you know, puberty blockers, HRT, all the stuff, you know, um, and, uh, House Bill, uh, 1570 prevents trans people from receiving, uh, hormone therapy, puberty blockers, similar treatments. Um, it was called the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, um, you know, referring to medical treatment as experimentation. Um, and shortly after the bill was, was, was signed into law, um, the the doctors who run the largest or who ran the largest provider of, of hormone therapy in the state uh, reported an increase in suicide attempts in their patients during like just that same month. Um, it was it was the first of its kind of bill signed into law, and it was it was initially vetoed by the governor, but then that veto was overturned by the state legislator. So, and that kind of similar laws have been have been happening in states ever since then. We're now going to talk about Texas, um, because that's one of the one of the biggest one of the biggest kind of things in this whole fight is the stuff around Texas. So, Texas officials have begun investigating parents of transgender um, adolescents for possible child abuse, according to a lawsuit filed on uh, a, a few a few weeks ago, after Governor Greg Abbott directed uh, the the Child Protective Services Agency in Texas to handle certain medical treatments, including puberty blockers and HRT, as possible crimes. The directive from Governor Abbott was following a non-binding opinion by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, um, saying that uh, parents who provide their transgender teenagers with doctor-prescribed uh, care could be investigated for child abuse. So uh, the moves by both Abbott and Paxton, which are two uh, Republican uh, uh, in incumbents, came just days before the primary election, um, in which each of them faced significant challenges from farther right opponents. Um, so they've both fa they've faced crit criticism from not being staunch uh, staunchly anti-trans enough in the past, yeah. in the, in, like in the months 
prior to this. And they did this to hopefully, you know, gain support from the more radical, uh, more radical voters in Texas. That's like that is that is undoubtedly a big, a big, a big part of why this happened at the time that it did. They did the same thing. Uh, both uh, Paxton, well, let's just say Paxton, but uh, Abbott did basically the same thing with like masks. Yeah, in the yeah. last year or two, where it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's great because these people are just they they will literally kill thousands of people in order to just hold on to their power, and it's um yeah, among to be great. the first people investigated uh for child abuse was actually an employee by the state's protective services agency, um, who had a sixteen year old transgender child. On March first, the ACLU of Texas and a Lambda Lambda Legal great great name uh went to state court in austin to try to stop this inquiry into this family who again who who worked for who worked for the child protective services agency um the employee who was not named in the court filing uh works on reviews of uh, reports of abuse and neglect she was placed on administrative leave a few weeks ago um according to the filing uh, the friday after uh, governor abbott made the initial kind of letter um she, uh, she was visited by an investigator from the agency um, who was also seeking medical records related to her child. Uh, the, the family of the child, identified in court documents only as Mary Doe, has, uh, has, has refused to voluntarily uh, turn over records and is taking the case to court. Um, according to the lawsuit, the state investigator told parents that the only allegation against them was that their transgender daughter uh, may have been provided with gender-affirming health care and was currently transitioning. And that was that was the claims that was the that was the basis for the claims of 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 child abuse. It's uh so like initially it wasn't clear if Abbott's order would survive kind of judicial scrutiny because the order does not any the order doesn't change any Texas law. Um, it's just it's just an opinion piece. And several county attorneys and district attorneys of Dallas and Houston have publicly condemned Abbott's and Paxton's directives. Um, clarifying that they would not prosecute families for child abuse under the new definition, and they would not irrationally um, and unjustifiably interfere with medical decisions. Um, the mayor of Austin announced that uh, Austin should be considered a safe place, a sanctuary for transgender children and their families, and that they would not be enforcing the governor's mandate. So it's quite a time to be alive to have sanctuary cities for being trans. Yep. And of course, all of these things, whether it be from like the DAs or the mayor, that doesn't stop child protective services from not investigating you. Like that doesn't like that doesn't like they can still investigate and harass you. They can still send agents to your door. They can still try to seize medical records, right? They can still investigate claims even if the, even if the DA won't prosecute. There's still that massive like looming threat of and like that like terror like holding over, you know, uh, people's heads. Um you know, it's 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 a it is like a mass it's a massive scare tactic, right? It is it is to terrorize people, right? It, but they'll be too scared to transition because they don't want their family to get in trouble. It's it's pretty grim. It's pretty it's pretty it's pretty evil. Um, so on the uh, for for the for the ACLU and the Lambda Legal uh, Court filing, uh, they they they're seeking to block the request for medical records from the employees' uh, case. And more broadly, kind of challenge the legitimacy of the entire investigation and the power that the government has to change this definition of child abuse. It's uh because it's 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 also important important to mention that the mandatory as the the mandatory reporting aspect of the bill, uh, which was well not not bill of the of the legal opinion that was 
really emphasized in Governor Abbott's uh, directive. Um, Abbott described in his letter that the order would mean that all licensed professionals who have direct contact with children, including doctors, nurses, therapists, and even school teachers, would be required to report to state authorities um, if, a, if, if they believe that there is a minor who is trans or could be receiving any kind of gender-affirming treatment. Um, and, and if they don't report this, they could themselves face criminal penalties. So the whole the whole mandatory reporting aspect is another like insanely like insanely bad thing that yeah we could talk about it for a long time, but this episode is getting long enough, so we're just gonna continue through and we can we can ponder at how at how bad that is. Um, one parent of a transgender a teenager in Houston said that the family's health clinic, uh, Legacy Community Health, had suspended all refills and uh, new prescriptions for transgender youth in light of Abbott's uh, new order. So it's it's happening. Like yeah, it's there. It's the the stuff mm-hmm. has happened. The stuff has started. It's it's already scaring people into not doing stuff. Like it's it's that it's is doing that, what it was yeah designed to do. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I know we keep making this episode longer, but like it, it is worth mentioning that like it actually like having someone even temporarily like being off of the hormones that they've been taking for for HRT like that fucking sucks. Yeah, it's like, they, it, like it has really bad negative effects i mean yeah like people will be surprised how fast hormones start working and how fast going off of them they stop working like it is yeah. it is it is pretty it is pretty surprising and like i didn't want to get tons into like the science of being trans in this because that's because that's not the focus of this week we're talking about the legislation and the onslaught of queer rights of people trying to hurt them but like you know it's it's obvious that like there is not many cases at all where there's being you know like genital surgery done on minors like if that does that does not happen yeah um it can happen for like medic like that can happen for medically necessary reasons like if there's like accidents and stuff but like that doesn't happen for gender affirming care what happens is you get on you 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 go on puberty blockers which are already prescribed to cisgender kids all the time um if they have early onset puberty they have no lasting side effects they're completely safe um and in some cases depending on the kid's therapist and their doctors they may be prescribed hrt or they'll be prescribed that a, a bit later, but that is that even still, that is that is really the only things that happen. Um, and what they're really trying to suppress is both uh, b- b- both of like those things, but also like the ability for like therapists to even talk about gender with kids. Like if kids are having problems with, with like ge- with gender dysphoria, they don't feel comfortable to even have to not even be able to talk to that uh, to talk talk about those feelings with therapists is like part is part of the goal because that can be considered gender affirming care. Um, I think that there's one other thing we really should mention, which is that uh, so there there is one kind like well there's a few but there's there there's a very important kind of like quote unquote like gender surgery that is done on children, which is the stuff that's done to intersex kids. And yes, I mean intersex and also kids, like, yeah, they like also like circumcisions are already like yeah, done on yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like, with with specific with intersex kids, this stuff matters because all of these bills. That you're talking about where it's like, oh, you can't uh, have gender affirming surgery. You can't have like surgery on kids. It's like every single one of these bills, like they, they all have they all specifically have carve outs to allow yep. doctors to fuck up uh, the, the genitals of intersex kids. Yep. Yeah. It, that, that's, it, it's all carved out there. So, yeah, well, let's see. We, we are we are near the last we are we're near, near, near the last little stretch here. Um, on March 11th, a Texas state court. Uh, halted the new Department of Family Protective Services policy of investigating the parents of transgender children. Um, district uh, District Judge Amy uh, Mencham uh, concluded on uh, con- concluded the hearing on the requested statewide injunction 
by saying, quote, the governor's directive was given the effect of new law or new agency rule, despite there being no new legislation, regulation, or even agency policy. Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Department of Family Protective Services Commissioner J.B. Masters, uh, their actions violate the separation of powers by impermissibly approaching into the legislative domain. Um, Judge Mencham also granted a temporary restraining order blocking the state from investigating uh, the family that 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 prompted this lawsuit from happening the, from, the, from, the, from the person who already worked at the Department of, F of Family Protective Services. Um, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton um, appealed this decision. Uh, well, no, uh, well, first of all, he he appealed the restraining order and lost that appeal. Um, and and the the ACLU is trying to make this temporary restraining order against the state permanent and extend to all parents of all transgender kids in Texas. And there's there's going to be a whole trial scheduled for this topic on July eleventh, twenty twenty two. So this is gonna Ooh. this is gonna get. This is going to happen. Like we're, we're, we will figure out what is going to happen with this later on this year. Um, and after the judge's ruling, uh, the, halting the investigations due to lack of legal binding, uh, Att Attorney General P Ken Paxton filed uh, an appeal for, for, for the ruling. So, and that's, so, so that's, that's going to get appealed. Um, and he, he tweeted out that the, quote, Democrat judge's order permitting child abuse is frozen. Much-needed investigations will proceed as they should. The fight will continue up to the Supreme Court. I'm ready for it. Um, but it's unclear how much legal backing this actually has. So we don't know if if the if the if the uh, protective services actually has permission to keep investigating or not. It is kind of unclear. Paxton says that they can. This this uh, this uh, state judge says they can't, and that's kind of legally up in the air right now. So we don't totally know. But there's going to be a whole trial on the topic in July. Um, kind of one of the last things I want to mention is, uh, this, this Idaho bill that was passed by the house of representatives that would, that would criminalize gender affirming medical procedures, including puberty blocker, sorry, including, uh, puberty blockers and HRT for any kind of trans, transgender youth. And it was also reported that the bill would make it a felony punishable by life imprisonment to anyone who helps a kid travel across state lines to get gender affirming healthcare. Uh, but this actually maybe isn't actually true. Like this actually probably wasn't a part of that bill. Um, the bill just amends current laws regarding female genital mutilation. Of course, uh, carving out a specific section to allow the mutilation of intersex kids. Um, yep. But uh, but yeah, it it added a section also criminalizing gender affirming care. Um, but the section of the bill making it a felony to travel out of state only refers to the genital mutilation section. Um, it doesn't refer to the gender affirming care section. And it's unclear if that was an oversight um, or if the limitation was intentional. Who knows? Um, but it, it still did attempt to criminalize gender affirming care within the state. The bill was, I believe, I think earlier this morning, as of time, time of recording, the bill was not passed by the Senate. Um, so that's good. Uh, they said this, the, the Senate said that it was too vague in scope. And it was unclear how it was going to be enforced, so that bill was halted, and it did not did not continue. Um, yeah, but you know that's yeah. There is a lot of the reason why all this stuff has kind of started is that the, like there has been so much progress happening in queer rights in the past like ten years, right? Um, so now because progress is more visible, what was once like obvious but like low key bigotry is trying to be put into law, right? There's 
there's there used to be so many medical hoops to jump through to get any type of gender affirming treatment but now almost every like legit medical organization recognizes the importance of gender affirming care so that plus the visibility and the cultural acceptance of queerness is making some you know mostly good old white christian conservative populations a little bit uncomfortable right there's there's this increasing fear that what if your kid thinks they're trans well, what if what if they become an unholy degenerate what if and what if there are people trying to make that happen on purpose right all of the brutality all of like all of the brutality in these bills the kind of the not like the the total nonchalance at the possibility of you know kids killing themselves because of this bill and because of all these legislations like all of like the transphobia negatively contributing to mental health all of that brutality is is justified in the minds of these anti-trans like people because it's to save the it's to save their kids from experiencing that in the first place right it's the idea that queerness is an infection that it can spread from person to person it's like it's a it's it's like a contagion if if you hear about it you could yourself become gay so if they don't hear about it then that's not going to be a possibility so all all of the brutality is like it's 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 both the point but it's also justified because this thing is seen as such like an it's seen as such an ontological threat to their whole idea of like the world so yeah that's uh and it's i mean it's it's not going to stop right every you know tw tw 2021 we saw a massive increase in le legislation on this topic 2022 we're seeing an even bigger increase in legislation on this topic and you know attempts to physically oppose it you know is are can can kind of be done i mean like you can you can see all there was some some successful counter protests to the whole school board thing you can also like you can sneak queer books into libraries like you can just put you can just put them in there um you can request queer books in your library systems um you can you know attend school board meetings and again it's it, sure the the, the institution of uh, the institution of schooling is problematic um in a lot of ways but it's we shouldn't make it worse for queer kids so maybe it still is worth actually focusing on and there is there's a lot like you know you can like, like in the case of the aclu suit there is legal challenges being taken up against all of these things we'll see how that goes the there's always been a there's always been a shaky record of the legal you know of like the the court's ability to protect these rights but every once in a while it does happen like with like with gay marriage um the last thing I'll mention with like specifically with like HRT being made illegal in a lot of these places, at least like prescribed via doctor, um, I will kind of talk about, I will mention um, DIY HRT as a thing that, that that is a thing that exists. You can go to diyhrt.github.io to get information on this. It's been, it requires a lot of like research, but you can find like, you can get HRT, you can get like estrogen and stuff from like, like made by the companies that that supply pharmacies, you can buy that legally. Um, testosterone's a little bit more iffy because that is, I think, uh, that is like a Schedule Two or Schedule Three drug. Um, but estrogen is much more available um, to buy legally online. To just make sure you get it from a good place and make sure that you you know know how it affects you and all that stuff. Like do lots of reading, but that is a possibility. So I will probably plan an episode on DIY HRT in the near future. Just like it's like a whole episode on the topic. But I just wanted to kind of mention that as one of the last things of being like, yeah, if they're restricting all these stuff, we should probably, you know, learn to provide it ourselves because there's no guarantee that the governments or any kind of even like pharmacies will be able to do that forever. Right. Yeah. Like it's it's good to have alternative methods of figuring out how to get the drugs that make you feel nice. Um, so, 
yeah, that was uh, that is my episode on the on the legislation that has been happening in the past in the past really like six months. Um, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, and by by the time hey. this is up, there there might there might be new stuff that has happened. Um, oh, most certainly. Yeah, so. that's good. That's why you know when all the stuff gets very depressing, I just like listening to my favorite Wayne Cohen song by Pink Floyd, and it really just really does. Wow, Garrison. Calm, wow. calm me down and make wow. me feel much better. Wow. Well, I'm gonna go listen to the new uh double album that a hundred Gex did with Billy Joel. Uh, I do I do love me some one hundred Gex. Mm. Yeah, the Gex Joel concert, it's even I, I hear that, that Elton John's gonna get in too, and they're gonna they're gonna do that would be quite the show, honestly. That would, that would be that would be a fascinating experience. <laughs> that would be a very gay, it would very be an trans amazing show. mix of like horny women in their sixties and horny seventeen-year-olds. What an that incredible is, thing that would that be! That is what would happen. <laughs> well, yeah, that is. Uh, there are plenty of organizations that are you know fighting against the stuff in Texas. Um, I could list them, but honestly, if you if you if you're not there. It's 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 iffy. I mean, you, you you should you you should look into what's happening in your area. Learn what legislation's being passed in your area. Learn what your you know state representatives are doing, and look into helping people get DIY HRT. That's really that's really. I mean, like yep. yeah. If there's a way that bodybuilders can get testosterone, there's a way that you can get testosterone for trans guys. If um, estrogen is much easier to get, um, so look into that. Don't 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 be stupid. Um, but yeah, that is a. Uh, that's that is that is that is my piece. Yep. All right. Find joy, find violence, and find the correct application of the two that allows people to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. uh yeah, and uh listen to listen to music that makes you happy. That is that is that is all you can do. All you can yeah. uh all you, all you can do. Yeah. Is find your favorite U2 album uh featuring Roger Waters. All right. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, 
you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Oh, boy. Welcome to America, the podcast. Wait. Is that is that what we're calling it now? I, I don't no. think that's true. We've just had Shit. like two episodes on international turfs. I think Shit. we are going to... We're trying to Shit. be a little beyond America. I, f- I fucked it up. I fucked it up. Well, th- that's the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. See, usually at this point, you say, Garrison, take over. Uh, all right, well, let's uh, let's get into this. What are we talking about today? Who are we? Where are we? What is life? Uh, where it could happen here. Who, where is God? Final episode of the war on trans people, which mm-hmm. means when this episode when this episode is done, that means the war will be over. We did yep. it, everybody. And whatever gods once were have long abandoned this place. We did get pretty good news about the governor of Utah, kind of surprising me here. Uh, yeah, that, that just hit. That's nice. There's the there's that. I mean, luckily, it looks like some of some of the bills that we've talked about actually have been shut down at this point. Yes, the Wisconsin, yes. The Wisconsin bill got shut got got kind shut of down in, surprisingly and in very very recently, like uh, yeah, past few days. Yeah, um, there's uh, a looks like there's still going to be injunctions on any investigations in Texas until the case gets uh, put up. Yeah, to that's higher, still to very courts. much in the air. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 still in the courts, but it's like it's it's trying. It at least it's kind of paused right now, and it, yeah. it's going to get settled at some point in uh, either the lawsuit yeah. or in higher courts. So we'll see. Yeah. we'll see how that develops. But for right now, things seem to be, things seem to be paused, and some states are not are not fully passing it. I know there was. Um, a uh, a walkout by Disney employees today yeah. about uh, over the don't say gay bill and we're going to see if that's going to get signed um so yeah still still up yeah. in the air but we're going to be talking about something a little bit different we're going to do some we're going to do some time travel oh boy that's that's what i, I had to say was oh boy yeah so we're we're, we're, going, we're going to go back to another time in which there was a for a very brief period a a uh, massive expansion in the knowledge about and sort of but both knowledge about and appearance of and safety of trans people and then it all catastrophically came crashing down. Oh good. 
And to help us with that is Robert Evans, my <laughs> boss. <laughs> Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Garrison, how, how, how are we doing? Oh, I'm doing actually fine. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just waiting for you to do your job and not pass well, it over to me. All right. Me. So the important thing to understand is that, like, the kind of very concept of not just gay rights, but like our, our modern attitudes towards like what it means to be uh, homosexual and trans all have their origins in Germany in the, not, not just in the post-war period, but really the last couple of decades of the, uh, the Kaiser and the Weimar Republic. Like that is where kind of the modern Western attitudes towards what it like is to be homosexual really get formed because obviously like gay people have existed for forever there's quite a bit of documentation but if you look at like for example you know two spirit folks within some indigenous american cultures that's a very different attitude towards um like what uh, like trans compared people to, i suppose compared to like the western in, idea of gender yeah, identity exactly. yeah yeah so it, this is like there like there's western quote unquote you know whatever yeah there's the actual thing that's going on and like the the individual sexuality and then there's kind of the the public concept of what it is, um, and and that is really forming in uh, probably the seminal moment that kind of starts this progress is in August 29th, 1867, when a lawyer named Karl Heinrich Ulrichs goes before the Sixth Congress of German Jurists in Munich um, to urge them to repeal laws forbidding sex between men. So again, there is still a Kaiser, and like this is this is before Germany is actually uh, fully a nation, right? Because 1870 is when that happens. So Germany doesn't even really exist at this point. There's a series of like kings kind of being welded together slowly into a German state, and there is a lawyer getting up in front of like the council of different German jurists to urge an end to the laws that make it illegal for for men to have sex with each other. Now, one thing that's important to note is that obviously there are lesbians in this period of time, as again, there have been throughout all of history. That's not really a legal problem, right? They do not face really legal repression. And and the, I mean, not to say that like there's not repression and things that they're dealing with, but it's not the same as as it is for like men who want to be in relationships with men. That's It's in fact a lot easier for women to be kind of like, and this is not just Germany, to be built, to like kind of say like, this well, even like you know, the we're Victorian friends period. and we live together, right? Yeah. Like we're aunties yeah. and we live together. Like we're- Gal, gal like, pals. Yeah, that, that, that because, in part because men just like, I think a lot of like the men in this period just assume it's impossible, like that women would do that. Um, or, or the other side of it is like, femininity is always presentary. It's always mm -hmm. like it's you as soon as a beauty symbol. So it makes more sense for women to find other women attractive because that's what beauty is, mm -hmm. is when is performative femininity. So like that's like way more obvious and it doesn't make sense for, but it, and it makes less sense for men to find other men attractive. And that's way more taboo because of the way that messes with like patriarchy. Um, so yeah, there could be a ver like gender studies and sexuality studies. You know, have a lot of theorizing yeah. for how this is developed. But yeah, this this idea you can even see in like Victorian era and like Renaissance right. era of yeah women who who live together and are very good friends, very very right, very close and friends. I hope people don't feel like I'm trying to like flatten the history of like the concept of of being a lesbian in the West. No, no, to, no, yeah. to to that at all, or trying to for that matter flatten like. Uh, homosexuality between men, but w I am kind of making the point, and I, I, I am not the the person who are kind of initially made this point. The scholarly work that I'm kind of basing my research on this on largely right now, and we're, we're going to do an episode of Behind the Bastards that gets in 
to more of this, I think, in the near future, but it's a book called Gay Berlin by Robert Beachy. Um, and in, in the book, one of the things that Beachy argues is that even though obviously same-sex love is as old as the existence of, quite a bit older actually than the existence of human beings, um, the public discourse around it and like the uh, the political attempt to win rights for gay people starts in Germany in the late 1800s. And it starts in this conference in 1867. Um, and and the the guy who does this, Ulrichs, is a number one is a gay man, um, and he had he had been open kind of to his relatives. He had started in the period before he gets up in front of all these lawyers to be open with like his family members that he was homosexual, um, but he had never like he was not publicly out. And so on the same day that he appeals for a change in the legal code to make homosexuality legal in the German states is the day he comes out publicly as a gay man. Like he does oh, wow. both of these things yeah. at the Jeez. same time. And what I want to read a quote from a New yeah. York. Yeah, it's quite a Jeez. moment. What a, what a move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, I want to read a quote from a New Yorker article that's covering all of this. And that's based again on the book Gay Berlin. Quote, he faced an audience of more than 500 distinguished legal figures, and as he walked to the lectern, he felt a pang of fear. There is still time to keep silent, he later remembered telling himself. Then there will be an end to all your heart pounding. But Ulrichs, who had earlier disclosed his same-sex desires in letters to relatives, did not stop. He told the assembly that people with a sexual nature opposed to common custom were being persecuted for impulses that nature, mysteriously governing and creating, had implanted in them. Pandemonium erupted, and Ulrichs was forced to cut short his remarks. Still, he had an effect. A few liberal-minded colleagues accepted his notion of an innate gay identity, and a Bavarian official privately confessed to similar yearnings. In a pamphlet titled Gladius Furens, or Raging Sword, Ulrichs wrote, I am proud that I found the strength to thrust the first lance into the flank of the Hydra of public contempt. Uh, uh-huh. This guy rules! It'd be like that sometimes, buddy. Incredibly based. <laughs> wow! What a... If there's a heaven, I hope this mm-hmm. dude made it there. Because wow, what an absolute chad! What a, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. So no, but like, what a like, like yeah, the the astonished, like the astounding bravery that that takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. It, wow. And he's essentially the first gay activist in a modern Western political context. Um. And it's interesting, like. Uh, within kind of the uh, the next couple of years, things start to happen very quickly. Uh, two years later, in 1869, uh, an, Austri- nice. an Austrian writer, I know, right, named Karl <laughs> Kurtbenny, um, who is kind of fighting sodomy laws. In, and, and sodomy laws are laws that make everything that's not like missionary position sex illegal. Yes. They're obviously targeted towards, towards gay men primarily. Um, so Karl Kurtbenny create like he's the guy who invents the term homosexuality. Like like two years after this, as part of his like fight against uh, these anti sodomy laws, um, in the eighteen eighties, uh, a Berlin police commissioner makes the decision to stop prosecuting gay bars. Um, and in fact, okay. n- not only does he stop doing this, but he starts leading tours of the gay districts in Berlin just to like show off, like look at how Whoa. tolerant Berlin is. Right? It's, it's kind of <laughs> dope, such, right? That's such yeah. a weird. Wow. Yeah. What, a, what a weird picture to put in your head. At least even like yeah. I mean, yeah, this fucking cop like, being like, "Why are we arresting these people? Let's show this off." <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is that is boggling. Yeah. So uh, in 1896, the very first gay magazine starts publishing in Germany, do, in Berlin, really. Do you want to know what it's called? Yeah, of course. Why? Of course I do. <laughs> the German name is Der Eigen, uh, and that means the self-owning. 
Like, that's great. That's, <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty fucking cool. Um. So the very next year, 1897, one of the primary heroes of the early gay rights struggle, physician Magnus Hirschfeld, uh, starts the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, which is the first organized gay rights group in Western history, at least. Yeah. Um, so by the start of the 20th century, a lot of stuff is in place, right? And I, I think I am even a, have been a little bit guilty of this in the past, of kind of focusing so much on Weimar Germany. Um, And all of the stuff that happens around gay rights there and how progressive it was. This is building in Germany. Again, we don't consider the Kaiser Reich as a particularly progressive place. But all of this is happening under the Kaisers. And there's there's so many things that are happening in the 1890s and the start of the 1900s that directly mirror things that are happening in the United States in the 1980s. In fact, right as the century turns, um, you start getting an advocate, one of the first gay rights advocates in gay literature uses the phrase, coins the phrase, staying silent is death, to like talk about the importance of gay literature. Yeah. Yeah. Which wow. is essentially the same slogan this, that gay rights the, activists picked yeah, during the It's the same epidemic. stuff we're talking about right now yeah, with all of yeah. like, with all of like the yeah. um, uh, with with all like the book bannings taking yeah. you know ba- doing a massive sweep, sweep of that the past the past few years. Yeah, this is 1900. Like basically, that this is starting. Time to is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, and there's you know there's even there's a lot of um, activists start to complain and start to try to complain both within like their own magazines and within like more public magazines about things like negative depictions of gay people in popular novels. Um, yeah, there start to be the first arguments about whether or not it's morally right to out people who are gay but who are attached to anti-gay organizations because that starts wow. happening in this period. Yeah, of time. no, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's it's fucking wild how Nothing. old all of this is. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. No, but like, um, but this is also like the first time it happened in these types of countries in these societies. Yeah. 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 yeah this but is, like, yeah. it is that it is. So yes, time's a flat circle. But this is also like the first time it's happened, and it's just kind of been rehappening ever since then. It's important to note. I didn't. I didn't cover this when we start talking about Ulrichs. Well, there's a lot of people who get angry, and obviously Ulrichs is not successful in repealing the anti-homosexuality uh, laws. Um, when he makes his speech, in addition to the people who are like yelling at him to sit down, there are like German deputies yelling, "No, no, no! Let him continue! Let him continue! Like he needs to be allowed to talk." Um, so even like in this period of time, there are non-gay people at a fairly high level in German politics who are like vocal allies and starting to become vocal allies, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So, um, obviously world, world war one happens, um, doesn't go great for Germany. Uh, but you know, we, we get after that, the Weimar Republic and the Weimar Republic is kind of the traditional era in which we talk a lot about, you know, gay rights starting to really move forward in significant ways. And, uh, so there's a lot of, um, even kind of into the early 1930s, some pretty interesting things that are happening in German society in like the mainstream elements of it. There's a film called Mädchen in Uniform in 1931, which is the first like positive portrayal of lesbians in Western cinema. Okay. Um, like 31 is like, again, we're talking like right before uh, yeah. uh, z- z- the Nazis kind of kind of come around. Um and yeah, there's these like th- this 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 police commissioner that we chatted about earlier. I think is one of the people who's most interesting to me. We're going to get to Hirschfeld a bit in a, in a little bit, but this this guy is named Leopold von Mierscheidt Hulsheim. 
Um, I'm not going to get that right. No. Uh, but he's a big <laughs> part of when, when we talk about Gay Berlin, particularly during the Weimar years, even though he's like during while well, the, the Kaiser's in, he's uh, why Gay Berlin really happens in a lot of ways. Um, and it's in part because like he decides to stop cracking down on on gay people. Um, and like, he's not gay, although his boss is, which is part of like what makes it easier, um, for him to do this. And there's like a lot of debate about why he does this. Cause he's not like a gay rights activist. Some people say that it's because, um, he's worried that like gay people will become politically radicalized by the reds. And so if you stop <laughs> cracking down on them, they won't go communist. Like the, yeah. there's a lot of like debate about like why he does this. Um, he's also, there, there's a number of things that he, like he takes a lot of data on, on, gay people in Berlin. And he does this on everybody. He's a big data guy. So it's not particularly uh, um, harmful in his era, but it, some of the stuff that he gathers will be used by the Nazis later, um, which is kind of a broader thing about like the wisdom of not letting the government get access to this. Like he has, he founds a department of homosexuals in 1885 that like lists the people that they know are gay. And, and again, like this is all, so it's really a complicated thing that's, that's happening here. Cause he's not, he's not this like thoroughly sympathetic figure. He's doing a lot of stuff that's, that's weird and that will later have negative outcomes. But he's also by ending police persecution of gay people, um, at least in an organized way, really allowing gay culture to to blossom um in berlin uh and it's 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 yeah i'm gonna read another quote from that new yorker article here for whatever reason mirscheid holsenheim took a fairly benevolent attitude towards berlin's same-sex bars and dance halls at least in the better healed parts of the city he was on cordial terms with many regulars and none other than august strindberg testified to in, in his autobiographical novel the cloister which evokes a same-sex costume ball at the cafe nationale and this is in 1898 the police inspector and his guests had seated themselves at a table in the center of one end of the room close to which all the couples had to pass the inspector called them by their christian names and summoned some of the most interesting among them to his table. So he's kind of like going on safari like um, among the the gay people in Berlin like there, there's a lot of weird it's it's weird in a lot of way. Um but he's also one of the things he does is he provides police help to gay people who are being blackmailed and like threatened with outing. Um and he'll even like counsel them on how to handle it. Like he provides like counselors and stuff. And he does this in part because like he's worried about um them committing suicide because they're being blackmailed, which is like a real problem in Germany and a bunch of other places. Um yeah, and this guy, like, why this police commissioner winds up killing himself kind of in the early 1900s, I think, because he wound up getting found to be taken bribes from some millionaire who gets in a lot of legal trouble for raping somebody. So again, he is a sketchy dude, but he's yeah, also, yeah. like, because he's he's got this weird, almost like voyeuristic fascination with gay people um, and some legitimate, because there are legitimate humanitarian concerns. He's really worried about people committing suicide as a result of blackmail. So he's one of these figures... I, we don't talk about enough in history where it's like the overall outcome of this guy's at work is pretty positive, but he does it for this like really confusing mix yeah. of reasons. He's just a very strange figure in history. Well, I, I think it's interesting looking at him like like comparing him to like if you look at like what the U.S. is doing in the fifties, right? Where there's this whole thing about like gay people are getting are going to get are getting blackmailed, mm -hmm. and the you know the the U.S. the entire U.S. security state loses its mind and becomes convinced that like these people are all going to become Soviet agents, and you know and, and instead of like doing counseling, that there's they're, the thing that they do is they 
they do the lavender scare and they start purging every gay person yeah. they can find from the entire U.S. government. And it's like, you know, it, it's 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 interesting that like, yeah, this is this is a guy in like late 1800s, early 1900s, like like literally ruled by a monarch Berlin and his yeah. policies are enormously better than like anything you're going to see for like half a century he's he is way more woke on 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 this than like any new york police officer for a century uh, today <laughs> you know, like, yeah, <laughs> up, to, up to the present day in a lot of ways like, yeah so let's talk about magnus hirschfeld a bit um hirschfeld is very influenced by ulrich the guy we started the story with his first like publication on the matter is called Sappho and Socrates in 1896, which is, again, it's a story of a gay man who gets coerced into marriage. So this like, uh, and, and who commits suicide as a result. So there's like a big, with both, um, you know, this police commissioner with Hirschfeld, with a lot of people who are becoming activists in this period, a big part of why is for one reason or another, the suicide rate among gay people, um, which is a, a, a huge problem today for for trans people in particular. And this is what, it's interesting, like the, that Utah governor, you know, made the announcement today that like, he's vetoing this trans sports band in Utah. And he specifically cites like, the suicide rate among trans people is so like high and it it he he could not morally conscience doing anything that would like make these kids feel othered and likelier to commit well, suicide. I mean, so, okay, let, 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 let's 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 not go that far. He 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 was he was willing he was willing to do the commissions. He just wasn't willing to do a full ban. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just saying the the justification he yeah, gives for yeah. what he's doing is like um the is is the the rate of of suicide attempts among trans yeah. people. Um not to like whitewash that guy or Utah. Like again, we've been doing this whole week's episodes, but it's interesting that you get um again, it's just kind of like the the issue for a long time has been that when you like other people and make it dangerous for them to be who they are openly, they will kill themselves. Um a lot of them will, and that's that's a thing that is even by very problematic people in Germany in the 1890s, folks recognize that like this is a huge issue. Um, so yeah, uh, Hirschfeld um, starts this first organization, this like gay rights organization, um, and he also is doing like a huge amount of of research. Um, he is again, he's following in Ulrich's footsteps because he too believes that that homosexuality is congenital, right? It's something you're born with as opposed to like a choice people make because of, of deviance or whatever, which is still the big fight that we're having to this day. And he's also like, it's hard to, there's a lot that like you can criticize about Hirschfeld scientifically and a lot of the research he does, among other things, there's like difficulty with like control groups and actually like being uh, uh, the kind of scientific sort of detachment that is necessary to study. There's like critiques of his of his research that are valid. But one of the he's he's really like it's wild how far ahead of the curve he is, because one of the things that Hirschfeld introduces is the idea that sexuality is a spectrum um, where there's what he calls sexual intermediaries between male and female. Um, he doesn't believe that like those are even particularly useful terms, that sexuality kind of like it, it, it again, that it's a spectrum, which is this thing that we are just now really starting to have good wider kind of range in conversations about today. Um, and Hirschfeld is very much like kind of utopian in his belief that if you can scientifically study and understand where homose like what homosexuality is and that it is an innate characteristic that people will stop being bigoted against gay folks right like his his belief is that science will end prejudice 
um, just because the German people are so scientific and like they'll have to accept this if I can just like prove it with enough rigor, which is heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um, heartbreaking that he was very, very wrong. Um, and yeah, there, there's a number of things that are like really worth kind of within sort of the, because he he's not, he, he's kind of come down now as this sort of, um, like saint-like hero of the gay rights movement for good reason, but that does tend to flatten the fact that within his his day and within kind of the gay culture in Berlin in particular, there were a lot of people who were frustrated with him for a lot of reasons. Um, there were a lot of uh, so there's this there's this split in gay culture in this period of time between um, gay men who are seen as more effeminate and what are called the masculinists. Um, and the masculinists, they are not all or even mostly Nazis, but all of the gay Nazis are what you'd call masculinists, right? Who are like, I'm not having, like, like, like I, I am so manly that the only person I can have sex yeah. with is a man, right? Like, like yeah. I'm flattening even that quite a bit. But like, you have guys like um, Ernst Rome, who is, well, yeah. is the he, head he of the brown the shirts and is, 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 a, is a gay Nazi and is like, that's, that's a significant, not an insignificant chunk of the Nazis. They all get murdered in the Night of Long Knives. And it is um, interesting that, that Rome was outed by anti-fascists. Yeah, he sure uh, was. Like uh, two years before he was uh, murdered and it was, it was, it was, tr- he was, specifically outed to sow division within the Nazi party. Yes. Um, and that does like also just play in, you know, you, you, were, you were talking about like, you know, people having debate over whether it's okay to out somebody um, if they, you know, are part of bad organizations, right? That was mm-hmm. something we mentioned previously. And yeah, just a, like an interesting historical tidbit. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, so, uh, again, among like one of the things that the the masculinists are doing is like a lot of them are married to women. and they're they're actually fine with this because again, they think that like, well, you still need to like procreate and have like not it's not even all just about being uh, having like a beard or whatever you want to call it. Some of it is just like this attitude that you have a responsibility to make more Germans for the fatherland. But like then when it comes to it's kind of like the Greeks, there were not wildly dissimilar concepts. And a lot of the masculinists, ideologically are wrapped up in the work of Max Stirner. Um, and in fact, like the self owners, that first gay magazine exactly. is based on the first thing I thought of. Stirner. That yeah. was, that, that, that um, was, I was like, oh, that sounds like Stirner's egoism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that going. And we, 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 again, I, I want to at some point provide a lot more detail on this because it's, it's all fascinating. Um, but there, there are these big sort of like this big split. And there's, a, a, he gets a lot of shit from the masculinists for, because he also studies lesbians heavily. Like there's a decent chunk of the gay male population in Berlin who is against, the research and the medical practice he's doing to help trans people who is against his research on lesbians because they're like, well, this is this is the fight, right? Like we're the ones who are being legally cracked down on or whatever. Like, um, so there's a bunch of like different cleavages and fractures kind of within the community at this time. And Hirschfeld is not universally beloved. There are people kind of within the gay community who have a lot of issues with him. Um, and I just think it's important to note that because we often do again, kind of flatten things because the Nazis flattened things, right? Because these were all, it was all the same to them. Um, and and we often flatten them in a different way to where like, yeah, you've got this guy and he's the, he's the hero of the, of the, of gay Berlin. And he's this like thoroughly positive. No, there were a lot of people who hated him for like all these different reasons. Cause this was uh, these, like all people had a million different kind of fractures and ideologies sort of running within um, what, what, someone who was not well, looking in from the outside would have just called gay Berlin, you know? Um, 
and yeah, uh, obviously this all falls apart uh, or is is cracked down horribly when the Nazis come to power. Um, Hirschfeld is doing a lot of some of, I mean, all of the very earliest research on like what it is to be transgender. And he is uh, performing surgery on like gender operations on, on trans people for the very first time. Um, and and that gets all kind of destroyed in, in May of 1933, uh, which is about three months after Hitler becomes Reich's chancellor. Uh, Nazis sack Hirschfeld Institute for Sexual Science. They burn its library. Um, they go after a lot of, of of his of the people he had been working with and on are killed. Others have to flee. Um, Hirschfeld is thankfully out of the country on tour when the Nazis rise to power and just you know doesn't come back. Um, yeah. He, he, yeah, he sees he watches his institute get burned and all of his his research get burned in a, a, a newsreel in Paris, uh, and he dies the next year. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the 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 broad details of kind of the story of this early period um of of the birth of kind of like a lot of our our legal fights uh around you know gay rights and like the birth of kind of western gay identity like this is where it comes from and and uh yeah um there's a lot that's important in understanding this and this is one of the points that gets made in gay berlin we often see the weimar years as this kind of inevitable march towards fascism and the reality is that there was 50-something years of uh, of incredibly progressive movements on, on gender and sexuality. Um, and, you know, even outside of gay rights, just in terms of, like, attitudes towards democracy and attitudes towards the nature of, like, the state that were very progressive and very powerful and very popular. Um, and they do get, you know, it's important to understand both that, like, the Nazism was not inevitable, the regressivism and the violence and the 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 like that kind of flattening of human life under the fascists was not an inevitable progression for germany um but it's equally impo- important to understand that like a tremendous so much progress had been made in german culture by the period of time when the nazis rise and it does get wiped out you know it does not recover right away it's still no, recovering now it's still in now germany. yeah exactly yeah. um and in fact, one of the f- groups of people, when when the Allies liberate the concentration camps, we don't free imprisoned gay people. They go back to prison because what they were doing was still seen as criminal. If you have the uh, it's the pink triangle, you don't yeah. just get out because the Nazis, because you were in a concentration camp with these other people, because the Allies, uh, to a large extent, are like, well, that was it was okay for them to punish those people. Anyway, that's the story. Now, another interesting thing is on like kind of on the same note is that if you look through all old um, uh, German war photography from World War Two, you will actually see a higher than average rate of uh, men cross-dressing inside photos. Now, there's always cross-dressing during war is not uncommon, especially during like performances yeah. uh, for like theater and stuff um because there's not as much women around but specifically uh comparing like the documentation of uh the nazis and all of and all of the german soldiers there was like yeah an absolutely higher than average uh amount of of people comfortable cross-dressing despite you know being a soldier for the nazis yeah um it is it is like an yeah it is an interesting thing in terms of how how some of those kind of more advanced views on sexuality still carried over um at least in like in terms of like gender presentation 
among you know even even if you're among this genocidal group who's imprisoning gay people by the hundreds of thousands um yeah it's it just it just it just it just it just just like kept happening yeah it also sort of points to just like how bad everywhere else was also oh yeah like it's yeah it's a a rough world for berlin just got so progressive that even when suppressed there was enough like stuff there that things could kind of there was there was still there was still a bit there's still a bit of some remnants um and i mean and it's still it got it, it did get horribly obliterated and it, and we're still recovering now in terms of our views and medical knowledge on like gender and you know social contracts um yeah. sexuality you know all all this kind of stuff um but yeah the the german law code that made homosexuality illegal um again after it was briefly more okay than it had been uh doesn't get repealed until 1994 yeah, I mean, a, a lot yeah. of a lot of sodomy laws do not get repealed until the '90s, and oh, a lot yeah. of cases uh, they're actually still around. Yeah, we just don't enforce the them. Yep. Like a lot of there's a lot of laws that are actually just still just hanging yeah. out. Texas had anti-sodomy laws on the book until uh, a 2003 Supreme Court case. Uh, yeah, made that, made, it, it invalidated all sodomy laws. Right, that's that's why there's some that are still on the books, but they they but they're now invalid. Yeah, prosecute people. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, Magnus Hirschfeld was pretty based though. So was fucking Ulrich's some pretty based. (laughs) based This is really interesting stuff. And that's why we wanted to talk about this is to kind of show the historical background and show like there's precedent for all of the same stuff happening before. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, there's ways people fought fought against it back then who didn't necessarily succeed. Um, but also did have a lot of progression and a lot of like views socially on these types of topics you know you just need to make sure that you're also very very uh aware of uh, the rise of fascism and being able to counter that as well because they can just do so much damage in such a short, short amount of time despite you know 50 years of progress yeah yeah and i think i think understanding the fragility of everything that exists that i don't know i mean there's this is you know, one one of the sort of American mythos is right is that like the the moral arc of the universe bends towards progress, and that everything's yeah. like you getting better, and that's not true. Nope, it's not. And like like every, every everything good that you see in this world is there because people fought for it. It, it was fought for, yeah. yeah. And and if they lose, it all goes away. Yeah, yeah. It it we 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 absolutely could go back. It's like you have that. I mean, he backpedaled, but you have that Republican uh, legislator who was like. Um, <laughs> making comments about how he didn't think uh the state should be forced to honor interracial marriages. Yeah. Um and it's like, yeah, there's people who want to go back on all of that stuff and they could do it. It doesn't even and it doesn't matter. I like when people criticize kind of like some of the the attitudes we have the fear we have towards this especially on on the subreddit. I've seen people be like, "Well, look, these are not popular." laws and it's like it doesn't matter they weren't yes. oh, yeah absolutely they, were, they weren't as popular they weren't like necessarily all that popular in 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 germany you know when some like a lot of the thing not specifically even talking about what was done to gay people but a lot of the things that were done by the nazis were not necessarily popular it, it doesn't yeah. matter what matters we, is power 
Yeah. And this like plays yeah. into how like what she's worth focusing on on electoralism and yeah. being like, yeah, these laws obviously aren't being uh pushed as far in blue states because there's not enough yeah. electoral power there. But that doesn't mean that we can flip Texas blue if we will it into being. Like there's so many other cultural factors that are keeping red states red. And yes, of mm. course, voting suppression, all of those things, gerrymandering, all these things are contributing factors. But the overall political bent of those states right now seems to be pretty firm because there's so many people invested in maintaining that power. So when mm -hmm. we complain about kind of how electoralism is not often a super reliable solution to securing these things over long stretches of time, it's more kind of talking about that because even though we have, you know, Democrats in power in the executive branch and they, you know, make statements about trying to secure things, they make they make some gestures, the follow through on those things is always so minimum and so bare. Yeah. Um, and there's it's like it's 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 the thing how like Trump was able to do so much. Um and now we have Biden so less willing to use executive power. This is the same thing that like oh like with, with with Obama and the Supreme Court when the Senate would refuse to put through any any candidates. Obama technically had the power could because the Senate refused to do to do their job. Um there is a very strong argument that Obama could have just put someone into the Supreme Court uh, mm -hmm. because of the failure of what the Senate was doing. It was spe specifically doing a thing that meant because they were not doing the job at all that it, he can get he can get fully put through. And we so we could have we, that could have happened, and Obama just didn't uh, because yeah. you know you want to play you want to be the good guy like you want to be the person who follows the rules. But the other side doesn't care about that. They are not playing a genuine game. They're not following the rules. They're doing whatever they can to win. So this this isn't about being plugged into lefty Twitter. I, I get I get almost none of my takes from lefty Twitter. I get well, them from like reading reading stuff and thinking about how electoralism affects all of these issues and where to focus like my attention. Because no matter what I say or what I do, that's not going to affect whether Texas is blue or red. Yeah, and there's this. I, I think like one of the things that is uh, uh, an argument against Obama, you know, intervening in that way is like, well. That would have created precedent that would have like further centralized executive power and could have been used by their only if the Senate refused to do their job. Like, yeah, but you know, I mean, look at what we got. Look at the Supreme Court that we have, which now has know. a six to three bent conservatively. No, there was well, just another fucking shadow ruling today that was um, about um, uh, gerrymandering. And God, I was was it Wisconsin? Um, one sec, I'll I'll look it up. But yeah, like you're, you're getting like. We're we're already living through that scenario. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah. It, like, like like in this. I mean, in terms of centralization of power, like Obama claimed the legal authority to kill any man, woman, or child, regardless of their citizenship, as as a U.S. citizen, without trial the moment they left the United States. Mm -hmm. Like that that is that is the that is the authority that he claimed. Like when you know, to, in order to in order to run the drone assassination program, and it's. Yeah, so like at that point, like yeah, okay, we 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 literally have a person who can go. I'm going to press a button and kill you. Like, like and, oh and, no, and for, we might centralize. More, like, uh, it's just. I mean, it's it's not even a centralization because it, it was specifically within the context of the Senate not doing their job. Um, and it kind of just all plays into like it seems like Democrats are more politically successful when they're losing. Like, it seems like they want the other side to be in power because that's when they actually do things politically. And then when they have power, they're just so scared to use it that they don't even do anything to really help people that much. Well, and, and, and I mean, this is the other thing is that like, yeah, the, the Democrats like, like 
most of like their their actual constit like they have they have two constituencies, right? They have like you know they 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 have the people they're passing tax breaks for, and then they have a bunch of they have a bunch of consultants. And the consultants, like the thing that they care about, is campaign donations, right? Because that's how they get paid. Yeah. And yeah, hey, guess what happens when uh, you're in power? Oh, people don't give you any people don't give you much money. Like this is this is this is a problem the no. right ran into in the eighties. They like, they get more power when they're they get more money when they're not in power. Yeah. Because then they're trying to organize to get in power. But then yeah. once they're in there, it's like. Oh wow, you're not really using the same power capabilities that the other side does when they're in charge. And yeah. they're all willing to play dirty politically and we and for some reason the Democrats are not. Well, and because, that I mean, just kind like, of they don't like that's the thing, like they don't actually care about any of this stuff, right? This stuff is useful for them in terms of fundraising, right? But it's like yep. Yeah, I don't know. Like they they don't like if, if if every trans person in the United States was killed, right, the Democrats would be sad for a little bit and then they would move on. Like yeah. it's not that's, if, that's that's not a thing if, that if you're in a hard blue state, we know what's more important than actually voting for support of like this kind of stuff is actually just giving trans people money like that is going to have much more of a positive political effect. It's <laughs> just give trans people money. Whenever yeah. you see a GoFundMe for a trans person, donate to that instead. That's going to have a much more uh, lasting effect than voting if you're in, you know, new york or if you're in oregon right because like that those states are are, they're they're gonna be blue that's always gonna happen um but other states like uh like i I, texas oklahoma tennessee uh alabama like these are gonna be red states like there's and as much as we would be nice if yeah if democratic senators and and um, people in the house were in there instead then yeah these trans bills probably wouldn't be happening as much um but that's not going to happen. So if that's not going to happen, we should focus on other ways to do that politically. And yeah, sure, fixing ger- gerrymandering will be great, but I don't think you need me to tell you that. No. Anyway, we should probably... That's that's probably more or less a sewed. Um, that is a sewed. I, I will I will, uh, I will. will plug uh, next week, if in similar, similar on a similar train for, for kind of talking about queerness and fascism. Um... Which, yeah, we are we are planning a, a two a two parter, which is a pretty going to be extensive deep dive into mm-hmm. explaining the curious case of Nazi cat boys. And Gar- Gar- Garrison says Garrison says we as if any of the rest of us had any choice in this. Garrison matter. Garrison forced this on us through it's, violence. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we we will be talking about this, which kind of touches on some similar topics in terms of like gender and sexuality and how it intersects with politics and. How there can be, you know, seemingly contradictory claims of, you know, gay Nazis and all that kind of stuff. So similar, similar train. We'll be kind of discussing that and how that works. Um, But yeah, this is a end of trans week. Honestly, at this point, as we're ending, as we're ending it, I'm kind of more optimistic than I than I than I was when we started trans week. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like watching kind of how some some of these bills have played out, how some of them were not were not fully carried through. Um, there is protests and stuff being organized. I know for March, I believe it's March thirty first, which is a, a a trans day of visibility. There's gonna be protests in a lot of conservative states. Um, I know there's gonna be. Let me let me actually let me check because I I know there's there's gonna be there's gonna be multiple multiple things happening. And I will. I'm gonna be try to. I'm gonna try to be in Idaho next next week for that because uh, there's gonna be a protest in Boise, which I think Boise. I'll already be Boise, Idaho. Mm-hmm. That's the place. But mm-hmm. there's gonna be yeah. There's gonna be events in Austin, uh, Tallahassee, Montgomery. Um, 
so yeah, I will uh, look up uh, tearitup.org at, for event for uh, info on all of the events at different at different at, at in different states for for Trans Day of Visibility, March mm-hmm. March thirty first, and yeah, uh, uh, be gay, do crime. Yeah, throw bricks at transphobes. Yeah, all that stuff. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com sources. Thanks for listening. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.